everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 356. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my co-host, David Bix and Span and Bix. I know we promoted on last week's show that uh, Robert O'Connor would be joining us this week, but he is still very sick. Um, even the day before we recorded this, he was uh, said he still was was down and out. He couldn't. Uh, he didn't have a really really much of a voice, so he hated being a part of this show because he had a lot of material that he that he was going to unload here on this one. But uh, yeah, it's sad. It's a sad that he won't be part of it. But we're going to do it ourselves since you know we didn't want to risk getting another guest because well. We had to finish recording the Patreon show, didn't we? Yes, although honestly, I'm kind of glad O'Connor's not here for the plug for the specific Patreon show. <laughs> yes, as uh, part two of our look at Titan Gate 92 is either up or will be up by the time you listen to this. And uh, it's going to be up on patreon.com slash between the sheets, where we'll uh, pick up where we left off last month. Uh, with the aftermath of the Donahue show, we'll talk about that. We'll have um, new clips from Now I Can Be Told, Gerardo and Craig Rivera on that. We'll have CBS Evening News with Dan Rather. With Vince McMahon there. being completely insane. And uh, we'll have Gerardo himself on his main show, where uh, Murray Hodgson and Rita Chatterton uh, was on the show. And yes, Reader Chatterton becomes a major focal part of this uh, series on, on this show with her uh, allegations of uh, rape by Vince McMahon. Yes. And uh, we'll, yeah, we, we'll get into that from her for appearance on Now Can Be Told to her appearance on Gerardo. And boy, what an appearance that was, especially with Murray Hodgson sitting right beside her and his actions towards everything that was going on there. And uh, very interesting as we'll get into on the show. We don't want to give too much away. But yeah, this is, I mean, the first show focused heavily on the Ring Boys, mainly, and all that stuff. This show goes more into the steroids and, and the Rita Chatterton stuff. So With some you know, Murray Hodgson mixed in throughout as well. Yeah, Murray Hodgson and some, and some Ring Boys stuff mixed in as well. But this show is different, which is good. So yeah, Dr. Dr. Mauro Di Pasquale and Rita Chatterton and people like that and yeah, I mean, it is a tremendous show that people need to be listening to yes. to uh, learn about this stuff. And I'll add, too, that I'm I'm sure I'll probably just make the YouTube link public by the time this goes up or around then. But because people probably really do need to see it and actually see it, especially to see how shook Murray Hodgson suddenly is, because you can tell that more with his facials than just by hearing him. But... If you think you have heard Rita Chatterton's story before from watching the Now It Can Be Told episode, I would say you haven't necessarily heard it because she gets a lot more time on Geraldo. The environment of it is a lot more forgiving and it doesn't have the weird editing and music and everything. And it's it it comes off very differently in a way that I think helps her credibility. Um, so... That's in there, too. So that's a thing most people I don't think have ever really heard or seen. You know, um, trying to think of anything else to mention here. You know, we talk about the steroid symposium. We've got some 
John Arezzi, Vince Russo breakup stuff mixed in. Not a lot, because we already did a show about that years ago. Um, there will probably be more as the series goes on, though, uh, when maybe we get to some of the stuff we didn't have then. But, yeah, there's a lot here. Um, and, you know, we also uh, get some interesting content, like me reading from a, vo- a uh, I almost said voicemail, answering machine message that Barry Orton left for Lee Cole. As we talk about some of the machinations going to the Donahue show that came out weeks later as well. Yeah. So, so Patreon, patreon.com slash between the sheets. Go there. We don't want to give too much away. Yes. And uh, $5 gets you access to listen to that. Plus all the other audio for one month that we've done in our near six years of the Patreon. So it definitely is way more than enough audio to fill a month. So uh, it wouldn't be uh, the worst thing in the world to uh, add another month to that. Or you could go annual Bix, And what's that annual fee again? Was it uh, 16% off, which is, I believe, $50.40? Yeah, so you could put that one lump sum down and have a full year of the Patreon. So, uh, yeah, well worth the money at patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, now let's get to this show, shall we? And uh, what a show this is as we go to the truncated week of May 25th through the 30th, 1987. So a six-day week. Missed them one day. We did uh, May uh, 31st on a, uh, another show that we did a few years ago. I don't have the title in front of me right now, but anyway. All right, so I'm kind of surprised that we haven't done this already. So here we are, 356 shows in now, and here we go with this yeah. major story. I, I, that did cross my mind when you announced it last week, that I kind of felt like we had done this week at some point. We talked about the aftermath, okay. but we didn't do the whole story. As we begin with the World Wrestling Federation and major, major news. As most of you have probably already heard, the biggest news of the week all comes from Titanland. At 2.20 p.m. this past Tuesday afternoon, May 26th, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, the Iron Sheik, Khosrow Vaziri, was arrested on drug charges. The two were driving through Middletown, New Jersey, and route to a car that night in Asbury Park when the state troopers pulled them over as they saw Duggan drinking a bottle of beer while he was driving. While walking to the car, the officers caught the scent of burnt marijuana cigarettes and upon inspection found several joints in the ashtray of the car. Duggan was found with a small amount of marijuana, while three grams of cocaine was found in a chic shaving kit. Duggan was released later that day on his own recognizance, while Sheik was released after posting a $5,000 bond. The two worked with each other against each other later at night in a tag team match, which ended with Duggan hit Sheik several times with a chair leading to the pen. The incident got considerable news play in several major cities, including a page two article in the New York Daily News, lots of play on TV news in many cities, and a mention on the National Wires and in USA Today. The incident proved to be a big embarrassment for Titan since Duggan and Sheik were in the midst of a heavily pushed feud, and it came out to the public that they not only were traveling together, but presumably doing drugs together as well. The news reports all stated that Duggan and Sheik had been suspended by Titan. Actually, both were fired later in the week. From what Dave understands, it's highly unlikely Sheik will ever work for Titan again. <laughs> Dave presumes, although it isn't confirmed by anyone, that eventually Duggan will be brought back, although his character will certainly have to be changed. Well, good luck with that, too. Mainly because of his potential value to Titan's competition, whereas Sheik has little value to opposition offices. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you don't... But, you know, judge that either day. Um, Duggan. 
And Dave is right in thinking that, that you would think that, you know, Duggan would have value. And he did show up backstage at a UWF taping looking for work. But Dusty and crew wouldn't hire him because of this. And Bruce Pritchard basically told Duggan, just keep your nose clean, no pun intended, and um, you'll be brought back. And that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. Sheiky comes back the ne- a, a year later. Although with not, Duggan... Not, not, in any, not in any type of spotlight role or anything, but he does come back for a run in 88. Although it doesn't last that long. Um, no, no. Duggan, we should note, though, who knows what happens, though, if Paul Bosch does not ask for Duggan to be booked on his retirement show, though. Because what got him his job back was getting injured. What was it? Torn abdominal muscle, I think, at the beginning of the match and gutting it through the match. And they were so impressed by that that they offered him his job back. But if that doesn't happen, does he go back? I think he does because I said Bruce Pritchard won't. I mean, it's talked about this telling Duggan. Just keep your nose clean, and uh, we'll bring you back. You'll come back eventually. So, yeah. Um, now, equally embarrassing was the fact that in Duggan's hometown in Glens Falls, New York, they were scheduled to have a Jim Duggan day this week. Because many of you also know Duggan's father, Jim Duggan Sr., is the chief police in Glens Falls. Let's talk about that, shall we? As we go to the May 29th issue of the Glen Falls Post-Star, headline, Junkyard Doll to Replace Hacksaw. World Wrestling Federation to Probe Drug Charges Suspends GF's Duggan by David Wasson, staff writer. The World Wrestling Federation, which has suspended Hacksaw Jim Duggan while it investigates drug charges against him, won't let the Glen Falls, Glens Falls native compete here Monday, an organization official said Thursday. Pro wrestler Junkyard Dog has been scheduled to replace the Glens Falls native in Monday's Civic Center bout against Nikolai Volkov, said Federation spokesman Michael Weber. Weber said the Federation has not yet decided whether to offer refunds to ticket holders. We still got some good matches lined up for Monday, he said. The Federation announced its decision to suspend Duggan, 33, and another pro wrestler, Hossein, the Iron Sheik Faziri, late Wednesday afternoon. So you don't even have his real name. Uh, well, both isn't have, his name technically Hussein Khosrow Faziri? I guess. But he's really Khosrow. I mean, let me double check. Uh, let me see at least what Wikipedia has him as. I'm curious. Uh, but anyway. Yes, Hossein Khosrow Ali Faziri. Okay, well, there we go. How about that? Uh, both athletes were arrested on drug charges Tuesday by New Jersey State Police as they were driving to Asbury Park and competing in a match there, the trooper said. Duggan was charged with possession of a small amount of marijuana and were operating a motor vehicle while possessing an open container of beer, police said. He was released on his own recognizance and is expected to answer the charges next week in court. Vaziri, 46, was charged with possession of about $300 worth of cocaine and with possession of a small amount of marijuana, State Police said. He was freed on $5,000 bail while waiting trial on the charges, according to police. Meanwhile, Weber said the World Wrestling Federation is, sh- World Wrestling Federation is shocked by the amount of national media attention athletes' arrests have attracted. <laughs> yeah, our position is they are innocent until proven otherwise, said Weber. Asked why the wrestlers were suspended. Did the Federation consider them innocent? Weber said it was in the wrestlers' best interest. The suspension was to help them, really, Weber explained, because if they went to an arena tonight, there's going to be reporters there asking questions, and that really is not what they need right now. The wrestlers, that is. Weber said the Federation wants to investigate the circumstances of the wrestlers' arrest. He would not elaborate on what the investigation would involve. Weber said he wouldn't comment on what circumstances could lead to the reinstatement of the wrestlers. 
The word is they are suspended indefinitely, he said. A federation suspension, Weber explained, prohibits wrestlers from competing in matches organized by that company. The decision to suspend a wrestler's responsibility to the federation's rules and means committee, Weber said. Committee. He did he said he didn't know how many member how many people are members of that committee or how long it met before deciding to spend suspend the wrestlers. My. I that committee is one person. God <laughs> a damn committee of one. Duggan, who is pro wrestling's Law and Order Vanguard of the American Way, has gained growing popularity in the World's Federation in recent months. Ironically, Vaziri, who was a passenger in the car Duggan was driving Tuesday, is one of Hacksaw's enemies on the mat. All right, so that's Glens Falls. Um, let's go to the New York Daily News from uh, Mike Santangelo oh, okay. on May, May 28th. Um, it's got pictures of uh, Duggan and Sheik. Brawny bozos. <laughs> wrestlers hacksaw Jim Don't Duggan. Don't you just love old uh, mainstream articles about wrestlers that use the words use the word brawny? Yes. It's wrestlers hacksaw Jim Duggan and Hassan Vaziri find themselves on the same side of their arrest in drug charge in New Jersey. Headline, thrown for loss. Two wrestlers face NJ drug raps by Mike Santangelo. Two professional wrestlers took a fall for drug possession with freedom on bail to grapple with each other in a bone-crushing, chair-smashing tag team bout and are scheduled to grapple with the New York, New Jersey court system on Monday. And then it talks about uh, Duggan and Sheik, their ages, what they were suspended for, what Duggan did. As he was checking, du- as the officer was checking Duggan's license, the trooper noticed he smelled of burnt marijuana from the direction from the other man, says Sergeant John Cavalier Barracks. Cops said they found several partially smoked marijuana joints in the car's ashtray, three grams of cocaine in the shaving kit, and a small quantity of marijuana belonging to Duggan. Uh, scheduled to appear in the middle of town court on Monday. $5,000 bill for the Sheik. After the, after the release, they continued for their tag match with Sheik uh, and Volkov against Kim Pater and Hacksaw, where Hacksaw wanted to break a total of four chairs o- over the Sheik's turban. <laughs> over the Sheik's turban. <laughs> broke four chairs as a matter of fact if Brett Lauderdale uh, was there do you think he'd scream stop breaking the fucking chairs <laughs> alright uh, back to Dave real quick from the time side there are repercussions when fans are unknown certain long run this incident won't have any real effect fans who believe do so because they want to believe and they'll eventually forget this incident never took place there may be some short term effects from some fans who have lost confidence in wrestling and certainly Duggan's character has been hurt from the incident. Although, again, probably only temporarily. I'm not sure what rules Titans had about baby faces and heels traveling together, but Dave's certain this is a now a no-no, as it should be, especially for guys who are well-known to the public as the Titan guys. In fact, Titan is now instituting fines for baby faces and heels who are simply drinking together in public. And I missed the paragraph, so let me hit that real quick. Probably the most embarrassing point of all the publicity regarding Duggan and Sheik thing was the fact they wrestled each other the night of the arrest. Newspaper stories all laughed about these guys traveling together and later that night bashing chairs over each other's heads. That probably would have been a bad night to switch around the card, even though the live crowd would have been upset. Now, while this incident will soon be forgotten, it should serve as a reminder that pro wrestling isn't in the position where it can afford too many incidents like this. Do you realize if it had been Hulk Hogan and not Jim Duggan in the car with sheet, what kind of effect they would have on Titan Sports? <laughs> oh, just you wait, Dave, for the for the Hogan uh section of, of the drug allegations <laughs> patreon.com slash between the sheets um all right um well and we should i mean we should be clear though because dave is not stressing this part as much as you'd think surprisingly this very obviously only got so much press because they were feuding 
Uh, yes. And where it was at. And that it was in, in the New York area on the New Jersey Turnpike, yes. But that is why, I mean, there are so many drug arrests of wrestlers and stuff like that that don't get publicity in this era. There are tons of them, or even other stuff like, you know, we talk about on the last Patreon show. Hulk Hogan had a gun arrest while he was in the WWF as one of the top heels in 1981 in New Jersey, and no one knew about it. Yeah. You know? So... <sighs> All right. Start with your analysis let me, let, Well, I mean, I, I want to continue. I got more stuff to read. Then we'll now... Well, we'll also, I, well I, all, I do also have Duggan's book open to that section as well. Well, I, I, let me go back to Glens Falls. Let's okay. go to the June 2nd issue of the Post-Star. This is the after the Glens Falls show that Duggan was supposed to be at. This is by Scott T. Balthazard. Pros draw, draw thin crowd. I'll bet he's around here somewhere, said pro wrestling fan Albert Perry Jr. I bet if he was here, they would have filled this joint, Perry said. He turned his full-bearded, chubby, bespeckled face out across the near-empty Glen Falls Civic Center Monday night. Civic Center officials estimated the crowd at 2,000 fans for the pro wrestling program. Perry and a small but vocal and emotional crowd were looking for Hacksaw Jim Duggan, the Glen Falls native, now professional wrestler for the World Federation. Duggan, 33, scheduled to be in the feature match, was arrested last week on New Jersey's Garden State Parkway in charge of possession of marijuana and driving with open container alcohol. Hacksaw was suspended by WWF. It was not allowed to participate in his homecoming match Monday night. Duggan was arrested with, along with Iron Sheik, Duggan's ring enemy, who was charged with cocaine possession. Hacksaw was set up by the Slickster, said Perry, 31, a, green, a Greenwich resident who said he'd been thrown out of the Civic Center three times for hurling objects at some of the bad guy wrestlers. Slickster is slick. The manager of the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov. Duggan scheduled opponent Monday night. Perry's sentiments of sympathy towards Duggan seem to be echoed by the small crowd at the Civic Center. The ring, <laughs> the ring announcer attired in a blue tuxedo made no mention of Duggan's arrest. Before the wrestling card began, the announcer said there would be a change in the evening's card. I wonder if that was Mo Phillips. Blue tuxedo, because he wore blue tuxedos. Uh, the junkyard dog, another popular star, took Hacksaw's place on the car Monday. Booze and chants of Hacksaw erupted upon that announcement. Duggan recently came to the WF in the role of the All-American, red, white, and blue hero. Volkov and Sheik are his number one enemies in the square circle, but the crowd still cheered loud and long at other times Monday. They run down the car and everything. When the junkyard dog and Volkov matchup came, fans again began chanting for Duggan. The Thunderstreet's USA USA scene made the crowd sound larger than it was. But the emotion got the best of some. Cups of beer, curled up programs, and obscene gestures were hurled towards Volkov and Sheik as they made their way to the ring. Volkov carrying a large red Soviet flag and clad in bright red wrestling trunks and boots sang the Soviet national anthem over the public address system. The crowd became more hostile and began hurling objects and booing even louder. Then came Junkyard Dog carrying the 2x4 that seemed to be a symbol of support for the hacksaw. The match was quick. Joey and Volkov battle and stomp. Slick interfered for the bout, even though the fans at ringside did their best to point out that illegal action to the referee. Dog even used a 2x4 once, cracking across the ample midsection of the big Russian. A few moments later, there was a quick pin. JYD pinned Volkov to the mat. Card ended. USA! USA! Perry and the crowd chanted as they headed for the exit signs. A few more hacksaw, hacksaw chants burst forth. Meanwhile, in Middleton Township, New Jersey, the Iron Sheep pleaded innocent to the drug charges filed against him. Sheik, who was Hossein Vaziri of Fayetteville, Georgia, was arraigned before Judge Michael B. Steeb and pleaded innocent to the charges of possession of cocaine and marijuana. Duggan was not arraigned Monday. It was Slick's fault, goddammit. 
<laughs> Slick set him up. Yeah, he set up his own guy. So there's there's other articles as well. Uh, it's got a picture of Sheik with his lawyer as they went to court. I'm looking at Asbury well, Park it's, Press. It's, what's his face? It's the same lawyer who represented him with the gas station attendant thing, right? Uh, yeah. Mickey Sherman, isn't it? Uh, yeah, and there's another lawyer listed too. Uh, what's this guy's name? Uh, Mike Sherman. So no, that is him. Yeah, Mickey Sherman. Yeah, but 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 there's another guy named uh, Primavera who's uh, involved as well. Oh, he had a uh, lawyer named Primavera in New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, nice pasta. Um, but yeah, I mean, so there's that. And wait, and, do, and, do we and, think that Primavera was friends with Muscles Marinara from The Soprano? <laughs> Um, so we go back to Glens Falls on June the 6th. Okay. Is this on newspapers.com or is this on the New York newspapers, a story newspapers thing or what? No, I'm on newspapers.com. Okay. Uh, Duggan plea, awaited drug arraignment. State prosecutors have put the Glens Falls native charges on poll while they pursue an indictable cocaine possession charge against Hossein Vaziri. Um, it goes into that. Talking about what Duggan was charged with. Vaziri pleaded innocent. Meanwhile, Duggan's stay in court and his World's Federation uh, career is on hold. Vizier was sent to be sent to a grand jury that's been scheduled for June 29th, the court clerk said. So there's that. Um, I mean, it, you look at. I mean, this was a this was a story that was uh, in many different places. Iron Sheik dinner, drug probation program. Um, that's June 18th in the Asbury Park Press. Uh, no admission of guilt is necessary to be granted a conditional discharge. Vizier has maintained his innocence. Um, he's he was you know trying to put in the, in the program, and then we get to June twenty fourth. Nazareth Park Press state has state lifts suspensions of wrestlers. Uh, arch rivals the Iron Sheik and Hacksaw Jim Duggan can resume their feud in New Jersey wrestling rings thanks to a state board's decision yesterday lifting suspension imposed as a result of a drug possession charges filed in Middleton Township. The pair remains suspended indefinitely by the World Wrestling Federation from competing in any Federation-sanctioned match. A WWE spokeswoman said yesterday, she said the Federation would not provide additional details. Um, talk about Duggan driving the rental car, all the stuff going on there. Vizier last week ended a year probationary program that would enable him to avoid trial and have the charges dropped if he successfully completed the program. As a result, the State Athletic Control Board meeting by telephone conference yesterday lifted the suspension of his athletic license imposed on May 26, according to Clive Crosby, board administrator. A hearing on the charge against Duggan, alleged disorderly person's offenses, has not been scheduled in Milton Municipal Court. But Crosby said the motion approved by the two board members states the board did not want to take further action, such as holding a hearing that may unduly influence disposition of the pending court charge. It's also considered that Duggan had been able to wrestle New Jersey since May 26. Once the charges are resolved, Duggan has submitted a copy of the court record to the board, which would then decide whether further action is appropriate, Crosby said. And it talks about how... Um, Vizieri portrays an anti-American villain who taunts the law and all-American hero Duggan. Vizieri said he saw Duggan at the Newark airport and accepted a ride for him because he had no other way to get to the match. <laughs> oh, well, hilarious. that's probably a good signal for me to go to Duggan's book then, which uh, he wrote with our uh, dearly departed friend, Scott Williams, of course. But I jump now to this, you know, he starts the chapter by giving the background about the feud they've been working. And we get this. On May 26, 1987, we flew into Newark, New Jersey for a show that night in Asbury Park. I was in the baggage claim area 
waiting for my gear to come out on the conveyor belt when the Iron Sheik walked up to me and said, uh, do I, should I do the voice or not do the voice? Chris? No, just go straight with it. Okay. Hey, 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 Hacksaw, maybe I ride with you? I don't have credit card, with meaning to get a rental car, which makes you wonder why he didn't have someone to ride with always, but it's cheeky, baby, so what do you expect? Now, I was new to the company, and I didn't want to be rude to a guy who'd been there forever, but I was also over 18, so I want to make very clear that I take full responsibility for my own decisions here. I know this whole thing has become an infamous story in wrestling, and I am here to tell you folks reading this the whole story for the first time, but please know that while I'm including all the details, I make no excuses. Maybe I should have had reservations about being seen giving right to someone I was feuding against so heavily, but the kayfabe mentality that the old schoolers had was dying out, and the sense of it was not as strong in the WWF as it had been with Bill Watts' Mid-South territory. To be honest, as a newcomer, I was kind, actually kind of excited that the Iron Sheik wanted to ride with me. We were headed up the turnpike. It was just about 50 miles from the airport to where we were working that night in Asbury Park. And Sheik said, well, maybe we stop and have a beer, Hacksaw. I had never been much of a beer drinker. I would drink vodka or whiskey when I was out drinking, but that was about it. And I told Sheik I didn't feel much like having a beer. But he kept asking, this guy really wanted to have a beer, so we stopped at a convenience store and picked up a six-pack of St. Pauli Girl beer. Oh, wow. I heard that in a while. Yeah, I love that he remembers that detail, too. St. Pauli Girl. I had about five or six doobies rolled up in a plastic baggie and stashed under the driver's seat. I was smoking one as we headed down the Garden State Parkway towards Asbury Park. Sheik was drinking one of the beers and asked me if I wanted one, and I said, Sure, what the hell. I really didn't think anything about having an open container of beer in the car, even though somewhere in the back of my mind I knew it was probably against the law in New Jersey. I was just so... Not just New Jersey, brother. Well, yeah. <laughs> I was just so used to the attitude that people had in Louisiana, where things were totally different. Heck, in Louisiana, along the major roadways, we had drive through daiquiri huts. <laughs> Well, they drive through liquor stores. Or, yeah, uh, well, also, the... not to defend him or make excuses, but if, you're, again, we're just trying to look at his mindset, uh, that's still the old territorial ways with your fixers and Grizzly Smith doing his fixing and stuff. Well, especially for baby faces. Yes, and, the you know, it was the attitude of territorial wrestlers in that era. Meltzer's talked about it, that there would be times where they'd get pulled over for something and they get pissed off at the cops because don't cops know that that don't they know the score? They're supposed to let yeah. us speed and drink and all that. So yeah, you can see what where he'd get in this direction, even if his conscience is trying to tell him otherwise. Um, mm -hmm. So I wasn't even worrying about concealing my beer when I drove right by a New Jersey State Trooper, but a few seconds later I noticed the trooper had pulled onto the roadway and was right behind us. I still didn't appreciate how serious the situation was when he hit, hit his lights and pulled us over. Trooper walked up to the car and said, license and registration. I handed them over and he asked me to get out of the car and walk around to the back of it. When I got there, he said, sir, I smelled something in there and I'm going to have to search the vehicle. Do you have anything in the car you want to tell me about? I didn't know what to think because while I don't know that the cops in Louisiana would have let me go after finding marijuana in my car, I can say that the patrol officers there were willing to cut me breaks from time to time, not just because they knew me as some famous wrestler, but because a lot of them knew me personally. Officers who patrolled their communities used to have some discretion dealing with people there because they often knew the people who lived there better than any judge or any public official. 
and I'm assuming he's also speaking to this from the perspective of his dad, too. Um, yeah. Of course, cops can't cut you a break today, even if they wanted to, because everything's being recorded, whether it's one of those dashboard video cameras, recordings of their radio transmissions, or a thousand other ways of electronically monitoring everything those officers do. And this is this is right before the body cam boom, so that's why he's not mentioning them. Um Plus, just like a lot of people in every walk of life, some cops now have a different attitude. You know, talk reality TV, gossip, internet, whatever. But going back to May 26, 1987, once the trooper told me he was going to search the car, I knew I should just tell him the truth. So I said, yes, sir, there's a small amount of marijuana under the driver's seat. If he appreciated my honesty, he wasn't letting on because he finally said, hands on the hood, feet back and spread them. I did what he said, but also, I also said, officer, we don't want any trouble. We're just passing through town, professional wrestlers on the way, on our way to a show. I thought explaining myself would help, but the next thing I knew, he was radioing for backup, and within minutes, <laughs> there was a swarm of patrol cars around our car. These state officers were pretty intimidating guys in their crisp khaki uniforms, sunglasses, patent leather boots, and those belts that held everything from handcuffs to mace to nightsticks. But I definitely cannot say they mistreated me. They even double-cuffed me which meant they used two pairs of handcuffs, one of each cuff around one of my wrists, and then the other half of each pair handcuffed to the others. This was not something they had to do, but it was very decent of them to do it that way. I was a big guy, and using one pair of handcuffs to restrain me, would, uh, as they would a normal-sized person, would have been extremely uncomfortable for me. Then the troopers pulled the sheik out of the car, had one of those little man purse things. Okay, do we think he's talking about what we would call a man purse now, or just a fanny pack? Because I feel like as a wrestler, you'd call it a fanny pack if it was a fanny pack. I don't know. So he had one of those little man purse things, and they opened it up. A vial of white powder, which later tested positive as being cocaine, fell out when they set his little bag down on the car, and they arrested him on the spot. They put us in separate cars and drove us to the New Jersey State Police Depot. I ended up being charged with an open container violation for the beer the first officer had seen me with and a misdemeanor charge of possession of marijuana. But when they got us to the state, their station, they did a full inventory uh, and search, and the sheik's little purse thing had two grams of cocaine in it, which was a felony amount. I can't lie to you. In wrestling, the boys all talk about each other, and everyone has at least a pretty good idea of what everyone else is up to. Even though I hadn't seen it, I figured sh the sheik probably had some cocaine on him when I agreed to let him ride with me. Like I said, it was poor judgment, and I make no excuses for it. But after they found the cocaine, the search was on. They rooted through every pocket of every article of clothing and looked at every slip of paper. And that meant lots of slips of paper. As wrestlers, we always had to keep every receipt of every expense. And those officers shook out every receipt we had, shaking each little sli each slip of paper like they were expecting to shake loose even more cocaine. They went through everything we had. The last things they went through were our wallets. They went through mine and didn't find anything of interest. But when they opened up the sheik's wallet, boom, another gram of cocaine fell out. <laughs> yeah. The way co the cops looked at it, he had three grams in separate containers, which to them justified charging Sheik with possession with intent to distribute, more serious charge in simple possession of the exact same amount. I already felt awful about having caught with something so stupid, but I was practically an angel with my little beer and five joints compared to my traveling companion. I signed an appearance bond and was released, but the Sheik had to appear before a judge for arraignment. Of course, I was still the Sheik's ride to the show in Asbury Park that night, so I couldn't just leave him there. I had a paperback book I was reading, and I'd made my way through half the damn thing when the sheik finally came out of the courtroom hours later. 
The cops had left our car in an off-road area near where we'd been stopped, so a patrol unit took us back to the car, and Cheek and I resumed our drive to Hasbury Park, where he and I were wrestling each other in a grudge match as one of that night's main events. Okay, so there's not much question about what the dumbest thing I did that day was, right? The second dumbest thing of the day was probably that when I got to the Asbury Park show that night, I didn't tell anyone. Not any of the backstage brass, no one, what had happened. I actually thought the whole incident would fly under the radar. Brilliant move, right? My first call to that, that evening was to Deborah. I told her, honey, we got busted today, but I don't think anybody knows. Deborah took the news pretty well, mainly because she was looking at it the way I was looking at it. I got, had gotten a misdemeanor arrest for a little pot, not exactly the crime of the century, but neither one of us had looked at the bigger picture. That picture began clear the next morning when Deborah called me at the hotel where I was staying and said, Jim, everybody knows. Phone's been ringing off the hook here. All your friends have called to check on you, and it's all over the news. Another thing I regret about this mess is I didn't call my dad about it. He was still the chief of police in Glens Falls, so he went into work that morning and got ambushed by media people asking about what happened. Here he was, one of the most respected police chiefs in that part of the country, and he had to hear questions about his son involved in, in a cocaine case. Even though it wasn't mine, I was kind of guilty by association. I still felt feel awful about putting my dad in that situation, all because I hadn't really appreciated the magnitude of the fit. But he handled himself as professionally as ever. He only had one comment for any reporter asking about my arrest. My son's over 21. And then he talks about the uh, some of the coverage, including New York Daily News. He said it was on the he was at the front of the sports section, the back cover, with a headline "Boozing Bozos." You know, that's what I just read. But but you were looking bozos. at you were looking at the actual story. You didn't check to see if the back cover uh, had. Well, that's just what that's just what shows up on newsrivers.com. So. Right, right. Um, yeah, do they have the do they have the sports page cover on no, newspapers.com ever? I've never really seen covers on that. I've just seen the, 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 the contents. I think they have the front page. But anyway, you know, you get the idea, though. So, I mean, skip ahead. Uh, after he talked to his dad, he talked to Vince. It always treated me fairly. Uh, called the office. I will remember verbatim what he said to me next until... Oh, wait, uh, wait, wait. Okay, so I called his office. Hi, it's Jim Duggan from Instagram. It was almost instantaneous. Like, click, click. Jim? And I remember verbatim what he said next until the day I die. Jim, what have you done to us? <laughs> Vince, I'm ashamed. Turn in your tickets and go home. Boom. He hung up the phone. So, there's more, but you get the idea. Yeah. Um... <sighs> And it would have, but it yeah. wouldn't have gotten this publicity if they weren't people who were feuding with each other. And and let me read this real quick. This is from August 18th, New York Newsday. Drug-free rings. While one of the everlasting mysteries of life remains is pro wrestling on the level, where Wrestling Federation Chief Vince McMahon evidently is making sure it's drug-free. Ring insiders tell us that McMahon, also the TV ring announcer at WF, ordered periodic mandatory drug testing of his grapplers shortly after the two... Two of the WS top stars, Aaron Sheik and Hansel Jim Duggan, were charged with drug possession after quantities of marijuana and cocaine, allegedly, were found in their suitcases when their car was pulled over in New Jersey. Unlike other sports where jocks resist testing, the British Connecticut-based Titan Sports owned by my man has a stranglehold in the WF. Wrestlers have little choice but to comply. Meanwhile, Sheik and Duggan have been placed on suspension indefinitely. The WS spokesman said man had no comment on the drug testing rule. So... Um, interesting. Yeah, th th this this doesn't become a story if they're not to, if they're not riding together and they're not feuding with each other. 
that's what makes this a, a major story than what it was, because this gives the hook for the media to use to, you know, do their wrestling is fake thing or anything else. It gives them that opportunity to go in that direction. Because look at these guys supposed to be, you know, hating each other, but here they are riding together. See how wrestling's fake. And, um, yeah, I mean, Duggan, I mean, they, they took a hit and Duggan, I mean, Duggan comes back, you know, and his job back, but he's, he, he gets from the few Harley, uh, you know, at the end of the year. And, but I mean, he does, he does the few with Harley. He comes out of that and then gets put in the feud with Andre. So, I mean, he definitely proved himself in his comeback. So, I think, I think the whole thing is, is that Duggan, I mean, Duggan was caught in the raw deal here. If she didn't have that cocaine on him, this is a totally different story. I think the fact that she well, that had, too, that, yeah. had, had that much cocaine on him. That it that makes it totally different. If it was just weed, this is not nearly as big as it was. Well, and also that like co- Doug and Ted, cocaine gets it. Like Doug and Ted too. Also, that each gram was in a separate container. Yes, which easily looks like is he's distributing it. Yes. So even if we don't know that for sure, it looks that way. Yeah, I mean, as much as. Much as the whole possession with intent thing can be bullshit so much of the time, you can certainly see why, um, in this case, they thought to, they had, they felt they had to charge him with that. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, it's, it's not your usual thing. It's, yeah, each gram in a separate container. Yeah. So... Anything else on Duggan and Sheik here before we move on to the next subject? I think that's it, but also that reminds me I need to look. There's another book I think I need to open up too. But go ahead. Also this past week, Jim Barnett, whose official title was Director of Operation for Titan Sports, attempted to commit suicide. Apparently at one point it was touch and go whether or not he pulled through after an apparent self-induced overdose on pills. Barnett, who is 62, is probably one of the most well-known names within the map business. A graduate of Harvard, Barnett got into the business with Fred Cole in Chicago in the early 1950s, and for the most past, most of the past three and a half decades, was one of the most powerful promoters in the business. His reputation within the business was one of always being in the right place at the right time. Others say Barnett had a tremendous knack for building up a promotion in a big way, short term, and always needed a bailout just for his hot shining ways would burn the territory. Kohler and Barnett attempted a national promotion through their exposure on the old Dumont network in the early 50s. But after losing the network television, the business dropped off. He resurfaced in Detroit and gave them a few big years before the bottom fell in the early 1960s. Barnett then went to Australia, where he's alleged to have made millions for leaving due to tax problems, and resurfaced in Atlanta. Barnett was in charge of George Church of Wrestling during his glory days of the late 70s, before losing out in the power struggle to Ole Anderson in 1982 or 83. He wound up with Titan, once again popping up in the right place at the right time. Boy, you can only imagine what kind of uh, gems O'Connor would have had on this story. <laughs> but, uh, oh, O'Connor did give me uh, one gem on uh, the Duggan Sheik thing, Bex, that he wanted me to come to, to bring. He said, um, Sheik and Duggan were fortunate the cops didn't take apart the Persian clubs with a Delto blender, or it may have escalated into a DEA case. <laughs> um. Barnett, 
I mean, this, wasn't this like always perceived as like a cry for help or cry for attention? It, that's – I mean, yes. I think we know these days you can't really look at it like that. At the time, yeah, that's kind of how everyone took it. I am trying to find the right part of J.J. Uh, Dillon's book that talks about this because that's where I think a lot of the uh, – a lot of where it comes from. But go ahead. I mean – the information we oh, have about this, I mean. Yeah. That's st that still happens today, though. I mean, there are people that, you know, threaten to commit suicide or try to commit suicide but are really not trying to succeed because they're trying to send that cry for help out. That still happens. Yes. You know? Um, so, I mean, but, but I mean, that's, that shows you how, you know, I mean, some people, that's their way of, of trying to uh, – trying to, to send that message and luckily for them they don't actually succeed in doing it but some actually do which which is the sad part you know yeah Where people actually do kill themselves when they don't really mean to so um okay i'm trying to find the actual right part of the book uh because yeah i'm not finding it okay so my recollection is that, as J.J. described it, Barnett had made a comment to friends about how simply he missed living in Atlanta. Just, that's what he considers his hometown at that point. He misses living in Atlanta. This gets back to Vince. Vince is in one of his moods. And is just like, you want to move back to Atlanta? Fine, you're fired. And then apparently yeah. that's what led to this. Yeah. Um, Which is fucked up. Yeah. Um, is I mean, it's interesting what Dave talks about leaving territories at the right time or whatever and stuff like that. I mean, even involuntarily leaving. I mean, Georgia. I mean, he was unceremoniously uh, removed from power, but... It's when he leaves is when they start going downhill, you know. Yeah. Um, WWF, he leaves there and they don't go downhill, but they start changing, and it's not as big as it was in a way when he leaves. But then he goes to WCW, and it's WCW everybody for the whole time he's there. So there's that. But well, we also. <laughs> We don't really know what he was doing in day to day by this point in WWF, was he? Do we? Um, I think he was basically doing what he was doing in WCW. Okay, being just kind of an advisor because he's Jim Barnett. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Okay, I found it. He's Jim Barnett. That's his job. Yes. Hold on. Why am I? Because I'm reading this in the web Kindle interface. Uh. All right. Uh. Okay. Let me see if there's anything I'm not... Okay. Giving background on Jim. Uh, he was very... Okay. He... Uh, okay, Jim was gone by the time I got to WWF, but I used to hear stories about how he decorated his office with antiques. He was very particular about how everything was placed. Of course, that just made him a target of Pat Patterson, Terry Garvin, who would sneak into his office and move everything around just to torment him. In May 1987, Jim made a statement about how much he liked living in Atlanta. 
Pat Patterson passed the statement along to Vince at a time when Vince was in one of his moods. He confronted Jim with something like, I was told you'd rather be in Atlanta than here, so I don't want to stand in your way. You want to go? As of today, you're free to go. Jim, whose life was inter intricately tied to the wrestling business, was devastated by the news. He went home and took an overdose of sleeping pills. When Terry Garvin went to Jim's apartment to check on him, he saw that Jim was unconscious and called 911. Terry and Pat both had a good laugh at how pitiful Jim looked as he was being carted out to the ambulance. Of course they did. And how about the, how about those two being the ones, huh? Uh, having said that, I have to add that I have a tremendous amount of respect for Pat. Vince gets a lot of credit for things Pat did. He's an extremely gifted individual. Of all the bookers I've ever worked with, I would have to say he was the best. Much of the credit for the success of WWF should go to Pat Patterson, and he doesn't get the credit he deserves for what he contributed. I always felt uh, that Pat knew Vince's likes and dislikes and gave Vince the things he liked by the shovel fool, but he also knew how to effectively communicate with Vince, and few others ever mastered that ability. Then it was into how Jerry Jarrett, one of, the, one of those people, etc., etc. So, yeah. Shitty situation. Yeah. So. Yeah, well, there is some good news in Titan land during our week. There is? Yes. Titan also made a couple of major acquisitions this past week, and Rick Rude and the Midnight Rockers, both of whom held world tag titles in the NWA and NWA respectively. As mentioned last week, Rude disappeared prior to this past weekend with no reason given. Although Day doesn't have it confirmed, he believes Rude will start for Titan at their TV tapings on June the 2nd or June the 3rd in Buffalo or Rochester. Vladimir Pietrov suffered, subbed for Rude, suffered, he did suffer, subbed for Rude in a title match on May 24th in Chicago. While the TV tapings on May 26th, it was announced that Koloff, Ivan Koloff, be taking Rude's place as Van Fernandez's partner as the NWA World Tag Champions. Rude's disappearance was announced at both the tape. Things. Also, this weekend's TBS is being due to an injury, which sets them up to look bad if Rude starts appearing for Titan on the two within two weeks. And we'll, I mean, we'll have more on this in the um, Crockett section. But, um, I mean, yeah, that's exactly what they do. And they, they do an interesting way of uh, talking about how the titles changed hands. Um, let me make sure that's in that section before I mention it here. Um, we'll wait and mention it there. So we'll 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 wait and talk about how the how the creatively they got on that. But Rude Rude's TV debut, let's see here, would have been uh, his first his first house show match was June the seventh in Sacramento. Um, he 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 doesn't work those first to June tapings. He works a dart match on the twenty third in Indianapolis. He works a dart match in Louisville on the twenty fourth. Um. He's not on a TV match until July 15th in Glens Falls, New York. And the tapings there for the August 1st episode of Superstars. So, yeah, I mean, he doesn't appear on TV for a full two months. So Crockett dodged a bullet there big time, you know? Yeah, and you know what else also happens at those tapings? What's that, Bix? The promos about how Rick Martell's partner queeped. <laughs> they sure did now the Rockers at least lost their AWA tag titles on their last night in the circuit on May 25th in Lake Tahoe Nevada to Boris Zukov and Soldat don't call me Peter Usenoff also known as Jim Lanning on May 30th at a Titan card in St. Paul Civic Center after a match between the Hart Foundation and the British Bulldogs 
The Rockers shot the sparse crowd by coming out after the match and challenging the foundation to a title match. While Dave doesn't think Rude's loss has any real effect on the NWA, the Rockers were the most important act in lean drawn cards in most of the AWA cities. It's quite obvious that one of the reasons they must have looked so appealing to Titan was that Titan failed recently in their attempt to sign the AWA's other leading talent, Kurt Henning, after Henning at one point committed to joining the WWF. How many fucking times did Kurt Henning commit to joining another promotion and stay in the AWA in this era, huh? On Crockett, at least twice. And here's the WWF. Also at least twice. Yes. And then he finally leaves in 88. This week's TV table should give us a good idea on how the new talent like the Rockers, Rip Rude, Teddy Biasi, and Bam Bam Bigelow will be used. With a stable as big as Titans, they really don't even have to acknowledge that anyone isn't around. So Dave's guess is Duggan and Sheik's name simply won't be mentioned. There's going to be lots of upset fans around the country with both Duggan and Jake Roberts missing dates. Roberts will probably appear in the snake panel tapings this week, but won't be back in the ring for a while as he's undergoing shoulder surgery on June the 4th, in which case he won't be back in the ring until August. Come on the heels of also Duggan, leaves tight without any headline babyface in current feuds that can draw besides Hogan, since Steamboat and Savage should be finishing up shortly. It'll take a while before they can heat up a rival for Steamboat. This may be the time for Randy Savage to make his turn. Uh, yes. Yes, it is. And that, you know, that's an interesting point in all this. I mean, do we know if the plan was to turn Savage at this point in time? Or was, you know, this something they called on the fly to make up for Duggan and Jake not being around? Because it is interesting how the Savage turn comes about kind of quickly, isn't it? Yes, and also they probably noticed how at WrestleMania in spite of all the heavy heat angles and stuff going into that match, he gets a gigantic baby face pop for his entrance. The fans won the cheer. Yes. I mean, they were cheering him before then. And and they won the cheer him, so it was an easy turn to make. But I also kind of wondered, though, how long... I mean, they would have turned him baby face, but how long would it have been... If it's not for this, would they drug it out? You know? So, but anyway. It was the right time. Uh, it was the right time. Actually, Dave doesn't look for any heavy emphasis on either Bigelow or DiBiase, the current taping, since it won't be available full-time until August because of the Japan commitments. The arrival of the Rockers may spell doom for the future prospects of Rip Martell and Tom Zink, who just didn't get over nearly as well as many of us thought they would. If you recall, when Martell and Zink arrived, the Rougeau brothers were getting the big push, which ended abruptly. It's quite obvious all Titans teams and the fans' eyes have no drawn power on their own and are considered interchangeable. For the Rockers to get over, they'll have to quickly win the belts or they'll quickly fall into the same category. And this, li- this last sentence is interesting. I, they can't imagine Rude as anything more than a freelance guy here. Wow. Wow. He had been improving, but the things that make him a top-level heel aren't quite there yet. Okay, well, here's the thing. Okay. Do you think if if they didn't put him with Heenan and had him with somebody else, he would have got over as much as he did? I think it gave him more credibility. Uh, well, that, and I think Heenan was perfect for his act. Yes. The the whole Root Awakening stuff, Heenan was perfect for that. We if have they another put him winner. Like, what, what, what if they put him with Slick? Yeah. Or Mr. Fuji. Now Jimmy Hart, they had they had experience working together, and they probably would have done well. But Heenan was the perfect manager for Rick Root in the WWF. Yes, in WWF, absolutely. So that one, you know, definitely helped out. But 
I mean, look at what they've added here in the, in the last couple of weeks in talent. Although the Rockers, you know, last one week for getting fired, but you get, you know, Rude, Bigelow, DiBiase. I mean, that's that's some big, you know, names to join a roster which, I mean, WrestleMania after WrestleMania three needed this overhaul, needed new blood in the worst way. And Duggan was supposed to be a big part of that. And then he fucked up. I mean, they they desperately needed this these pieces of talent to come in. Because WrestleMania three is still that it's still the, the last of that holdover of the rock and wrestling stuff. Yeah. You know? This is when the new WWF is starting to get going. The the new the new era, the DiBiase era. Uh you know, him being the million dollar man lead heel and all that stuff. So yeah, they desperately need this new talent. All right. Louisville, Kentucky, May twenty fifth at the Louisville Gardens in front of two thousand fans. We have Outback Jack over Steve Lombardi, Ron Bass over S.D. Jones, the Islanders over Morocco and Orton, Can-Ams over Kamala and Sika. That's a match. Bruce Beefcake over Johnny V. And then Steel Cage match for the tag titles. The Hart Foundation retained over the British Bulldogs. Pittsburgh on the 29th through 7923 $68,780.50 gate. Or the smallest crowd for a Hulk Hogan appearance since the modern era began. Results saw S.D. Jones over Dave Barbie. Tiger Chung Lee over Sam Houston. If you don't think there's pressure on Houston to go on steroids, read this result again and think about it. <laughs> Lanny Poff over Jimmy Jack Funk. Harley Race over Jerry Allen. Something for Dick Slater, who has definitely quit. He quit. Demolition over Killer Bees. Best match on the car. Oh, there's Dick Slater. He's a rebel, so he quit. George Steele over Nikolai Volkov by Countout. Butch Reed over Tito in a good match. We're slick and a fear. And Hulk Hogan at Coco Beware, something for an injured Jake the Snake Bee, Honky Tonk Man at Kamala, when Hulk and Kamala with a leg drop. I want to see that match. <laughs> That's Memphis as shit. You know? Yeah. I mean, really. That match could have took place in, in, in a you know time span in, between 1979 and early 1980. Because all, all four of those guys were in Memphis in and around that time period. Yeah. Now the other crew, the other crew was in Winnipeg at Winnipeg Arena in front of eight thousand fans on May twenty ninth. Iron Sheik and Kim Patera didn't play places advertised. Gee, I wonder why. But we had Brad Rangins over Rick Renslow, Ron Bass over Outback Jack, Bruce Buchanan and the Rougeaus over the New Dream Team and Johnny Valiant. Hart Foundation retained the tag titles, beating the British Bulldogs by DQ, and then Steamboat over Savage in a steel cage to retain the IC title. C.B. Offie missed several bookings after being injured when Bam Bam Bigelow's nuclear splash connected too well. Oh, I bet that, that that felt good. Which leads us to Baltimore on May 30th at the Baltimore Arena. Lanny Poff over Terry Gibbs. Jerry Allen, someone for Dick Slater, over Jimmy Jeff Funk. Sam Houston over Tiger Chung Lee. How about that, Dave? He beat Tiger Chung Lee on this show. Islanders over Morocco and Orton. Danny Davis over Coco Beware by Countout. Kamala over George Animal Steel by disqualification. Honky over Corporal Kirshner, something for Jake Snake. And Hogan retained the title being King Harley Race. Okay. Um, I thought that Pittsburgh match with Coco as a sub rang a bell. Um, 
someone must have really liked that match. I need to check when this other one's taped. Because they end up, unless it was taped earlier, they end up doing this on at a TV taping as a dark match for Coliseum Video. For Best of WWF Volume 13, Hogan and Coco versus Honky Talk Man and Kamala. I don't even remember that being on a video. Actually, wait wow. a second. This review I'm reading says it, well, it was supposed to be Jake. Huh. Well, well, there you go. So, wait a second, but this is a house show, right? This Pittsburgh is, yeah. Okay, I'm curious. Pro wrestling, because probably the easiest way to check is to go to Jason Campbell's video listings, because I think, I think that has um the date when available to match. Okay, VOL 13, or... You said best of the, you said best of W thirteen. Yeah. Uh you mean best of WWF pal. Yeah. Oh, right. Hogan, and, Co- Hogan and Coco. Hogan and Coco over Kamala and Honky Tonk on June the second in Buffalo. Okay. So he would he would have missed something, something for Jake. Oh wait, I just realized Jake is suspend secretly suspended, isn't he? Oh no, not uh, yet, because we don't have the cocaine he, testing yet. No, this is the injury. Yeah, he's yeah. A- actually injured. So this must have been so, an yeah. advertised match, and they're using Coco as his replacement yeah. everywhere. Okay. Yeah, it's you know right before that the end of our week because that's the taping that Honky beat Steamboat to win the title. Mm-hmm. I see title. All right, back to uh, May thirtieth. The other crew is in St. Paul. So how about they have to have a St. Paul show and Hogan's not there? And drew three thousand fans. As Steamboat beat Savage in a cage match, good match about eight minutes. Hearts over Bulldogs by DQ after which came the challenge from the Rockers. Campatera of a killer con, negative two stars. Brutus and Rujos over New Dream Team and Johnny V. Ron Bass over Outback Jack and Hibble Jim over Iron Mike Sharp. 3,000 fans in the St. Paul Civic Center. And it's not a whole lot more than AWA was drawing. So that's not that's not good. And with Savage and Steamboat in the cage, Hearts and Bulldogs, I mean, two long term feuds. Yes. But um... Hogan's not there. And we're not far removed from the Bulldogs being tag champs and actual draws, too. Yeah, so but, yeah. that's, I mean, the other two titles on the line with that name value, that's about as good as he can do name value-wise atop a non-Hogan show in this era. Yeah. That's interesting. JYD and Paul Ondorf will return in mid-June. Ondorf didn't have a shoulder surgery that was recommended. So he took just about 11 weeks off. They're giving JYD another chance, which kind of surprises Dave. Yeah, Orndor should have had that damn shoulder surgery, shouldn't he? Well, is it even shoulder surgery or is it neck surgery that he's putting off? Well, it was for the atrophied arm, wasn't it? Yeah, I, presumably, but I think he hadn't had the underlying neck issue dealt with yet. Either way, it's... Uh, it's the, the same surgery. thing. It's the same it, issue. It's a surgery he didn't, he, he didn't have that he need to have. Yes. But he 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 did not want to miss on that money, which I understand. But Jesus the Christ, biggest run of his career, yeah, man. It's also just it's different in that era, though, because he just made the biggest money of his career. But he knows he's going to be off a long time if he gets the surgery. And it's 1987, so he's not guaranteed shit. And he was off 11 weeks anyway. Yeah. So should have had the fucking surgery. Yes. Which, oh, also, to hear more about uh, that and urban legends and stuff, patreon.com slash Between the Sheets, the WrestleMania 3 show. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Dick Slater has missed many, if not all, of his recent Titan bookings. The day doesn't have his departure confirmed. Well, it was. All right, let's go to some clips, shall we? And uh, we talked about the Can-Ams earlier. Well, 
They're involved in an angle on superstars during our week. So let's go to a babyface match between the Islanders and the Can-Am Connection. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. Now, at this point, they already are Haku and Tama, but they're still babyfaces, right? Oh, yeah, they've been Haku and Tama for months. Okay. I forget, was there an explanation of that? Uh, There may have been, but, I mean, it basically started at the tail end of 86 or 87. They okay. changed the names. Is this the debut of their long, of their uh, knee tights? Here's the speed of the Islander team. No. Ooh, okay, that'd be more than a baby. And Zink, mm-hmm. Zink behind. Tama rolls up on two. No, can't get it. Can't get it. You know, the unique thing I see on the Islanders, I don't know how anyone can wrestle barefoot. What's that? What is Bobby Heenan doing? What in the world? Bobby Heenan. Heenan's out in the corner of Martel Zink. Look out from behind. <laughs> yeah, the Islanders hammering away on Martel and Zink. What's going on? What's going on? <laughs> the legal man in the ring. Ooh, look at that. That ring does not budge is incredibly disturbing to watch 35 Tama. years later. With Zink. <laughs> Scoops him up. Oh, slams him outside. What's he going to do now? Oh, no. What a move. Diving headbutt off the apron by Tama. Yeah. I don't believe this. What is going on? The Islanders? My goodness. <laughs> I think Haku Tama Rick Martell over to help out we may have a count out here I don't that's it oh look at that I believe gentlemen you're seeing your new tag team and you knew it all along Jesse you knew it you knew it all along hey I'll be honest that's right I knew I knew but I wasn't saying the winners nothing. of this vote as a result of a countout, the Islanders! I told you Bobby the Brain Heenan had a new tag team, and that's it, the Islanders. And these guys are going to go places with Heenan. The Islanders, victorious over Martel Zink. My goodness, what a turn of events here for Bobby the Brain Heenan and the Islanders. Standing by now, ladies and gentlemen. And there, we'll go back now. What a ooh, ah. We'll be back after the update. It was something that needed to happen. They, they, they needed to turn heel, the Islanders. And it worked because, I mean, Heenan was great as their manager, but both of them turned out to be really good heel wrestlers. More so Tama than Haku, but... Holy shit, did they come out of their shell immediately. Yes. But that, this is also the most personality that Haku ever showed was in this team. Mm-hmm. And they were a they were also just a much better working tag team as heels, too. Yeah. You know, they like they're they're not bad as baby faces, but 
you know, they do not have, they do not come close to having the level of matches they had as heels where, you know, this feud obviously doesn't last long because Zank isn't long for this promotion. Yes, he quit. Well, excuse me. Rick Martel's partner quit. Yes. They never say Tom Zank. They just say Rick Martel's partner, your partner, my partner. He quit. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, they basically restart everything to use by using the Islanders as the catalyst for strike force forming. And there are people who are fans of it, including you and me in ring, especially in the eighties, one of the best, if the, not the best in ring WWF feud that barely anyone talks about. Yeah. Fantastic. They had some absolutely phenomenal matches together, especially the, what is it? November 87 Boston garden, I think. Yeah. Which is one of the very best WWF matches of the eighties. So, they, I mean, they were good. And Which then, uh, John, Mc, John McAdam and I talked about on the uh, Exxon Bash Street Boston Garden show. Yeah, I, I he, believe, was a, he, considers he was it there. One, he considers it one of the best matches he's ever seen live, if I remember right. And he's seen a lot, yeah. So. yeah. And then, of course, just Tom is still very young, and that ends up being his undoing. And the undoing of the tag team. Because yeah. Sam, at this point, is what, 21, 22? Um, yeah. Yeah, he's he's around that age. He's he's 21 and a half. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, if he did not have too much too soon, and if it did not get to his head the way it did, on talent and personality and everything, that guy could have been the biggest star in the whole family. Oh, absolutely. He he was a, a fantastic talent because he 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 had charisma that the other ones didn't have. Yeah, in what in many ways. His brother Salofa would eventually get there, but it took a, took a long time. Yes, it took a, it took a while. I mean, he he's only, immediately. I mean, he's only fifty six right now. I don't know. You know, because so, yeah, he was, so he was. It's October eleventh, sixty five. So yeah, I mean he's he's working WWE shows at seventeen. Mm-hmm. As Samoan four, yeah. Although not on TV or anything, but no, no, no. He's eighteen when he's on TV. All right, so we got more from TV. Let's we have an update on superstar Billy Graham's health condition. So let's get that from Craig DeGeorge. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to uh, warn you, those who are a little bit on the squeamish side, a little faint of heart or whatever, you would not want to see this because this is an actuality. The operation that took place, the hip replacement operation of superstar Billy Graham. So be forewarned, please. Vince is still in your gimmick. Continuing our special report on superstar Billy Graham, the former World Wrestling Federation heavyweight champ faced massive hip surgery... Just to be clear, this is a special report, not to be confused with, from the world pages of the World Wrestling Federation magazine, here's update. <laughs> yes, like I said, Vince was still in your gimmick of giving disclaimers out. Oh. So and what his doctor called the end of his wrestling career. With a new metal hip, Graham would be fortunate just to walk like a healthy man again. Wrestling, simply out of the question. We talked with the superstar just prior to his operation, and it seemed like, well, it seemed like we were talking about two different cases. Superstar Billy Graham right here, just ready hours minutes away from the operation the doctor said you'll never wrestle again the critics said the greatest surgeons in the world says you walk 
the superstar, your wrestling career is over. But I'm here to tell you, doctors, I'm here to tell the critics, I'll wear the tie-dye t-shirts, I'll wear the tie-dye wristbands again, superstar Billy Graham. I'll put the boots on again. I've been slain, I've been cut down, but no man, no surgeon, nobody can keep the superstar down. I'm coming back. There's a good reason as to why doctors said Graham should never wrestle again. We'll show you that now. It's part of his hip surgery. And I do want to warn you, this footage is graphic and visually explicit, and some of you may want to turn your heads. Makes you going to turn your head? No. I mean, they, it's very graphic. I mean, they go in there. Yes, although most of what they're showing is isolated enough that it's not nearly as bad as it would be if you saw, like, the incision and stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? This is worse. That one's worse. But yeah. well, while skeptics and doctors were talking retirement, Superstar preferred another word, comeback. And as amazing as it may seem, Billy Graham is not kidding around. The recovery is underway. And I met Graham recently on his training grounds in the mountains of Arizona. You have done it all, certainly, in the World Wrestling Federation. You're champion for four years. What can be gained? Oh, oh, you need a hand. Oh, no, don't touch me. I'm going to make it. I don't care if I got to crawl. I don't care if I fall. I'm going to get to the top of this mountain, and I'm not going to have any help from anybody. I'm going to conquer it. As determined as ever, fighting logic and nature, perhaps, the superstar's recovery is moving along. Oh, oh. Superstar, take it easy. Don't hurt yourself. Don't worry it. about it. I'm gonna do it. I can do it. I know I can do it. Do it more at once. Ow! Ow! Next week, the latest on the incredible comeback effort of the superstar Billy Graham. That was a little something uh, different, huh? Hey, I'll tell you, it looked like the doctor used a claymore mine instead of a scalpel. The following contest is scheduled for one fall. Uh, superstar, man, God, was he dark. <laughs> oh, with his tan in this era? Woo! Yeah, I mean, good lord. He, I mean, he's burnt <laughs> to a crisp, basically. Um, what did you think about these videos, the Superstar Billy Graham comeback videos they were doing here? I think it's Vince being like, ah, he lied to us about how his hip was. God, gotta get some, something out of this. I guess. But, I mean, there was no way to build up for him to make a big in-ring comeback. You know he does. No. But, but yeah, I mean, it was interesting, definitely, to watch this at the time. So. Yeah. All right. So, also from Superstars, Killer Khan's on his way in. And what an intro video they have for him here. So, let's uh, watch that. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we'll take you to uh, a bit of video. And uh, the subject matter of the video is Killer Khan. I think certainly easy to say, one of the more unusual talents in the World Wrestling Federation. Killer Khan, former grand champion, sumo wrestler from Japan. With strong, strong leg, strong arm, tendon power, strong neck, and mind of devil make opponents suffer. If I say to strangle up on it, he will. If I say to rip up arm, he will. Ladies and gentlemen, this contest Pause. is scheduled for one fall. I love Fuji wearing the demolition makeup for that and his full tuxedo for that skit. Yes. 
<laughs> Killer Khan looks so weird in this era here. <clears throat> With his uh, bigger uh, amount of hair on the back of his head. Mm. It just... I don't know. It worked. I mean, him and Hogan did business. Yeah. Big business. You know? Are they billing uh, him as Japanese here instead of Mongolian, though? Japanese sumo. But from Mongolia. Okay, so they're billing him as a Mongolian who had been a su- sumo. So, no. Okay. And he, he was a legit sumo, right? Just not super high level. Oh, yeah. And, and one thing we didn't notice, how, uh, Duggan appeared on the on the May 3rd of Superstars four days after he was arrested. So oh. days, at, days after it was in the newspapers, too. So that that's great timing. All right. Uh, so we close out with update. And uh, we're going to see how the ice cream bars are made with some special guests. So let's go to that clip, shall we? From the pages of the World Wrestling Federation magazine, here's Here's Update with Craig DeGeorge. Hi, everyone. I love how in this era, especially the DeGeorge era, and Okerlund before him, too, they're always reading the magazine when the segment starts as if they're doing their research. I, I always dig this set, too. Yes. Ron, we are going to take a break from the serious issues we've been covering here on Update, and certainly thanks the to what? our producers for lightening it up a bit. I mean, even serious. news magazines do cover stories on things like ice cream, for example, which brings us to the Update. You know, stores around the country now sell the WWF superstars of wrestling ice cream bars, and we thought it might be interesting to take a behind-the-scenes look at how these are made. And who better to take us on this tour than George the Animal Steel? Well, it all starts out at, yes, the ice cream factory. And here's George decked out in that good-looking cap, of course, getting the plan set for his big tour. Needless to say, he's been looking forward to this day for some time. Keep in mind now, though, the animal is not here just to get a look at how the bar is put together, no. He's also around to inspect the plant, to sort of stamp his seal of approval, if you will. Here, the cookie being body slammed to the ice cream. And George certainly knows a good body slam when he sees one. From there, it's on to the luscious chocolate coating stage, when the ice cream executes a perfect step-over toehold on the chocolate. (laughs) With chocolate, cookie, and ice cream now intact, the bar is ready for testing. What do you think about that, George? It tastes fine, but George isn't satisfied yet. He keeps his watchful eye out now, making sure the plastic seal is tucked neatly around the bar. And oh yes, it can't be complete without this beautifully executed small package hold. Well, what more can be said? Thanks, George. With update, I'm Greg DeGeorge. The biggest bike store in Montreal. Ooh. <laughs> That's an interesting look at the what the ice cream's made, you know? Yeah, and I, I'm sure automation has changed a bit in the last 35 years, but also seeing how the cookie's being placed manually and all that, you, you get an idea why these are considered difficult and expensive to make and why they don't really exist anymore. Okay, well, one reason you don't have people to 
born in 2000 types of jobs anymore. Right. <laughs> so well, and we should note, though, this ice cream bar did get repurposed as the Rugrats ice cream bar for several years, at least. Yeah. But that hasn't existed for a long time. And even, you know, WWE eventually made their thing and it was basically just a cookie sandwich. And yeah. when Punk paid to get that shop to make the ice cream bars for his AEW debut, um, it was just a regular chocolate dipped ice cream bar, if I remember. When you would yeah, think w- that if w- it was feasible. Yeah, WWE was good humor. Yeah, WWE got hooked up with good humor. So The current deal is good humor, you mean? Yes, yes. Because it was Gold Bond for these, which I believe then became part of Good Humor. Yeah. Now, as far as the comment in stores, we've about it, excuse me about it being in stores. We've talked about this previously. You said you've seen you saw these in like full size supermarkets, right? Oh, we had them down here. I remember we bought I bought some, or my parents bought some. I never ever saw this or your other, you know, Good Humor novelties like ice cream cart, ice cream truck type stuff. Anywhere other than like a small grocery store, like a bodega or something like that. Well, I, yeah, I mean, it could have it could have been in a gas station or something. But I remember eating them. Okay, and not just getting them at like an ice cream truck or whatever. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, we we didn't have ice cream trucks. So. Well, Chris, where am I from? And particularly, where what what part of the area am I from? I am from a, I am from a beach town in the New York City. Area. I know. <laughs> I mean, I mean, they were around, but it was rare. Yes, and. There must have been some knowledge that there were not a lot of these two. The thing I remember is growing up for at least a couple years, like in the early, late 80s, early 90s, the ice cream cart people on the beach had a thing where if you got one of the WWF ice cream bars, and I believe if it was if you had Hogan on the cookie, I forget if it was Hogan on the cookie or Hogan as the trading card. I think it was Hogan on the cookie. Then you got another bar free. So yeah. why is the most popular wrestler the least common cookie art? I don't know. But clearly that's why that was the way it was. Yep, yeah, so there you go. We start with start with drugs and then with ice cream. Where was Federation, everybody? Think Duggan had the munchies? Cheeky did. Cheeky wasn't the one who was doing uh, the marijuana, though. Yeah, but he was always hungry. Right, let's go international now, and we begin with the Land of the Rising Sun and All Japan Pro Wrestling, where in response to the rumors regarding Tenuka Nichiro wanting to lead the promotion, he wants to face Jumbo Sharuta and Hiroshi Wajima in singles matches, and Giant Baba doesn't want to do those. Tenra said he won't tag with Jumbo anymore, and that he would give him an instigator if he's forced to tag with him on June 9th against the Road Warriors. This is all angle. I mean, this is setting up Tenra's heel turn. Basically what this is. So... Which, I mean, with Shoshu, I mean, here's the thing. When All Japan has had a major departure, they had to, they, they did find a way to do something major to make up for it and, and start a new generation of All Japan. Tenru here turns heel and in the wake of Shoshu leaving. And then three years later, when Tenru leaves, let's take the mask off Masawa. And, ch- and change the, change our structures. And also new groups, because that leads to revolution here, yeah. and then Super Generation mm-hmm. Army later. Rekawada's yeah. part of both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Actually, is was, well, wait, Fuyuki, when he leaves, yeah, he's a heel. So. They've, no, no, they've already turned, they've already turned. He's already, uh, they've already broke up with him by then. 
That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. They kicked it. They kicked him out of Revolution. Oh, he was kicked out of Revolution even before the. Mm-hmm. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So. But yeah, so Tenra is getting ready to uh, form revolution here. And another problem to this group's long list, as opening night of the most recent series drew a pathetic 4.7 rating on television. With the worst lineup of foreigners in recent memory, coupled with a non-charismatic group of Japanese wrestlers, doesn't add up to much. Well, let's read these results, and then we'll talk about that. Uh, this is TV taping from Takamatsu at the Citizen Cultural Center in front of uh, 3,300 fans on May 30th. Opening match, Toshiaki Kawada over Yoshinari Ogawa. Motoshi Okuma over Harusa Noda. Masafuchi and Asao Takagi over Haruka Aiken and Asama Teranishi. Mighty Inoue went to double count with Asama Teranishi. This match right here. Giant Baba, Takashi Shikawa, and Tiger Mask 2, Misawa, defeated the six-man team of Brady Boone, Russia Kimura, and George Weingroff. Followed up by John Tenta over Carl von Steiger, who's old as dirt. Shinichi Nakano and Yoshiaki Yatsu over Goshirumi and Shurahara. Greg Kabuki and Jumbo Shiruta over Jason the Terrible and Torquemada. More on them in a second. And Tenuka Nichiro and Hiroshi Wajima over Texas Red and Tiger Jeet Singh. And Texas Red, if I'm not mistaken, is our dear friend, Cousin Luke, Gene Lewis. Uh, from my reports, Dave says Jason, Butch Moffat, is doing really well in this tour, as is Brady Boone. The rest, particularly Tor Kamada, are looking awful. Kamada was a major star here in the 70s and once even held the PWF title. But he's now 51 years old and hasn't wrestled in a few years. Why? Why are they booking Tor Kamada and Carl Von Steiger here? Why? I don't know. The Carl Von Steiger who began his career in April of 1960. And this is May 1987. And Torquemada, I mean, he had been a fairly big star in all Japan. In the 70s? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is one of the most interesting times in Japanese wrestling history because this, at the same time period, New Japan's having their TV issues, although Choshu's back, but he can't be on TV. But they're having their TV issues. All Japan is having their TV problems. Very interesting time here in Japanese wrestling history. Yeah, everyone's kind of in flux. Yeah, absolutely. Oof. All right, New Japan. The latest target day for Riki Choshu to debut is June the 12th in Tokyo against Tatsumi Fujinami, which is supposed to be the semifinal, but the match with all the interest, to the IJVGP Tournament Championship match, which will probably send Inoki against either Masaido or, can you believe this, Cog of the Barbarian. Well, it's Masaido. So... Yeah, Choshu coming back is a major shot in the arm for New Japan at this point in time. Holy shit. Huge. They need Hurt that. all Japan. Yeah, hurt all Japan, but it helped New Japan in a major way. Speaking of Kenya Believes, the next series from June 29th to April 2nd will feature Bam Bam Bigelow, where Dave gets this will be his final Japan tour before going full-time to Titan. Dr. Destiny Williams, who Dave's almost certain will cancel since he missed the Bash tour, and they're building up some big things for him in the EWF. He does cancel. Bad News Allen. Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer. Mike Moore, a six foot five three and twenty pounder who doesn't have much experience, and Mike Moore being Motor City Man Man. And get this. The Dingo Warrior. Dingo is getting big build up, which just shows just how little Sakaguchi knows about who is good or bad in the ring on the US mats. Mm, okay. 
was this he doesn't end up coming but he was gonna be vader with the original idea for mm-hmm. vader um and ends up going to the wwf instead Mm-hmm. yeah so i'm guessing maybe this would have been like his test test tour to see how he would do possibly because i don't think they're gonna put the vader gimmick on him here so i don't know but what a group that is huh good lord all right akira maeda returned on may 25th in sendai and teamed with nopi katakata to retain their iwgp world tag championships beating yoshiki fujiwara and kazuo yamazaki in 15-15 but maeda suffered a broken breastbone legit from a kick to the heart don't these guys know us to work from Yamazaki on, on the show? And we'll have an operation this week. Also in this show, Antonio Nuki may say so submit and Kong of the Barbarian pin Scott Hall, who isn't getting over well here at all. All right, let's read the full results in front of 4820 at, at the Miyaki Professional Sports Center. We have our opening match of Masahiro Chono over Dynamite Chris Fix. Chris Benoit. Dynamite and Tashashigoto over Shunji Kasugi and Yuji Fanaki. Scott's Fanaki. Buffalo Peterson, Max Payne, over Shinyashimoto. Osamu Kido over Killer Tim Brooks. Well, the, new, the foreigners on this story ain't that hot either. Alexis Shmirnoff and Hacksaw Higgins over Katara Hoshino and Umanaseki Ueda. Then Barbarian over Scott Hall in IWGP League match. Masaino and Tony St. Clair over George Takano and King Okamura. Mayan and Takano retain the tag titles over Yamazaki and Fujiwara. And then Inoki over Sakaguchi in their IWGP League match. Now, May 30th in Kagoshima, before 3140, saw Saito and Super Strong Machine beat King Kamura and George Takano, and then Machine Kunia Kobayashi beat Katara Hoshino and Seishan Gucci. Fujiwara attacked and bloodied up Choshu as he appeared at ringside before the main event. All right, results of this show, Yuji Fanaki over Akira Nagami, Don Arakawa over Shinyashimoto, Nuranaga and Hiro Saito over Tatsushigoto and Shinji Kazugi. Killer Tim Brooks over Masiro Chono. Buffalo Peterson over Haxel Higgins by DQ. Scott Hall, Tony St. Clair over Samakito and Nobuhiko Takata. Yoshaka Fujiwara over Alexei Smirnoff. That's a fucking match. Kunio Kobayashi Super Strong Machine over Katara Hoshino and Seisakuchi. Saito and Strong Machine over Ken Kamura and George Takata by Kano. And then Anoki over Barbarian in the BGP League match. Any thoughts? Interesting assortment with the foreigners. <laughs> and both. I mean, what a time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I guess it's because Crocus and put the kibosh, except for Barbarian. Oh, guys going over there. So, and the territory scene is not what it was. So. Yeah. Um, also interesting. kind of slim pickings. He's a. I mean, he's a bigger guy, but it's interesting seeing how Daryl Peterson is getting this push already of sorts over his fellow dojo class members. Yeah. Because that would be Benoit, Funaki, Brian Adams, who else? That's the main ones of that crew, yeah. Uh-uh. So, yeah. Uh, speaking of Dojo Boys, Hiroshi Ase and Shinji Sasaki, one of Choshu's prelim guys, are headed to Calgary as a new Miyakong Express. Hase was on a TV interview and challenged Takata for a match in Calgary. I don't believe that happens. No. No, it doesn't. He works Yamada, but he doesn't work at Takata. Yes, and later in the year, 
they do a split and he unmasks and he's babyface Hiroshi Hase. Uh, yes. Uh, All Japan Women, this group has now drawn better TV ratings than the male groups. It does surprise me because as we talk about, the male groups are having problems at this point in time. So the women, they're putting this kick-ass television out there. So, uh, yeah, I, I can see why. Is that a weekly show, though, or is it a monthly show by this point? I think it's weekly. Okay. So, yeah, good for them. Um, Japan will be holding this women's amateur wrestling freestyle tournament on June 21st in Tokyo, and women pro wrestlers will be eligible to compete. The established promotion will be uh, sending several wrestlers to the tournament. It's quite amazing that pro promotion, especially if one is over as this one, will send superstars into an amateur tournament with a chance they might be upset. Yeah, that's something that wouldn't happen here. No way. Now, in the new group, Shinobu Kandori, the former world judo champion who was the UWA Mexican World Women's title who retired a few months ago while still a rookie, made her comeback on May 27th at and Hall before 1,800 fans, pinning 17-year-old Miss A. Okay, so this is talking about the very beginning of the original JWP, right? Yeah, yes. With Miss A being uh, the future Dynamite Kansai. Mm-hmm. Um... Okay, so obviously Kandori was trained by all Japan women and for whatever reason had some kind of falling out before she even really got going there, right? Yeah. Where did Miss A and the other young wrestlers come from? Had they already started a dojo or Well Hamada's training them. Well that well but so are the younger and ones go, and they're going to Mexico because that's where Kandori was the I mean she's the UWA champion. Well, that's what I'm saying. So are all of the younger ones tra- being trained by Hamada? Or are there some that were like a – well, I don't know. Would they even – would 17 be when they're gone? Like is there – are there – is there they anyone – They probably got who, some other training. You well, know? I was going to say, is there anyone here that's like graduated or went most of the way through the All Japan Women Dojo? Yeah, that would be this young. Or the ex-All Japan Women talent, mainly the older – when I say older, 26 and up women. Yeah. It's probably more that, right? Yeah. Okay. But, you know, look, they're drawn pretty decently at Kaworkin. You know, no TV. So good for them. And I really hope more of the original JWP video starts to make its way online like it has been lately. Because I've always wanted to see that stuff, but it wasn't really circulating much here. Yeah. All right, let's go to Canada. Oh, this is going to be great. And I wish O'Connor was here. Montreal, we don't have anything news-wise from Montreal, but we have the TV for our week, and you know what that means. Let's go to Leslie Floyd Creechman as he uh, cuts a promo with his Jason here. So let's see what his Jason looks like. Yeah, a monster on my left. Yeah, you can call him a monster. His name is Jason. You all saw Friday the 13th. Well, this ain't no movie, ladies and gentlemen. This I know who it is. Hold on. Me and Jason. Well, Jason especially. He challenges you to an arm wrestling contest, a weightlifting contest. It don't matter. Steve Strong, you bench press 600 pounds. You got 24 inch biceps. Well, this man stands six foot five. He weighs 364 pounds. What? 
And anytime you want to go into the gym, anytime you want to put those weights on the bar, he's going to press 700 pounds and he's going to put you to shame. But yeah, June the 1st is a big wrestling night at the Verdun Auditorium. Yeah, he's only against a guy named Gula. Yeah, Gula is a French Canadian from the province of Quebec. But Gula, I don't have to tell you, you're going to go down for the three count because we're going to get good enough with you. Because after you, you're going to be a stepping stone. You're going to be a monument on our way to the top. Because in the near future, we want you to sign your name on the dotted line against Yad Jason, Friday the 13th, 6'5", 364 pounds. Ladies and gentlemen, terror, yes, terror is in Montreal, in Ontario, in the province of Quebec. You look out for Jason and his manager because Sadistic Steve Strong, we're going to follow you all over the world until we get you. Thank you, uh, Lutz, for a creature in your Hawaiian shirt. All right, so you don't know who that was? You can't make that out? I actually I have, a, I have, I have a guess. Is that someone who we've already talked about in this section? Absolutely. Is yes. that Mike Moore? Motor City Madman. Yeah, yeah Motor City Madman. <laughs> How about that? Yeah, because he's Jason, but he's got a full head of curly hair. So he was doing the full head of hair behind the hockey mask before uh, Sid was. It's humongous. How about that? Well, we're not done with Leslie Floyd Creechman. As we have Creechman's Corner picks. And on this corner this week, we have the New Guinea Headhunters. Yes, they've left Continental, and they've gone to Montreal. So let's go to uh, Leslie Floyd Creechman. What a thumbnail this is. Why are you doing uh, this to me? As he interviews New Guinea Headhunters. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, this week, another edition of uh, Creechman's Corner. It would be nice if you had a microphone. (laughs) Do, Do you need me to boost the volume for you here at all? Yeah, I hear it. Go ahead. Okay, and then in post will be fine. So let's keep going. Yeah. You yeah. all know the Rock de la Sera? Right here, brother. You heard him. And these, I got to introduce you people to the New Guinea Headhunters. Yes, yes. You see what they're doing now? The thing that they got in their mouth now, you see, there was no guns where they come from. There's no ammunition. When they want food, they go into the jungles. They go into the trees. They catch the wild animals, and they kill them with this thing right over here. That's right. And this, this, if you're wondering what this is, this is a torch, you see. This is a trivial, this is a tradition which they follow. That's why they have the faces painted. Two nice, good-looking gentlemen. I know that they're going to make all kinds of mayhem over here at International Wrestling. I think, I'm not sure, I think they're going to be managed by my father, Eddie the Brain Creechman. We're negotiating the contracts right now with my lawyers, Steinberg, Weisberg, and Greenberg, right, Rock? And, and once we get all the paperwork done by the notary, then they will make... My lawyers, lawyers Steinberg, Weinberg, and Greenberg. <laughs> All Jewish lawyers. <laughs> well, isn't Leslie Floyd Creechman Jewish? I mean, his gimmick in Memphis was literally that he was a Jewish lawyer, yes. Exactly, yes. They <laughs> walk into the ring, they may be led down the aisle by any of the brain creatures. You know that my father always finds the greatest wrestlers, and he found, i got to congratulate him. Maybe, I, see, we don't understand. <laughs> Great Mandingo. 
All right, Bix, I'll uh, stop you from subjecting yourself to this. Why do you do this to me? <laughs> well, it was mainly for O'Connor. So, uh, amazing. Uh, wow. <laughs> At least we get Rocky Della Sera uh, with that very particular drip he had in 1987. <laughs> yeah, he still Alvarez's gimmick from uh, 1986. <sighs> Good lord. So there's Montreal. A hoot. All right, let's go to Stampede, Calgary. And we have clips here, too. Uh, the May 29th show in Calgary drew about 500 fans, 300 less in recent weeks, as Owen Hart retained North American title, going to double count out with Champagne Jerry Morrow in the main event. It was hard for local fans to get excited of this match, since Morrow had been a prelim wrestler for so long, whose main claim to fame was stealing the $10,000 Owen won the previous week by pinning the Angel of Death. Davis reports said the match was quite good, as Morrow was doing moves most fans thought he'd forgotten, if indeed he ever knew them in the first place. Owen had Morrow finished when he was about to climb top ropes on him when the Cuban assassin showed up. And then Owen instead dove off the top rope, outsothering on him. Morrow jumped out as well, and the match ended there. Also, Bruce Hart and Brian Pillman retained the international tag titles being Muckham Singh and Bindoon McDonald by DQ at a match that ended up with Singh being suspended. We'll talk about that in a second. Which, he's headed for a Japanese tour. Which I don't think he actually goes on. Bad News Allen blew up and destroyed Johnny Smith in 7-10. The new Viet Cong Express, Hase and Sasaki, beat Keiichi Yamada and Mr. Hito. Ron Ritchie over Kerry Brown. And Duke Myers pinned Biff Wellington in your opening match. All right. Muck and Singh getting suspended. So let's go to that clip, shall we? Always a treat for Stan <laughs> That flying clothesline. One, two. Oh, the referee got decked in the middle of that. Now there's interference by Jerry Morrow. Watching now the crunch. Pillman is down. Low blow to heart. Well, just a minute. The referee hasn't seen all this. Pillman is not the legal man. And Singh should be in the ring either. This is no. madness. No, this this is absolutely wrong. Flattens him. Here's the referee crawling into position. No, 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 no. Could it be? Could it be no. the championship changing hands? No. The international no. tag team belts. Hold it. Hold, Hold it. it. Just a minute. Here's Wayne Hart. Wayne Hart was conscious. Referee Wayne Hart comes in, consults with referee Rod Hader, who picks up the oh, Rod Hader. He, has he a- hands him to Marcus Swing and Ben Doon, as you see. But just a minute, Wayne Hart is protesting. He's talking about the interference, the manner in which Bruce Hart was handled in the corner. He may have also talked about Bruce Hart just going over the top rope. Just a minute. You're taking the belts away. You're taking them away. 
No, he's not. Well, he tried to attack him. He tried to attack him. That could cost him. That could cost Baka Singh attempted assault on a referee. He suspended him. He suspended him on the spot. Goodbye, Baka Singh. Goodbye, Mukan Singh, and hello to our our reigning champions, Bruce Hart and Brian Pillman. They hold on to the belts. How about that? Well, everybody is chanting, bye-bye, Mukka. You're suspended. We feel terrible. Can you see the misjustice there? First, we beat one heart and the little football player like the two little dogs they are. I beat another heart a few months back like a rag doll. And now another one's going to come out of the rafters. The only way they can stop me, Whalen, is suspend me. They know the greatness that I have I've already achieved. So that's the only last straw they have. You've seen it, Whalen. You've seen it. You can't even lie about this one. They know that's the only way they can stop me. But well, like all great Americans, I'll figure out a way to be back. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Ben, dude, you, you two guys didn't seem to get along very well. They realized tonight that they were up against a winning tag team. That is why this heart character here has decided to suspend my partner here, my cousin, and split us up. They know that we are capable of winning these belts, and they know the heart and Pillman can't beat us, so that's why they split us up. Tonight we won this belt, fair and square. Anyone in here will tell you that we won this belt, but what happens on some cock and bull story, we have lost these belts. Well, the referee didn't see it. I don't care what they've seen. What's he doing in the horse wasn't the referee? I'll tell you something. Keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes. You know something on second thought? A little suspension might not be bad, yeah. so I can only have to look at these ugly yeah. people All of Canada. Right. All right. All right. Bye-bye, Muckin. Everybody's singing the song. Bye-bye, Muckin. Here they are, the international tag team right. champions, Bruce Hart and Brian Pillman. You took on the two balloons. You don't want to hear them talk about Karachi Vice's illegal tactics. <laughs> Diamond Jim looks pretty good here in this suit and hat compo. But no, this is Pillman. I mean, uh, it's nah. Eh. It's not necessary. Eh? None of our baby faces can cut a goddamn promo. <laughs> <laughs> Pillman does when he well. starts getting experience. Yes. Um, I did check on Cage Match. Uh, Mike Show's only Japan tour is the All Japan Tour in 84. He does not go to yeah, New that's Japan That's what here. I thought. Yeah. Which, so. it would have to be New Japan if it's Stampede in 87, right? Not necessarily. Okay. Jason, Jason's in All Japan. Uh, that's true, yeah. Well, is it possible he didn't get booked through them, though? It, well, who knows? It's possible. All right, so... We talked about Owen Hart's champagne, Jerry Morrow. Let's watch the end of that match, shall we? Barely worked his way out of that one. I'll total determination. Total determination by Owen Hart. There's that headbutt. Of course. The man with the solid steel cranium. <laughs> champagne, Jerry Morrow, and that shook up Owen Hart. So 
Blacks. Some cries of fright in the crowd as though they were afraid that was the moment that Owen might have to abdicate the throne. Look at this. Nice move. the building, nine, ten, it's going to be a count out, going to be a count out. It's a slugfest outside the ring, Owen Hart is sprinting back, but he is too late, both men have been disqualified, it's a washout. Owen Hart, a brutal match, champagne Jerry Morrow, obviously full credit as a challenger, you wound up outside the, outside the squared circle, you didn't make it in. For the 10 count, but nonetheless, you've retained the belt. You are, you know, one way or another, I guess we could call you the winner because you've retained the belt. Make you feel good or well, Jim, still a score to settle? You know, like I stated before, I never want to be a chicken champion. And I guaranteed all the people that I would defend my belt against anyone who proved themselves worthy. Now, Jerry Morrow, you know, you can be a tough wrestler when you want to be. And you don't need guys to interfere in your matches. But that cost you the match because you had to have the Cuban assassin interfere and you got us disqualified. Well, I'll tell you something, Jerry Moore. I don't like to end a match on a disqualification because I like to settle things once and for all in the ring with no people interfering. Now, if you want another match with me, Jerry Moore, I proved that whatever you can dish out, I can take. And I had you beat right in the middle. And now I just want one more chance to finish you off once and for all and get rid of you just like I did with Ron Starr. Well, a champagne may be going a little flat. No belt. How come? No belt. Because the Wiffy doesn't there do his was, business. There no. was interference no. by this man. No way. No yes, way. There was interference. What were you I doing didn't. there? Hey, no I just came from Montreal now. I catch my plane late. That's why I don't rest tonight. And now I'm here and they want to handcuff me next week. They because want to handcuff no you to the corner. No. You fight no. him handcuffed. And the only way that he can say his belt is go outside of the ring. No way Cuban that get handcuffed to Bruce out. No way. Oh, I think it'll be a lovely idea. Handcuffed hey, to Bruce everyone, You don't like me. You are, have a chance at the North American belt. You're going to blow it if you don't fight it under those rules. Edwin, I do. I was fighting fair and square. That's fair and square. Oh, when he's already beat, because the way he wasn't right. doing his job, he wasn't coming. And right. you're supposed to invite tonight for a party. Forget about it. Yeah. Okay. What a beautiful duo. Discrimination. Discrimination. That's right. Cuban That's right. Discrimination. What a pair. Uh, anyway, we look forward to seeing you next week at the same oh, time, on. but. In the meantime, and in between time, time, that's it. Another edition of Stampede Wrestling. Bye now. Da, da, da. I love it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, I can't wait. I didn't get the voice going right. <clears throat> Jesus Christ, Jim. The, they're complaining about discrimination now. Jesus. Oh, wait. Is this <laughs> mic on? Oh, fuck. <laughs>
I love Stampede Wrestling. Uh, yes. Okay, so a few things to talk about. Um, it's still the generic Stampede babyface promo, but Owen does a much more effective version of it than everyone else does. He was the best at doing it. Yes. Um, Pillman ends up having his own style, although with some yes. of the same verbiage. He's Pillman. Yes. He, he, I mean, when you see when you see Pillman in 89 NWA, I mean, that's Pillman you see in Stampede. Yes. Um... So Jerry Morrow, because we didn't really talk about it after what Dave wrote, he had been there for years, but he hadn't really been a pushed guy at all. Nope. He would occasionally be like in tag title programs and stuff Him like that. Him and Bad News were a team. Yes, but he was not a push singles at all. No. And this is his first real singles push, and you know what? He did great with it. Yeah. He, he was... became a top guy in the rest of his run there. Yeah, he was really good in the ring and, you know, like becomes an extremely respected veteran for people who are around him, you know, for people like Lance Storm later on. And, you know, comes up, I say comes up with, we don't know whose idea it was, but still ends up having the Champagne Jerry Morrow heel gimmick, which is very memorable. Oh, so great. Yes. And also with Owen making the comments about not being a chicken champion, I think we're after Bad News brings out the raw chicken with Owen's face on it, right? Uh, <laughs> no. That's I later? So. I thought that was yeah, April or May. That's later. I think that's later. Okay. Also, it's very weird watching this, knowing this is a tape I converted to DVD. No, it was about to be because we're, we're going to talk about the, their feud about to heat up. So, okay. Yeah. But yes, also, it's just weird knowing this is a tape I converted to DVD. <laughs> well, this is from Roy. Roy uploaded this on YouTube, so... No, this isn't knows. Roy's upload. You sure? Yeah, it's Did Roy go. upload that? Oh. I know Roy uploaded too, so... He, I think, uploaded some of the TSN stuff. Maybe. Um, but this, I'm pretty sure, looking at the runtime and everything, is one of the is from the stuff I converted from the beta tapes I got uh, from Trevor Gibberson back in the day that he had gotten that had been in uh, Steve Minari's collection originally. But anyway, all right, so Edmonton <laughs> on May 30th, Cuban assassin over Bob O'Brien, Carrie Brown over Biff Wellington, Viet Cong's over Johnny Stiff and Keiichi Yamada, Bad News over Ron Ritchie, uh, Bad Company retained the tag titles over Muck and Singh and Ben Doon McDonald, and Owen retained over Jerry Morrow. Dave said, appears they're going to break up Duke Myers and Carrie Brown with Carrie Trent and Babyface, but they've been hitting at that for a while and haven't done it yet. Well, they break up a Carrie Brown's on a baby face, so and Myers just leaves territory. Um, Dave expects most June's cards to be headlined by Owen and Bad News, who's been very aggressive, although he's still technically a baby face. So yeah, Bix, he hasn't turned turn yet. Yes, he's still recently having come back and still be, he's being like he's not doing the whole good news Allen shtick he did when they came back in '85 no. and Waylon demanded he be a baby face. But he's... And he's still friendly with Waylon throughout his early part of his heel run. Yes, which ends up being kind of a cool dynamic, actually. But he he does uh, dastardly things that turns Ed against him. Yeah. I was just going to say, that ends up being a hell of a feud, too. Oh, yeah. This, in terms of, like, just being entertaining and week-to-week and good matches and promos and everything... And I've seen most of Bad News' Stampede TV stuff. I think this might be his best run there. This Owen feud. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
All right. Um, TSA will be from Unknown Heart is a new Edouard Carpentier. Okay. So good luck with that. Uh, they are billing Keiichi Yamada as the greatest Japanese wrestler since the original Tiger Mask, which isn't fair to anyone. He's looking real good here. He does lots of very difficult moves, but there's some execution problems, mainly because they require lots of cooperation and perfect timing to execute. And there's a language barrier with North Americans. He should look super in there with Hase. I'm from the well, stuff I've like, seen, I wouldn't even say that though. Like with guys who know how to work something approximating that style, like whether it's Cuban or the other Japanese guys or anyone like that, he looks great. And I don't even remember them really putting him in with anyone else. Yeah. But he really he is I mean I as good as Hase is, I think as an individual, I think Yamada is the most impressive Japanese guy in that territory in years at this time. Yes. Yes. He he's he, he clearly is getting over with the local fans, too. Yeah, but Hase got over, too. Hase definitely wasn't. Especially once he was a babyface, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and um, both of them cut promos, too. Hase even cut heel promos under the mask. Yeah. Although the, Yamada didn't talk as much. Um, what's that one that I love that's online? Um, where they're, they're doing one of those group local promos that they would do. And I forget yeah. who he's going to wrestle. And he just says, it, he, I think he says something about the last match he had with the heel. And then he just concludes with, next time, kill you. <laughs> Pretty much. This group is the only promotion which on TV and its programs actually acknowledges the wrestling observer. I never thought I'd live to see today, Dave said, when the Observer would be acknowledged publicly by a promotion. Well, I mean, you're yeah. friendly with pretty much the whole family that runs it at this point, at least the people who are in there day to day, so. Yeah. You know, because he, he's friendly with Stu and Helen, he's friendly with Bruce, he's friendly with Owen, <laughs> friendly with Ross. But still, it's what he is at this point in time. Yes, so. yes, yes. Oh, what is that? When is that story he talks about where Stu, where he's talking to Stu about Owen and Stu doesn't realize he's talking to him about Owen? I don't know. Where he's like, uh, I, have a son eh, I have a son named Owen. He's going to be the greatest high-flyer since Toru Sayama. I know I'm not doing the Stu well, but I forget if he says Tiger Mask or if he says Sayama. Which, by the way, though, like... That story shows you, and it makes sense because of his role with New Japan and everything. Stu kept up with international wrestling. Well, Brett worked against Tiger Mask a lot, so well that too. That but too. still, but and, and, I mean, in both England and in Japan. So did wait? Did uh, Brett work with Sammy Lee? Did any Brett of the sons the, work with Sammy Brett, Lee? Brett, Brett. I mean, they went to they went to Europe. On, but did on they work time. with him? I'm. Probably so. There's stuff we don't know. So yeah, I'm sure there's lots of results we don't have. I would have to check when they had tours. But it doesn't stuff. matter. They weren't. They weren't against each other. So it doesn't matter. All right, hmm. uh, Ben Bastrev, who may be the most underrated wrestler in North America, has disappeared from here. <laughs> that that is called being a shitty husband to a heart. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and this is the thing I'm, I hate the most that Robert O'Connor is not for, on for this show. Rod Hader has been doing the heel referee bit and recently in the ring for a six-man tag match. And in doing interviews, Hader claimed to be a world-class athlete and wasn't afraid of the babyface wrestlers getting their hands on him. Hader claimed his sport was badminton and on TV said, and I kid you not, I've been hit by the hardest cocks in the world. 
God damn it, Bruce. Can you let up for a second? You, you, you have one of your top heels. It literally, you, you're making a butt sex joke with his name. Because he's Ben Down McDonald. You know, you say it with the accent, it's Ben Down McDonald. But the thing is, is what does badminton use? Shuttlecocks. Yes, of course. That's what you hit. That's what you hit is a shuttlecock. Yeah, so he in dodge in in running around sometimes he'll get hit by those cocks and they're coming at high. Sp- oh God, I didn't even mean to say that one. There, those those cocks are coming at high speed. So a cock exploded on his face. Yeah, it just exploded out of the racket. Just it just oh, arrived right in there. Um, oh. And of course, Ron Hader. Uh, I don't know what the guy's real name was, but the name Ron Hader was taken from the Calgary uh, wrestling commissioner, who Bruce did not like. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is the first time they did the heel ref since the restart in '85, right? No. Who was before that? I mean, all the. I mean, good lord, who? Uh, who? No, I said Jürgen since Herman. the restart in '85. Yeah, but Jurgen Herman has been around, but he hasn't been a heel, has he? Since um, they started back up? He's been kind of... He's been Jurgen Herman. But he hasn't been the doing the heel ref gimmick that he did previously or that Alexander Scott did or any of the, the other Stampede heel refs. Um, Cedric Hathaway. God, the names Bruce comes up with. <laughs> Some of them dirtier so, than others, but like, you know, Tyrone Macbeth of the NWA. <laughs> I do, in the NWA. Yeah. Judah Rosenblum. Judah the world's yes. foremost black, right. black wrestling pimp of Ashkenazi Jewish heritage. <laughs> yes. Um, ben Dune McDonald. Later, yeah, Principal yeah. Richard Pound. Yeah. Dick Pound. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we get it. We get it. And, All right. Uh, so uh, let's yeah, also, it, 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 well, I'll just close with in um, Heath McCoy's book, Pain and Passion, you know, Stampede History. Um, he He speaks of witnessing... Uh, kids complaining to Bruce about some heel tactics after a show from the modern stampede. And Bruce tells the kids that I don't remember if it's about one of the heels or whatever, but he tells them uh, they should hang him by the foreskin. <laughs> yeah, that's Bruce Hart. Yeah. All right. Mexico EMLL. We have arena call sale May 29th. I'm an unselegante. The future octagon teaming with Mazdek to be El Mestizo and Polaris 3, Samaran Negro and MSA Tos over Hecatombe and Limus, Buffalo Savaje, Commando Russo, and Perov over Aguilar Solitaria, Angeles Teco, and Solar, Cachorro Mendoza, Kung Fu, and Rico Mendoza over Odandi, Expector Jr., and Grand Coaches by disqualification, setting up a Kung Fu Coaches Caballero Contra Mascara match. And the main event, Atlantis, Alfonso Dantes, and De Quis of Ambre Bala, Jerry Estrada, and Perata Morgan, Los Bucaneros. And then in UWA, no uh, Toro Cuatro Camino show, because that's not in our week. But we have a Piston Re- Revolution show, where we have F- El Libertador and Tony Ledesma over Diamante Blanco and Negro Parata. Dory Dixon and El Falcon over Rambo and Veterinario. Alcon 78, Solar, and Abdullah Tamba over Los Misionarios de Namuete, El Signo, Negro Navarro, and El Tejano. 
And then our main event, the Vianos, one, four, and five over Babyface, Luis Mariscal, and Scorpio by disqualification when Mariscal fouled Viano five. So there's Mexico for a link, a couple of Um, results there. Haven't mentioned this in a while, so I guess we should just point out for newer listeners or whatever. um, Until, you know, he got older, because second Viano. Had he passed away by this point? Because he died very young, right? Yes. Viano 2, Viano Segunda. The the main Viano's trio until Viano... He died in 89. Okay. But the main Viano's trio, until Viano Primero retires, is 1-4-5. Yes. Viano Tercero was mainly a singles. It's him getting older and the older brother retiring that leads to 3-4-5 becoming the trio. Yeah. And then in Puerto Rico, to close out this section, WBC, we have a show in Canguas at Canchapaja Teco on May 30th. The Bruise Brothers against the Renegade Warriors, Mark Youngblood and Chris Youngblood. And these Bruise Brothers, uh, if I'm not mistaken, is um, Porchock Cash and Mad Dog, I think. I don't, it's not Ron and Don. Too early for them. Uh, WC Women's title, Wendy Richter, defending his well, Monster Ripper. Wait a second. When's their first appearance as... In Memphis, as the clean cut Bruce Brothers? Is 88. that 88? That is, okay. Wendy Richter defending the women's title against Monster Ripper, Ronda Singh. Mr. Kareem Muhammad against Tony Atlas. TNT defending North American White title against Bruce Brody. And their main event, no time limit, Hercules Ayala against Invader number one. Hey, Chris, you know so, how I know this is taken from your own results and lineups file? Wow. Because it specifically says Mr. Kareem Muhammad. Well, of course. Yes. I don't think other people write him out as Mr., though. No, only me. Yes. All right. Well, that is it for the first half of the show. It's halftime. So that's a great 1987 commercials. We'll pivot to the rest of the halftime segment. We'll we'll talk about the Patreon show again. We'll plug some IWTV and other things. And then we'll come back as we go back to the territories where we've got news on Bob Backlund making a return to wrestling, so to speak. WrestleThon in Atlanta. Continental running some tournaments and Bill Dunney and Pauly dangerly having quite the confrontation in Memphis. All that and more after the break. Mr. Pick, take our croissant breakfasts. Egg and processed cheese with ham, bacon, sausage, or any combination, your choice. And now, new croissant sandwiches from Dunkin' Donuts. Ham and processed cheese, seafood salad, turkey and processed cheese, chicken salad, all made to order and served warm 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The only track... Mr. Pick at Dunkin' Donuts. Cycle Peel, the biggest bike store in Montreal, just got bigger. That means now you'll find more of everything to do with cycling all under one roof. More top names in cycling fashion. More of those cycling accessories that help make your ride a smooth one. And a safe one. More bicycles for the whole family and all at the best prices in town. So whether you pedal in the fast lane or spin your wheels just for the fun of it, we'll keep you rolling. Cycle Peel on Saint-Jacques, west of Cavendish. Hard work, commitment, it adds up to success. And it's what made Petro-Canada the major corporation it is today, playing a leading role in every aspect of the Canadian oil and gas business. You can see signs of the success from coast to coast in our more than 3,700 service stations. In fact, our Petro-Canada brand is the top-selling gasoline in the country. 
And there are many more Petro-Canada success stories. We're pushing energy development in the vast oil sands of the West and under the frigid seas of our East Coast. With a firm commitment to Canadians, Petro-Canada is one of the most active companies in the ongoing search for our future energy reserves. From finding energy supplies to serving you directly, Petro-Canada is a success story we all can share. It's the continuing payoff of hard work, commitment, and energy. Because at Petro-Canada, our energy is Canada. Now, Chrysler gives you more from Mitsubishi Motors. More affordable luxury with Colt Premier. More economy with Colt E hatchback. More driving fun with Colt DL Turbo. New Raider, best equipped 4x4 import. Vista, 4x4 performance with room for seven. And Power Ram 50, more Ram power than ever. Plus, over 550 dealers coast to coast. Now all you need to know about Japanese imports is at your Chrysler dealer. just good business. If you're not wearing it, sell it. Rings, bracelets, necklaces, watches, charms, diamonds. Bring them to Herman Jewelers for immediate cash. Brooches, earrings, stick pins, and pendants become cash in your pocket at Herman Jewelers. If you're not wearing it, sell it at Herman Jewelers, 1117 St. Catherine West, Suite 403, Metro Peel, Herman's, since 1915. When I come to Toronto, I come to play. When I come to Toronto, I come to play. Toronto, discover the feeling. All right, we're back. That'll be Jared all those great 1987 commercials. As we have to the halftime segment of the show, where again, we'll talk about our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Between the Sheets. Where part two of our look at Titan Gate 92 has, uh, has dropped in the past few days. So everybody go listen to that. If you haven't listened to it already, if you haven't listened to part one and you do that too, cause you gotta need to listen. You gotta listen to part one for you listen to part two. They go hand in hand. Well, and so, uh, you'll also want to, if for some reason you haven't listened to it yet, listen to the sh- last 1992 main show we did. Yes. In the middle of I, it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Because there's stuff there that we didn't put in the Patreon show because we t- just talked about it on the main show. Yeah. So, do all that and um because these are very important shows a lot of stuff on these shows that people need to hear i mean especially on this part two show to um you know get the gist of what was going on in in that you know power structure 1992 wf and even before then where you know we kind we, we still talk about the ring boys some on this show but this show kind of focuses more on the steroid part as they're introducing their new steroid uh 
testing and stuff with Dr. Anthony Daly and Dr. Mauro Di Pasquale. And then we have Rita Chatterton entering into the picture and her uh, allegations of rape by Vince McMahon. So now Vince is being implicated. Uh, directly, some, yes. Yeah, directly of some horrible things. And she, we have clips of her on Now It Can Be Told and Geraldo's show. And uh, yes, yeah, it's just very, very riveting uh, audio Especially for one Murray Hodgson, who's sitting there right beside her on the Geraldo show. So, and uh, let's just hear that. let's just say you know we'll get more. We get into that on the Patreon show, and it's some. I had watched the Geraldo like once just before, and it, which uh, that's another thing too. That is not a show most people have seen, even if they know about this stuff. And it's not, and it's not the whole show. It, it we, we, you'll hear about that too. They they are part of a group of guests on the show, which is a total train wreck. Right. Of, of booking. Most of we don't want to spoil that. We don't want to spoil that. Though. No, I wasn't going to get the specifics, but just that most of the guests on the show are not about nearly as serious topics. And yeah. it's it's a train wreck for that reason. And for the first time, uh, Murray's facade is starting to break. Seemingly as a consequence of seating, sitting next to Rita yeah. throughout all this. So that we go into that a lot, um, which is really fascinating too um but yeah now it can be told and some of the drama around that you know what it, it, we didn't have time to read it or anything but maybe i should just post on the patreon the uh some of the letter the letters i have that mcdevitt sent to geraldo's lawyers you know? yeah yeah i mean whatever you want to do i mean might as well I guess yeah. I'll put some up there yeah. but uh but that's the only way you'll see that stuff it's on the patreon.com slash 20 sheets. So if you want to read Jerry McDevitt's letters to the staff of Geraldo, then, um, yeah, go there. And then that is a, you know, solid companion piece to the audio that we got up there. So, yeah. It's, uh, yes. And it's longer. I think I said on the show, too. I'm someone who's gotten some letters from Jerry McDevitt of that nature over the last few years. It is significantly longer than any letter I've ever gotten from him. <laughs> um, so what else do we have here on part two? We've got Roddy Piper going on a radio show in Sacramento and oh. losing his mind about Murray Hodgson and steroids. We've got Vince yeah. on the CBS Evening News oh, kind God, of yes. covering the scandals and Vince. So, okay, we had Vince being angry and lashing out then we had vince kind of trying to baby face himself on donahue now we have vince just going full-blown it's a conspiracy <laughs> yes yes we've uh -huh. got um the lord littlebrook karate kid stuff about pat patterson and as uh i think you said on the show too and some people were saying in the discord uh after listening he is just completely out of fucks lord littlebrook is in the stuff you know we read, and that he done, even, he was done with the business and didn't care. And also <laughs> uh, on CBS Evening News a little bit, you know, more Marie Hodgson stuff. Although there's going to be even more in the June show, where some of it we've covered on the main show in the past, but not all of it. Um, we don't have mo because there wasn't a good way to slide it in. We don't necessarily go into all the contemporaneous stuff about it, which was mostly just covered in three counts, but we talk about the committee to clean up wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. Which I'd never heard of before. Yeah. Um, what else is there? The steroid symposium. We've got some Russo John Arezzi stuff that, you know, yeah. 
ties into stuff we've discussed in the past, but we talk about some of the relevant stuff as it's ongoing here. Um, some of the torch columns about everything, um, some interesting in various different ways, observer letters, including one from a child molester, although we didn't know that at the time. Um, God, there is a lot here. Dave Meltzer having some very confusingly incorrect uh, beliefs on how testosterone levels and steroid test results work in 1992. Um, Mauro Di Pascali burying Anthony Daly to Dave Meltzer. Steve Planamenta going off to Mike Mooneyham. There's a lot. There is a lot in there. So yes, patreon.com slash between the sheets, $5 a month or $50.40 a year for the tier to get the audio and all the other audio we've done in almost now six years of the Patreon. Yeah, this is our 68th show. Yes. And so. I got to say, there's part of me that kind of hates that the scandals stuff is going to be episode 69. Well, you know, I mean, it's just how the cookie crumbles, I guess. Yeah. Well, at least we'll have yeah. Russo content maybe in episode 69. I, mean, I haven't finished the notes for it yet, but that that would at least be a little bit apropos, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and I have, yeah, have not finished the notes in that yet for that yet, but we have... Coming up in the June show, we have more Murray Hodgson. We have um, the day-by-day breakdown John Arezzi wrote of how his relationship with Russo dissolved. We have Arezzi's column about everything he knew personally about Mel Phillips from when they were friends in the 70s. Um, we've got some Carrie Von Eric rehab stuff. We've got Sid getting suspended for trying to falsify a drug test. You know, we've got some WBF related stuff. Um, there is a, there's a, and again, like I'm, I'm only about halfway into doing the notes for the Dune show, but there is a lot there. There's more Barry Orton on Bill Kunkel and Rick Carter's radio show, which is interesting in the tone he takes. Is um, Barney on this? I'm okay. Looking at the dates. Barney will probably be on this, I think. Yes. All right. So we'll have Barney from the uh, Donahue show. We'll have a, a rehash of all that possibly on this third show as well. So Yeah. Well, that's when the details yeah. really start coming out because, yeah, Barney, we explained a little who he was when we did part one with Donahue, but he comes forward about his whole story. Uh, that should either, If that's not in the June one, it'll definitely be in the July one. So, yeah, so a lot coming up. So everybody, you know, this is must listen stuff because it's 30 years ago. Um, it was covered heavily back then, but it hasn't been really covered a lot in recent times. And it's, I mean, it's a whole generation ago. So and there's a lot. You need to get on this. There's often a lot of essential stuff that's not in the Torture the Observer either. It's comprehensive because you go through all these different avenues of information that you have access to that is able to, uh, you know, piece it together even better. Yes. Plus the other newsletters, too, like your three count, like your pro wrestling spotlight as well. So it's. Yeah. Yep. There's a lot there. So patreon.com slash between the sheets and. We do have our brief thanks to give for our new and or returning patrons for the week because it's that time of the month. I think I'm guessing everyone that's waiting to jump on is waiting for the June 1st turnover. So one person to thank this week, and that is uh, an annual subscription picked up by Vegan Big Boy. 
Thanks, vegan big boy, for yes. being a, a, a member of our Patreon uh, family. Yes, although we didn't give the tiers yet, actually. So you do that. Well, I'll go ahead and give it to him real quick. Of course, you got one dollar. Everybody, you know, pretty much knows it. But we're real quick. A dollar gets you access to the Discord and thanks in this segment, which we just did. Uh, five, of course, for the monthly deal. Uh, fifty forty annual. Twenty five. I should pick a show for the week. I'm sure all y'all know that already. Fifty. You can sit in for a segment of the show and a hundred for the whole show. So all that, all the all the information is on our Patreon website at patreoncom sheets And please spread the word. Let's push our Patreon up higher on that list of uh, wrestling podcasts. I know there's some great Patreon shows on there, but let's get let's uh, let's get up that list. Let's get higher. Yeah. But we? I mean, we are firmly in the top twenty at this point, though. Yes, but I'll, I'll, like I said, top ten. If we can get yeah. top ten, I'd be very happy. So let's let's get to that. Let's get to that. Spread the word. Yes. All right. Uh, IWTV Bix. Uh, what's going on there? All right. Let's see. Where do I have those tabs open? There we go. Um, as far as live streams, you know, we talked about the stuff that will be happening the weekend we're recording this, but will be a lot. over. <laughs> yes, by the time this is up, including Prestige's latest shows, which are very loaded, the latest Sean Henderson presents, um and more. Right, right right now, right now. Okay, right now I'm looking uh on we're recording this on Saturday, twenty eighth. So we got Pro Wrestling Magic's on, Limitless is on freelance underground is on prestige is on that's just saturday alone uh you got sean henderson presents is on and then a what another wrestle prestige show their double header i can't that's wild actually the prestige is running opposite the pay-per-view yeah so you got prestige running opposite of double or nothing which oh Prestige, well, starts it would be... at, prestige starts at 10. So the competition is what show ends first? Because <laughs> AEW starts at 8. It's got 13 fucking matches on the, all together. So and, we'll see how Prestige does in the end. <laughs> and what appears to be a seven-hour satellite window for the main show because that's how you said DirecTV is listing it. And Tony Khan explicitly said they do not have a hard out. Because he, he wants to save stuff till after the Miami Heat Boston Celtics Game 7 ends, which kicks which t- kicks off, tips off at 8.30 Eastern. Which, by the it way— could go to 11. God forbid they go to overtimes. <laughs> I don't get that because I feel like I feel like that's only a thing really for boxing pay-per-views, that if you're getting a pay-per-view— uh, well, Hey, it, it, I mean, they've done the research, I guess. So Well, we'll it, is, it is Tony Khan and his analytics and all that, so there is— yeah, there is that. Um, but but yeah, there's a lot going on on uh, that has a lot gone on on IWTV. And then uh, yeah, next Unchar- week. Well, this could this Unch- week now. Yeah, we've got Uncharted Territory that's on Memorial Day to talk yes. about as well. Don't forget that Alex Kane against Lobo Okami is on that show. I, I've seen that, so that's one I know for sure. Yeah, and then uh, let me see as I open the tabs with all the stuff coming this week. Uh, okay, yeah, so Uncharted Territory that's happening tonight as this comes out, Monday night, uh, what date is this? May 30th, headlined by, oh, this is going to be a banger, Anthony Henry versus Kevin Koo, Tennessee Street Fight, oh, yes. Adam Priest versus John Wayne Murdoch, Big B versus Tank, uh, what else do we have here? Calvin Tankman versus Joe Black, Jaden Newman, Mark, and Brett Eisen against Kenzie Page, Hunter Drake, and Nick Iggy. 
and Discovery Gauntlet and more. And, oh, okay. I almost missed this. Ashton Star Rob uh, versus Rob Killjoy. Okay, it was, the spacing was off. That's why I couldn't tell. And also Ron Bass Jr. versus Eric Royal. So pretty loaded episode uh, of uh, Southeast First Presents Uncharted Territory from our friends there. Adam, was it, uh, yeah, Adam Priest and the Duke in a Tennessee Street Fight, too. Yeah, I think I said that. Yeah. Yeah, um, at least on the IWTV site, nothing announced yet for this week's Wrestling Open. Black Label Pro has two shows uh, this week, the Tyler's Day Off shows. on. Are those both on Saturday? Yeah, an uh, afternoon show and an evening show. Afternoon show, what are some of our notable matches on here? Trisha Dora or Kylie Ray. Warhorse versus Christopher Daniels. That's random but intriguing. Uh, ACH versus Titus Alexander, Calvin Tankman versus Chris Bay. Uh, anything else on here uh, of note? Oh, I didn't realize that Myron Reed is now considered part of the Rascals. He's teaming with Trey Miguel against the Bang Bros. Remember, if you're Googling them, Bang Bros Wrestling. Although on second thought, I'm not sure how much that would help. And then the evening show includes... Uh, for the BLP title, PCO defending against Jake something. Tag titles, our dear friends, violence is forever. Defending against Kevin Blackwood and Tom Lawler. Billy Starks, Willow Nightingale. Alec Price, Speedball, Mike Bailey. And more. So very good stuff there from our f- dear friend Mikey Blanton at BLP. And anything else of note on the live well, streams? Well, 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 as you look at that, uh, on demand, they added a bunch of AIW Absolution Yes, I was shows. about to mention that too, yes. So Those you got appear to got, be the main uh, on-demand editions this week. Yeah, I mean, you got Eddie Kingston, you got uh, Josh Prohibition, you got Johnny Gargano, Ethan Page, Kevin Owens, Chris Saban, ACH, uh, Brian Danielson is on is on some of these shows. Um, you got, I mean, it's just uh, big, big names uh, across the board. Chuck Taylor, a lot, a lot of the big names uh, of the indie scene in the past few years. Ricochet's on with Seth Rollins, John Moxley. Yeah. When you go back to the, fir- the older shows, so uh, yeah, it yeah. just opened up uh, the 2014 one. Just to pick one that has Chris Sabin, Kevin Steen, Ethan Page, Johnny Gargano. Uh, what else do we have here on this one? I feel like I'm missing something. Basically, Eddie Kingston, yeah, Ricky basically, Shane Page, Josh Prohibition, Matt Cross. Yeah, yeah. 2009 through 2014, basically the Absolution shows are up. So yeah, is 09 the one that I'm missing? Uh, well, I guess it has to be, right? <laughs> Yeah, and there's a lot of, uh, you know, so much uh, stuff in the on-demand library on uh, IWTV. So it's, it's well worth the money that you spent. Well, yes, nine ninety nine a month. If you're not a subscriber already, sign up at independentwrestling.tv. Use code BTSPOD, and as long as you stay a paid subscriber, we will get a handy little referral fee from your uh, paid subscription. All right. Oh, let's talk about private internet access, shall we? Today's episode Between the Sheets is sponsored by Private Internet Access, America's number one virtual private network. Even if you use incognito mode, your internet service provider is storing your browsing data and many times even selling it. God forbid. But Private Internet Access can help you. Private Internet Access encrypts and reroutes your internet traffic through one of its own servers, hiding your data from your internet service provider or network administrator. And with servers in over 75 countries, you can get unrestricted access to geoblock content from around the world. Private Internet Access comes with easy-to-use apps and browser extensions for all devices. 
a rock-solid privacy policy, open source security, advanced customization settings, and, and it was just ranked the fastest VPN in the world by PC Mac. The fastest. No one better. If you sign up with private internet access right now, you can take advantage of a special deal only for Between the Sheets listeners. Let's talk about those deals, shall we? You can get a monthly deal at $11.95 a month if you want to go that direction. You can get a yearly deal at $3.33 a month or $39.95 a year. Or or the best deal you could get is 83% off. You get a three-year deal with four free months at $1.98 a month. $79 for three years, covered by the money 30-day money-back guarantee. You can't beat it because this uh, this thing here, private internet access, is trusted by millions of satisfied customers. And there's so much that they can do for you. And it's so much more inexpensive than virtually every other VPN on the market. If you get it right now, and you can take the 30-day risk-free challenge. Try it for 30 days, see if you like it. If not, just return it for a full refund. So... How do you do this, you ask? Well, you go to privateinternetaccess.com slash between the sheets. You go there and you try out the best damn VPN on the planet completely risk-free. Next week on Between the Actually, Sheets. Actually, real quick, I got to interrupt you because I realized I had a brain fart. I was thinking about which show would have Danielson. I forgot about his little uh, three-month indie run in 2010 from the uh, Justin Roberts incident. And – this is the show we got to mention because of the names or who are on it. So Absolution 2010, Absolution 5, AIW. So that show includes Absolute Title Match, Main Event, Brian Danielson versus Johnny Gargano. I'm sure that's interesting at a minimum. Uh, Tyler Black, Seth Rollins versus Chuck Taylor. Ricochet versus Shima Zion, a.k.a. DJZ, Joaquin Wild. Um... A four-way, also for the absolute title on that show, Tommy Mercer, Gargano, Facade, and Sterling James Keenan, Corey Graves. And, of course, much more on that show. But, yeah, I wanted to just shout that out because a lot of names in those top matches, including the Danielson one. So, yes, next week. Next week on Between the Sheets, we go back to the year 2000. Ooh. First time in over a year where we'll have um, – yeah. We have a uh, World Wrestling Federation. We got some uh, shakeups in the hierarchy of the World Wrestling Federation. We'll talk about that. Plus, uh, we're on SmackDown and uh, other things going on there. We have uh, all the indies, including a wild and woolly ECW section. Some of the stuff you've heard on our Patreon shows from last year, but we'll have some other stuff, too, that you haven't heard yet on this show. So we'll talk about that. Lucha, Japan, and dying, the dying days of... The original All Japan, we'll talk about that. New Japan's got Best of Super Juniors going on. But WCW is where we'll start off the show. And, yes, we'll talk about Nitro at Phil's Arena from a big house featuring Vince Russo and Ric Flair inside of a steel cage. And there's some hair on the line. And plus we'll have news on WCW's negotiations with SFX and a lot more next week on Between the Sheets. You know, I just remembered possibly the one the greatest line in the history of wrestling observer live on iata was coming out of that russo flair cage match when tom zank was on and just incredulous like flair had a better match with russo than he did with me <laughs> and the thing is when flair and zank had their match flair was the booker 
<laughs> so there's even there's that to go with it too. But anyway, all right. So that's next week on Between the Sheets. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris Zellner, K R I S Z E L N E R. Show proper at BT Sheets Pod. Bix at David Bix. And uh, Bix, what's going on in your world this week? Well, this week I had two things come out at Fanbyte. Uh, let me pull them up in front of me, even though I should remember what these are. Um, I had one thing looking at kind of some of the history of how WWE talks about wrestlers who walk out and the public burials and the like, going back to Tom Zank, of course, and when he quit in 1987 <laughs> and how that was handled and also what he would say about it later and including something that we will probably end up covering on the Patreon shows in the next couple months, uh, how he told John Arezzi in 1992 that the actual reason he left, even though he didn't tell anyone about it, he's at the time he said was some kind of sexual harassment incident. So that's in there, you know, talking about Ultimate Warrior 96. It's a sexual harassment incident, but not from someone you may think. Well, the story that goes around <laughs> is that we don't know. Let's just put, yeah, we'll put that out there. Yeah, it, it, Not from one of the usual suspects. At least that's the story that goes around within wrestling, yes. But that's the yes. most we should say about that. That's um, the most we're going to say about that, yes. Yes. <laughs> um, Steve Austin, 2002, of course, took his ball and went home. Also looking at how, like, sometimes where they've kind of buried people, but it was different. Like, the you know, you'd think punk would fit in there, but it doesn't really necessarily, because... They didn't really publicly bury him or anything until a year later, you know, after the radio show, not the radio show, radio show podcast and, you know, the Dr. Amon lawsuit being filed and also looking at like other times they've kind of buried people for no reason, even if they didn't walk out like the stuff when Cesaro got signed for the first time that we talked about a few months back and how they, you know, it says WWE sources were falsely accusing him of immigration fraud. So all that's in there. And then I also had something about, uh, you know, just looking at since this is the first time that Double or Nothing is actually back in Vegas, which was supposed to be the annual tradition, but then the pandemic hit, uh, just how much AEW has changed from that first show three years ago, which... Oh, I, I can say. Yeah, but it's, <laughs> I think it's also in ways that people don't even remember, too. Yeah. You know? Like... I mean, the thing I didn't really think about in terms of numbers, like, there are, like, between the women that are on Double or Nothing that were quickly not around anymore, and then the other, like, uh, pandemic travel casualties, you know, like, B, B Priestley, Jamie Hayter's original run, and who's the other one I'm forgetting? There was, I think, a third. But, like, there were ten women taken off the board pretty quickly. You know, like that had been working for AEW. So like how that, you know, how that probably had an impact on the women's division and then other stuff, the o how, how there was going to be the OWE relationship and they were hoping to get the Chinese acrobats in for, you know, little tours and how that didn't happen. And, you know, all sorts of other stuff. What's changed? Cody, you know, what is the same? How much, how many more ex-WWE people, recent ex-WWE people, I should say, are there now? You know, looking into all of that. Yes, yes. And. They keep winning, too, which that's a whole nother topic. But, yeah, that's up at Fanbyte. I'm sure I'll have something coming out of the pay-per-view, um, depending on what happens. But we usually get the call for pitches, like, late in the pay-per-view. 
and, and I think that's it for this week for now. And I'm sure I'll, I'll have some other stuff coming soon. That's uh, let's just say interesting. And that's all I'll say right now. All right. This little, uh, vague tease there. So, uh, we'll see how that goes. All right. Well, that is it for this section. We will get back to the rest of the show. All right, let's go back to the U.S. into the territory slash indie scene here. And Bob Backlund made his first appearance in a pro ring in more than a year on May 30th in Bridgeport, Connecticut, on an independent card run by Alpha. Sardar Slaughter also appeared on that card. So Backlund, at this point in time, was a wrestling coach at Central Connecticut State. So um, it's in that area. So... Yeah, I mean, and, and and he when he left WF, he worked a lot, you know, with Alpha and uh, on Alpha promoted shows and stuff like that. So makes sense. Yeah, if, if he's available available to be there, that's where he would be. And uh, there you go. Yeah, and first in more than a year, I got to think more than a year is being generous though too, because uh, I mean I could check, but how much? After, like, maybe mid to late 85, how much was he even wrestling? Once he took the Central Connecticut job and then, uh, like, I think it was September 85, October 85. Yeah, that's when it's – that's it. That's when he doesn't really wrestle anymore. Okay, I'm pulling up wrestling data real quick because that's the easiest to check at a glance. And they have nothing between, yeah, August 85 and the UWF stuff. And um, when he got the Central Connecticut job, that was, uh, I mean, that was all over. That was, uh, you know, the the, the wires of the um, transactions that you would see in the sports section. That was in there. So it was it was a nationwide story when he did that. Well, the story, but it was in the, the nationwide transactions you would see in your sports paper. So, yeah. All right, thumbs up to Joe Pettacino and the folks of pro wrestling this week for raising more than $15,000 for two Atlanta police officers that are paralyzed in a line of duty by presenting a wrestling telethon, which went something like 20 hours over Memorial Day weekend. Wrestlethon 87. Yes. Um, I remember this very well. Um, yeah, it was over 24 hours straight of wrestling and wrestling-related programming. <laughs> um, now there was they did cheat towards the end they would start playing movies for the last few hours but it had wrestling wraparounds it would go back to the studio and they'd be in the studio and they would maybe have guests and stuff like that so it wasn't showing wrestling sh- straight for 24 hours but it was Pettacino and crew on for 24 hours plus yes so but yeah um they, they did some great work with the wrestle thons 88 87 and 88 and um there wasn't one in 86 mm, i don't remember if there's one in 86 or not 86 because wasn't 86 when history of pro wrestling in atlanta premiered yeah but that would have been um, its own thing, I think. I don't think there was one in 86. I don't think so. I don't remember. 
but but yeah, I mean, this was a, I mean this was a big thing because Joe uh, got on uh, Ross Schaefer's show, Fox in '88. Yes. Yeah. Um, on, on that WrestleThon, I mean, that was a big thing. So, um, so yeah, they they showed all the territories they had, and they would show stuff that they didn't would would not normally show. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was just a real treat for us. It was it was an, again another one of those things that the Atlanta wrestling fans had that uh, other people could be jealous of. <laughs> yeah. So to speak. And then, of course, 88 had live studio wrestling as part of it, too. Yes. Yeah, the first time they had live studio wrestling in a long time. The first so, time there was any – I believe they say on the broadcast it's the first time there had been live studio wrestling in Atlanta since the end of Live Atlanta Wrestling, the show by that name. Would have been 72. Yeah. There used to be some of the WrestleThon 87 stuff online. Okay. Um, I've been trying to look for it as I vamp here, and I don't see it anymore. It was listed. It didn't have the list, like a listing that would be easy to search. But I saw it, and now I can't find it again. So, which but, date uh, would WrestleThon have been? Because it's the Saturday. It's the. It'd been May the twenty. Oh wait, uh, twenty third. Twenty third. Let me see real quick. So if I search for, because WrestleThon, I'm only getting one hit for WrestleThon, and it's in the previous Sunday listings. But I want to see the grid to see if it has show by show. Um, May twenty three, nineteen eighty seven. So w- what show name should I search for in the, the Atlanta Constitution to see if it uh, comes up here, or should I just oh, search uh- for Superstars of Wrestling first and see? I mean, just search for W. I mean, just search for the TV listing. So I can tell you. Okay. Um, what's the best way to search for the TV listings for a given day? I mean, <laughs> I guess I'll have to look for it then. All right, hold on. Uh, Let's but, see. Oh, and Joe, or, it, oh, go ahead. You said the twenty third, right? That's the Saturday, yes. And um, I just found at Sandy Springs Toyota for the Memorial Day weekend Toyota-thon, they had um, – Yes, they had a special uh, meet and greet with Joe, Bonnie, Wrestling 2, and Scott Armstrong. Pictures, prizes, autographs. All right. So what it says mm-hmm. is it says Russell-thon from 8 o'clock, and that's all it has. But what does the grid and stuff for that day say? Because the only hit I got for WrestleThon. Commas. It's got commas all the way Oh, it says WrestleThon in the grid. Okay. Was it it WrestleSpaceThon instead, maybe? No, it was WrestleThon in one word. Okay. So for some reason, it wasn't coming up on the OCR. Have you noticed? I feel like in my experience, stuff not showing up on search happens more with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution than it does with other papers on newspapers.com. It does that a lot. Okay. It does that a lot. Uh, there's a lot of papers that stuff that stuff searches for that it should get, but it doesn't get that, that you can find in other ways. So weird. But yeah. But anyway. So yep, that's Russell Thon, a big thing in 1987. Excuse me. All right, Continental Championship Wrestling. All kinds of problems at the May 25th Birmingham car, which is supposed to be an 18-man tournament 
four shot at Kurt Hennig's AWA title. Several no-shows left it as a 14-man tournament, as uh, Shaska Watley, Boris Zukov, and Lord Humongous didn't make it. Crowd was about 2,500. And we have a full rundown of the card here from The Observer. It's a rarity in this era for a continental show. All right, so we opened up the tournament with Nightmare Danny Davis beating the Grappler. In the good opener. We'll talk about the Grappler more in just a minute. Nightmare Kim Wayne went to a 15-minute draw with Spike of the Mod Squad. Lots of post-match action with Basher of the Mod Squad and Danny Davis interfering. And since the squad isn't staying, apparently, their status has changed daily. The Nightmares did better in a brawl with Wayne delivering three leg drops off the top ropes on Spike. Because this brawl, Davis was thrown out of the tournament. Well, this isn't the Mod Squad. This is the Mad Squad. We'll have more on that as well as we move along. <laughs> Scott Casey beat Dutch Mantel by DQ in three minutes and two seconds. And Dutch injured Casey, who starts WF this week, and then used his bullwhip on Wendell Cooley, Scott's alleged cousin, and the referee who tried to break things up. Then we get Jimmy Golden over Dirty White Boy. After the bout, the grappler and Jerry Stubbs came out. And Grappler challenged Jimmy Golden and Rob Fuller to drop out of the tournament, and that Stubbs and White Boy would give them the tag title shot. Golden agreed. But Stubbs tried to back out, which got Grappler and White Boy upset as Stubbs wanted to stay at the tournament. When Grappler called Stubbs a chicken, he reluctantly accepted. Stubbs and the Grappler also argued earlier on the interview, and White Boy had to break them up. So you can see what's coming here. Leading to Robert Fuller and Jimmy Golden beat. Jerry Stubbs and Dirty White Boy to win the tag team titles in a good match when Fuller pinned Stubbs after Grappler's attempted inference backfired. Stubbs and Grappler really got into it and wound up challenging each other to a match immediately. Well, let's go to the clip, shall we? Full body slam by Robert Fuller, inverted press. A three count. Very, very close to a three count. Neck breaker by Fuller. And again, Stubbs powers away from it. By Golden, rather, I'm sorry. Jimmy Golden. Now it's Robert Fuller in the ring. Jimmy Golden. And uh, abdominal stretches. Up, the referee knocked to one side. Meanwhile, Tony Anthony. But, and now Robert Fuller is back. And they've got to uh, hold on. The grappler just hit the ring. The grappler just hit the ring. And it was a grappler catching Jerry Stubbs as Robert Fuller rolled to one side. And Robert Fuller gets the pinfall. Gets the pinfall. We've got new Southeastern tag team champions. Jimmy Golden and Robert Fuller have just captured the Southeastern tag team championship. And the grappler who came in the ring trying to be of assistance has cost the team of Jerry Stubbs and the Dirty White Boy the Southeastern tag team championship. And an argument. An argument breaking out in the ring. Jerry Stubbs. And once again, Tony Anthony having to separate him. 
Bad blood developing between the grappler and Jerry Stubbs. Bad blood indeed. Tony Anthony trying to keep the two of them under control. Well, they're going to have to settle that uh, in the dressing room. They're going to have to settle that in the dressing room. But, most importantly, we have... Yeah, they're almost getting into it. And Tony Anthony really having to lean on these fellas. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, we, the most important thing is we do have new Southeastern Tag Team Champions. They're Jimmy Golden and... Well, obviously... Uh... <laughs> Dirty White Boy and Jerry Stubbs are no longer the tag team champions. Gordon Soley, don't ever let it be said that I'm the reason that the Dirty White Boy lost the Continental Tag Team titles tonight right here. The reason is that idiot Jerry Stubbs. I told him before the match he needed me as his partner. Dirty White Boy said, no, I'll use Stubbs. Of course, Stubbs couldn't get the job done like he's always done around here. That's why you've seen a prime example right there of why Jerry Stubbs is a loser. He's always been a loser. There's a nobody trying to be a somebody, boy. No, you I'm just proved it right boy. there. Hey, you, you take it to the ring. I'm not a loser. Boy, you understand? You it right there. You showed everybody. You let Robert Fuller beat you. One, two, three. Embarrass the dirty white boy. Right out here on television, boy. You're a nobody. I told you I should have been your Let me tell you something, Benton. Oh, hey. He ripped his mask off. Hold on. That is Len Denton. Hey. Keep the cameras on this. Keep the cameras on this, because that is Len Denton. And, oh, brother, they're going right down the stairs. Keep the cameras rolling. Len Denton is not allowed to wrestle in the continental area. Let's keep the cameras going. Jerry Stubbs battling it out with a grappler who is in fact Len Dickman is gone to the ring. Let's keep the cameras rolling, please. We will need video proof of this to take it to the board of directors of Continental Wrestling. But we've got a Pier 6 brawl going here between these two. And the dirty white boy still trying to settle it down, but to no avail. Because you've got to... Now, let's make sure this is death now. Let's see if we can get a close-up on that face. Stubbs hurdle over that top rope and outside the ring. It makes no difference. Uh, this is a brawl, not a match. Stubbs in trouble. And no question about that, it's Len Denton. Ooh, brother. Jerry Stubbs in a lot of trouble now. And so, the man who's been calling himself the grappler and who many people had said they thought it was Len Denton, has proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that that's exactly who it is. And Stubbs hurtled over that uh, steel barrier rail. And the referee, well, this is outside the jurisdiction oh, of anybody right now, I would think. However, it is Jerry Stubbs who's in a lot of trouble now. Catching it again from uh, 
And Tony Anthony still trying to break it up. And Denton is a man gone berserk because his identity has been revealed. His identity has been revealed. And this means that he is going to face disciplinary action. And it was Stubbs retaliating that time. And Stubbs now firing away at Denton. Stubbs now caught by Denton, however. And Tony Anthony still trying to break it up. He's still trying to uh, straighten out the situation, but it's gone beyond that point. Denton trying to set in for a pile driver. Blocked by Stubbs the first time. Stubbs turns it around, gets a high backdrop. And uh, Robert Fuller and Jimmy Golden, the new Southeastern Tag Team Champions, have joined me. Gordon, that's four pieces right there for X champions right there, baby. Fighting one another, that shows what they're made of, don't <laughs> I'm going to say you something, Gordon. I'm so happy. I don't know what to say, brother. We're the new tag team champions, and these guys are killing out there. As far as I'm concerned, I'm going to be Well, all right. I can understand your feelings on that. Tony Anthony still trying to get things calmed down, and Jerry Stubbs is having none of it now. He is totally infuriated. A little bit humiliated, man. That's the best thing for him to be because he's got a man in there, ain't supposed to be in the territory at all. No place around Lynn Ditton that's about to whip his tail right there for him. And I think it's about good if they both whip one another. Well, I'm sure a lot of people would agree with you. He's getting exactly what he deserves if they pour it on him, buddy. Well, Jimmy Golden very please. Aha! Harry Stubbs firing back, catches Denton. Catches Denton once again, drops him to the canvas. Tony Anthony still trying to break it up. But this is like trying to stop two cougars in a cat fight, I'll tell you that. Stubbs catches him again, Denton is down. And Stubbs is saying, all right, come over here and count him down. Tony Anthony saying, no way. He's got no referee in. Did come in. Oh, there we go. Just right. Good enough for him. It didn't matter to me who won the thing. Ain't no match, no way. We the match, brother. We the champions now. We ain't concerned about what happens to these guys. We're interested in no any baby. And they're still not satisfied. Now, quite what they turn sometimes. Behind with that boot. <laughs> Tony Anthony trying to stop things the only way he knows how. And uh, uh, uh -oh. there's pretty much stopping now. So yeah. White boy was was uh you know Switzerland there for a while. And then it finally uh became enough too much for him to uh to deal with. So Dave, Dave talked about it. Talked about how uh, they just went almost 10 minutes. Excellent. They wound up fighting the stage. Stubb and Master Grappler, who lost Lose Leave Town not that long ago. And um, they beat Stubbs bloody. He's carrying out the stretcher. White boy Brad that Stubbs is now gone for good. He's partially right. Stubbs is going to disappear. And White Boy's going to feed it with Mr. Olympia. Stubbs under a mask. 
Stubbs was the famous Special Olympian on this circuit in the old Mid-South group. And now with Denton gone, White Boy announced his new tag partner would be Jonathan Boyd, who's making his debut. In fact, debuted on that show, beating Brickhouse Brown. So, Bix, yes, it's, it's Jerry Stubbs turning babyface, and now it's time to be Mr. Olympia again. Oh, because you can't have a bald-headed babyface. <laughs> nope. Chrome Dome is a heel. That's one thing. Can't Chrome Dome is a babyface. It was interesting seeing the Lynn Denton, because Lynn Denton had been in earlier as one half of the Dirty White Boys with White Boy, and then he loses the Loosely Town and then becomes the Grappler again for a short time here. So uh, interesting little stuff there that they were doing with the uh, old connections with White Boy and Lynn Denton. All right, when the Cooley pinned Basher of the Mod Squad. No, he didn't. The other half of the Mad Squad, whoever they were. Uh, Mr. Wrestler 2 wins a double cutout with Mike Golden. No heat at all. Scott Armstrong pinned Dr. Tom Pritchard to win the United States Junior Heavyweight title and was also a tournament match, average match. Dutch Mantel, who should have been eliminated from the tournament as he lost by DQ earlier, then pinned Armstrong. <laughs> yeah, there's that. And then Wendell Cooley beat Dutch by Canada to win the tournament, and he'll meet Kurt Henning. Yeah, this tournament was cursed with the no-shows from the beginning, wasn't it? And having to redo everything. Yeah, pretty much. So... Bob Armstrong's going to return here full-time this week after leaving Crockett, which means the Bullets comes back. Now, they had a tournament in Knoxville, same type of tournament on the 29th, and uh, here's the results we have here. Danny Davis over Booger Powell. Scott Armstrong will go to a draw without a Tom. Jonathan Boyd over Robert Fuller. Ken Wayne over just Shogun. Dirty White Boy over... Dirty White Boy going to a WDQ with Jimmy Golden. Dutch over Brickhouse Brown. Then Willa Cooley over El Lobo, not the guy from CCW. Jimmy Powell over, yeah, Dirty White Boy Jimmy Powell over Mr. Wrestling 2. Danny Davis over Dot Tom. Dutch over Kim Wayne. Willa Cooley over Jimmy Powell. Dutch over Danny Davis. And Wendell over Dutch. But there was also a, a finals to a previous tournament <laughs> for a 1987 IROC. Doug Furness over Nature Boy Buddy Landell. Which is interesting because... These two guys are only feuding in Knoxville. Bud Rowe has left the the uh, basically left, left Continental, but he's still working in Knoxville because that's home. And Doug was mainly working in Knoxville, but not he's not working in Alabama yet. So this is one of those things at the time where Knoxville had this in this era where they would have their own special main events and feuds and stuff like that. His client in Montreal was in the WF. That's how it is at Continental. I mean, it paid off in Montreal, clearly. Yeah, it's something that, depending on the size of the promotion, you can't do everywhere, necessarily, to that degree. But, you know, at least in WWF, Patterson's the booker, sort of. And he always wanted to keep Montreal special because he felt like you had to book it in a very specific way to draw. And he did that for years, you know, I mean... Where else during his WWF run is Ron Garvin in main event matches and and drawing? I mean, he's not even in main events, period, in the WWF. But because it's Montreal, Pat booked him there and it worked. So, you know, same idea. Yeah, Doug is the local hero at University of Tennessee. And it makes sense for him to be, you know, as a main eventer here in Knoxville. Because that's where it would draw more than anything else. Yep. All right, Memphis. 
this group is obviously working close with AWA as well. As Jerry Jarrett did an interview on the AWA TV show they aired in Minneapolis this past weekend. And Jeff Jarrett was named the AWA's Rookie of the Year. For once, an award that's deserved. And will be appearing at the upcoming Las Vegas tapings. Jarrett has been the lightest wrestler who has attempted to be pushed on the national spaces. Jeff was skinny at this time period. Really skinny. And he wasn't as skinny as when he debuted a year earlier, but he was still yeah. pretty skinny. Yes. Um... I forgot that they named him Rookie of the Year in May. Well, at least it was right. Well, yes. He had been wrestling for a full year. Well, yes. And in the, he is absolutely the best rookie in the AWA orbit. Yeah, I guess so. So, it, it works. And, you know, lightest wrestler being pushed. I mean, here's the thing. Jeff was good from the start. And he probably needs to be talked about this way more. By this point, a year in, he is, especially for some a rookie, but, you know, he's working that full schedule, doing the lube. I mean, he is excellent at this point already. You know, all the stuff with him and Tanaka? Well, it's, uh, compared to his experience level, yeah. Absolutely. All right, well, the May 25th show at the Coliseum, which included the return of Jerry Lawler, drew about 8,500 fans, and the crowd was held down by thunderstorms. Results saw Mr. Hilo and Kiyosato, Mr. Shima, over the Southern Boys. Yep, Tracy and Stevie. Uh, Jack Hart over John Paul. Chick Donovan over Alan West to keep the international heavyweight title. Tony Burton over Tojo Yomoto by DQ and Tojo uses kendo stick. Prime time. Paul Diamond and Pat Tanaka beat Big Bubba and Billy Travis to keep the international tag titles. Bubba's bay face here. Jeff Jarrett of a Moondoll spot by DQ to keep him in America title. Bill Dundee over Austin Island by DQ when Tony Rich interfered. So Idol kept Southern title. And then Lawler and Tony Rich's match ended when Lawler was DQ'd and both Idol and Dundee got involved. Now, they said it drew about 8,500. The actual crowd was around 5,800. So I guess somebody got, got reversed there. The five and the eight. Yes. With, with a $20,000 $20, gate, which was nearly doubled that the previous two weeks. But very disappointing. Since generally when Lawler returns after an injury, they sell it the first week. But instead, one got a half house. And, Law- and Dave knows Lawler's got a spike crew cut now. Because he's come- coming back from his head shaving. And it made, Law- it made Lawler look tougher. You know, with the shorter hair and the- he had grown the stubble out here as well. Yes. I like this look. Although, not really living up to the hair match stipulation was bullshit. Yeah. And he got his Bruce Willis haircut. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But at least, he, at least he did cut cut his hair. So not all the way bald, of course. But at least he cut his hair. All right, Louisville on May 26 drew about 1100. A Titan show day before drew about twice as much as Mr. Shima, Mr. Hilo over Alan West and Kevin McQueen, Bubba and Goliath of the Southern Boys. But the Bubba turn hadn't take place yet on TV. Billy, Billy Travis and Jeff Jarrett beat Paul Diamond Petanaka in a non-title match. Correspondent John Lanigan from Pittsburgh, who was in town on vacation, said this is the best tag match he's ever seen, and this car before 1100 was on par with the Crockett Cup. I, I wonder why uh, John Lanigan from Pittsburgh is uh, attending this show with all these Pittsburgh guys working here, Bix. Bruno, Goliath. Yeah, anyone else? I think so. Uh, I guess Soul Train Jones may have still been around here. I can't remember. He's on the card, though. Yeah, uh, but I think he's still in the territory at the time. 
Yep, Jarrett beat Moondog Spot 15 seconds. And Lauren Dundee went to double count by an original brawl, which went all over the building and was excellent. Now, speaking of, they had TV on May 30th where Jerry Lawler and Bill Dundee beat the uh, the uh, Southern Tag Champions Jack Hart and Chick Donovan. Of course, Jack Hart being Barry Horowitz. Also on May 30th, Moondog Spot won the American America title, beating Jeff Jarrett. So let's watch the end of that match, shall we? Yes, let's do that. On the mat again, and he covers. Bruno's in the ring. Bruno's in the ring, and Jeff going after him. Jeff's hair is like this year this year. They got the moon dog with the bone. Jeff dumps him over the back. Referee Jerry Calhoun grabs the bone. Moondog rushes over, drops a knee right in the lower back of Jeff Jarrett. The referee down on the deck. Oh. One big swing with that bone, and Jarrett's down. He pitches it off to Bruno. Jeff Jarrett, very close to losing that title, and he did. He didn't lose it legally, but the referee who was down on the floor didn't see Moondog Spot hit him with a bone. We all saw it, and it ends up with the Moondog having his hand raised. We don't have it here. They probably should have had Calhoun on a side of the ring and at a camera angle where it's less obvious that he can hear Lance and Dave. <laughs> yeah. Because usually, I mean, granted, we don't that, get that many like big title changes and stuff that would require cheating behind the ref's back on the weekly Memphis TV. But th this could have been done a little better. Anyway. Yeah. Jeff Jarrett still in the ring as downtown Bruno over trying to uh, to get the belt. Hey, you know that that victory in there was a was a sham. Hey, brother, you, you ended up in here using a ball. And you know what? We want that belt. We don't have to leave the time. We want a match. And we're saying, here it is now. Here's our belt. It's our belt. We got it. We got it. Yeah. got a hold of the belt and the referee trying to tell him he lost the match. Of course, the referee didn't see all that we saw. That's our belt. We wanted to give it to us. There was a stipulation. Where's Randy Hills at? Hills straight inside. Where's that Randy Hills at? That's our belt. That was a stipulation. Here he comes. Just go Hey. Randy, who represents promoter Eddie Marlin is out talking to Jeff and an opportunity for Moondog to jump him. He grabs the belt. Jeff goes high tailing <laughs> it right after him. And out of the area they go, but they had the opportunity when they were distracted to nail Jeff and take that belt away. 
uh, was not right. Certainly he used the bone That's in there. Exactly right. There is no way with a referee down there on the floor, he couldn't see it. That's we exactly could right. see it. And Lance, you know, in any title defense, you get a return match. Randy Hales, get out here. I want my return match right now. Right, we got yeah. plenty of time. Look at the clock, Lance. Well, that's not the question. No. What you really ought to he do is think it over. Jeff. Let's go, Randy. A return match right now. Jeff, listen to me. This is the problem when you get hot-headed. You agreed to the match. It was a verbal contract. It wasn't a written contract. Okay, so what if I agree to it? I want my return match now. In a verbal contract, Jeff, that does not say that. You go back there and get a return match, Randy. I can't get you a return match. Well, you go get a return match, Randy. Well, for those of you who just, you know, they steal the belt away from Jeff Jarrett, and then uh, he wants, and of course I think he ought to wait on it, but he wants to have an immediate return match in there, but it's not all that easy when you jump into things, and it's just like Randy was saying that you you get a little too quick when you get hot-headed sometimes. Here comes Bruno sneaking out behind Randy Hales. And Lance, I tell you what he's saying. I went back and I asked him for a return match. What? He can he can have you can have a return match. Well, wait, 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 wait. Not right now. Let let your friend here tell you what's going on. It ain't gonna be today. Jeff, Jeff, listen, listen to me. The only way that they're gonna give you a title match is for you to put up your hair. I want my title match. I said I don't care any kind of title match. Hair match, cage match. I said he wants you to put up your hair. That's fine, Randy. You don't get my point. I want a return match. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go, Randy. I want a return match. Say you're hot again, Jeff. You're not thinking, and you're, 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 you're. Hey, listen. You can lose your hair. Does that ever dawn on you? You can lose your hair. I want my return match. Jeff, he said there's no way that that he lets you have the title match today. But the next time you have a title match, the only way is for your hair to be aside. Now think about it oh, before I'll you agree it. with I'll it. I'll sign it. Yes, sign it. You are not paying attention because. You think you can't lose and you can't lose your hair. I got to remind you this. Jerry Lawler thought exactly the same thing. I saw Jerry go through a many a match without losing his hair, but it can happen. And knowing what's in this guy's mind, Jeff, you better think before you ever talk about a hair match. That's all I can ask you to do. Lance, I'm going to sign it. I don't care. I want my belt back worse than anything in the world. I'll sign the hair match. Well, uh, well he wants it, Lance. We tried to tell him. That's all I could do. Yeah, well, you just take it on out of here. <laughs> well, I guess not to preach anymore, but that's what we've said about youth and being a little hot-headed. We're in a Sam Hill, are we? <laughs> oh, I guess we got to go to a break, and we'll take time out, and we'll be back in just a moment. I wish you. youth <laughs> get in the way of brain sometimes those girls in the studio love jf though <laughs> they didn't want him to put his hair on the line that's for sure his luxurious hair yeah so i mean and, and lance on, on doing the storytelling of Kyle, on the uh thing there about lawler we didn't think lawler was gonna lose his hair yeah but he just did Yep. Throw that in there. Let let them know. Hey, 
This can happen. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. All right. So next, Bill Nundy uh, and Paul E. Dangerly have a nice little tete-a-tete where Paul E. wants to manage the superstar. Let's go to the clip. Remember, it's Dangerly because Jerry thought uh, Jerry Jarrett, I believe, thought that dangerously would be too hard to pronounce for the fans. <laughs> yes. Ooh, we're going to be about ready to go the ring here in just one moment. Boy, I got to tell you what, we got the king and the superstar the coming up in a match against Stretcher Jack Hart and Golden Boy Chick Donovan. You know? Uh, yes, I know. Yeah, I'm sure you do. Everybody knows that I was away last week to have the plastic surgery done in New York. It went very well. And you see, that is really the subject of today's speech, Lance, is that this place has really become nothing but a circus, man. I mean, get a tent over this joint. You know, every time somebody comes out here to talk, you got guys running out and hitting people. I had to get plastic surgery, and we all know why, because Lawler threw fire in my face, and we know it was Lawler. You know, and people are getting, last week Lawler comes out in a dress. I mean, everybody's getting beat up, and you know, it's, it's ridiculous. I want to come out here today and conduct myself like a gentleman, which I am. I want to conduct myself as a businessman. I want to just make a legitimate business offer to a man who has been here and has gone and has come back again. I, I don't want to get hit. I don't want to get in a fight. I'm not an athlete. I'm, I'm just a manager. I'm a businessman. And I just want to speak to this guy and just make him an offer. And if he doesn't like it, just go away and we'll have the match. And that's it. I have no beef with this man. I hope he has no beef with I like how he keeps saying he's a businessman because Chris, what is Rob <laughs> Naylor's favorite line from the post-air match promo? <laughs> Tommy Rich saying, Paul Dangerly, businessman, over and over again. Yeah. And that's just what a he couple is. weeks earlier. Yes. Yeah. Me, the man that I'm talking yeah, about. Who are you talking And if you'd come out right now, I'd like Bill, the superstar himself, Dundee, to come out. I just have an offer to make you. No violence, no violence, no punching, nothing like that. Just come out, Bill. I just want to talk to you for a moment. And if you don't want to talk to me afterwards, just go back and we go on without business. Okay, here we go. Well, at least one thing I'll say, you're out here by yourself without a bunch of goons to jump somebody. That's right, that's right. Bill? Hey, Paul E., before we get started, I was standing back there listening to the mic. You said you are a liar. You said you had plastic surgery. And if you did, my friend, the only place I think you had it was on your behind. Okay, look, look. I am not here to trade barbs with you. I, whoa, whoa, whoa. Just wait. Just wait. Okay. He said no trouble. Let's not have any, look, please. Austin and Tommy are not here. Okay? I got nobody behind me. Shocking. I'm here by myself. Okay? I'm here to show you the respect that you deserve. You are indeed a superstar. And that is why I called you out today. Because you are the superstar. And Jerry Lawler is supposedly the king. Okay? And you hate Lawler as much as Austin and, and Tommy and myself do. You see, the thing is, Bill, and you, I may call you Bill, I hope. The thing is that every time after the match that Austin and Tommy and I are sitting in the dressing room, we all say, we say, you know, we don't want to mess with Bill Dundee. Not only is he a tough son of a gun, but we seem to like you for some reason, Bill. Tommy and you were tag team partners for years. You see, we like you, and Lawler doesn't. Lawler hates you as much as you hate Lawler, okay? And I know that with the right incentive, 
you can come over here and join me, Tommy, and Austin. So I tell you what, business proposition here, okay? Here it comes. Man, you know what this is? Unlimited credit. I tell you what you can do. If you you just cross on over, join me, Tommy and Austin. Okay, join us. All you gotta do, take this, go wherever you wanna go. Go to the shopping stores, go buy yourself a car. Unlimited credit card. It's yours, Bill. It's yours for 30 days. You can do whatever you want. It's all yours. Are you sure it's not Shane Douglas's? I love that one fan. Don't want to let him touch you. <laughs> I love studio wrestling. I don't need you as a manager or anybody else. And how I feel about law is my business, but we're one hell of a tag team, right? And that's all you need. I ain't giving you nothing. But he can be this credit card. He take it, use it. He said, take it, use it for a month, any way you want to. You give me the card. There's a million people watching this, and you give me this credit card. And I am keeping the credit card. Here comes Lawler. Oh, the key! Oh, I, I think we're getting a little interest on the credit card, Dave. Oh, hey, hey, come on, fellas. It's a family show, please. Fall dangerly. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Paul not only lost his credit card, he lost when he carries the credit card in. His pants. Hey, don't get around me. <laughs> ah, we ended up with one solitary shoe left. <laughs> Telling you. <laughs> uh, yeah. I love it, huh? There are just times when you gotta sit down and laugh. Smart businessman, hands credit card. Yeah, huh? yeah. Bill says, hey, you just gave me the credit card for 30 <laughs> yeah, days. I heard him. <laughs> here comes Chick out of a jack card, David. Uh, and they are here without Paulie Dane. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Paul East 21 here. Yeah. <laughs> very, very young. I mean, you look, you got Paul East 21, Jeff Jarrett. It's what, 18, 19. Mm-hmm. You know, you got Lawler and Dundee and Isla and Rich, but and Bruno, Bruno's no spring. I mean, not, not no old man. Let's see. What else Bruno? Bruno. Bruno was 21. So your top heel managers are both 21 years old. Yeah. Billy Travis just turned 26, so he's young. Yeah. Let's see what else. Pat Tanaka. Pat Tanaka's 23. Paul Diamond. He was 26. Well, because he had the soccer 
career first. Yeah. So that makes sense. But yeah, I mean, but so still, but still, I mean, a lot of young guys here in Memphis, absolutely. So. Yeah, and this is one of my favorite periods of Memphis because you have this nice mix of your mainstays and this kind of different younger talent. Yeah. And and the thing is, those like you know, they made a joke about Island Rich not being there. They they very rarely ever were in the studio. That's kind of why they had Heyman, right? Yes, they were very rarely in the studio, and it's why one reason why the um, why the, the syndicated shows are like they are because they have to go heavy with clips from the Coliseum to end with, with the specific promos of Island Rich, even though they're working. Louisville and Evansville and stuff like that, but they're not working TV. Yes, the, the the Evansville and other Loop TV, you know, the hour version is interesting during this period because your top heels are not working. Yeah, because they're not working the studio tapings because when they're shooting angles, they're at the Coliseum and stuff. You know, one thing we've talked about before you know, in part because it's one match in one town and they do the interview, excuse me, the injury angle coming out of the hair match. They had the hair match on the Evansville and other non Memphis TV that weekend, mm-hmm. which was not how that normally worked. No, I mean, they wouldn't show Memphis clips usually anyway, but in that case, they needed to update everyone on the angle and all that. So it, so it aired alongside yeah. the stuff from the a week earlier in the studio, yeah. which was also tricky because what was it about a third or more of it was somewhere between like a third and a half of the WMC show going into the cage match was devoted to setting up the cage match. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, Alan, what's chick Donovan now gone? Donovan left because he couldn't afford to stay. Literally. Donovan held the international belt, which he dropped on May 30th in Nashville at Dundee, and the Southern Tag Belts were partnered Jack Hart. Can't afford to stay. And Chick's not a young guy in the business by any stretch of imagination, but he couldn't afford to stay. So, Alan West would go on to uh, the AWA at this point in time. So, moved on to greener pastures, I guess. Jerry Bryant, who's been gone for a few months due to a heart condition, and at one point was told to quit wrestling, returns this week and will reform his Memphis Vice tag team with Lou Winston. So is the heart condition something that was going on? Or was it related to his muscular dystrophy? Or No, not his muscular dystrophy, his ALS, I should say. It may went hand in hand, but this is probably what they knew. That's one of the reasons why Jerry Bryant really, I mean, his wrestling is very sporadic. Because he was having health issues for many years. He would he would wrestle, and then he'd fall to the face of the earth for a few years, and they'd come back, and you know, he'd leave again and come back. It's a shame because Jerry Bryant could, could work. He's a damn good talent. And then he gets ALS, and it just, it's just brutal how, you know, how quick he went down. And that uh, that telephone clip, yeah, that's still one of the toughest things you'll ever see on a wrestling television show. Because he went uh, Labor Day telephone, yeah, in '89, right? Yeah, with his wife doing all the speaking, and he's there and just just 
just oh right before he's i mean right right before he dies i mean he's out there and it's just oh yeah and uh, yeah i mean it's such a quick deterioration that A-list, two years no joke. yeah you know but two years from him still being an active wrestler and still being you know you couldn't tell from his work he was still a hell of a worker at this point yeah, him and Lou, I think they last teamed up in 88. Oh, yeah, so it's even later. But it's a shame. Total shame what happened. Yep. All right, WWE, oh, excuse me, I'll jump the gun. The Jarrett's starting a wrestling school in Hendersonville, Tennessee, near Nashville. Uh, and, you know what that means. I mean, if you're hearing about wrestling school starting up, it's time, it's, it's time to get some money. <laughs> and this is Dundee's wrestling school, technically. It's the, well at yes. the time it's the CWA wrestling school, but Dundee's in charge. Yes, he's the he's the head trainer. Yes. So yeah, <laughs> time to get some money. <laughs> yeah, and that produced, um, let's say uh, Todd Morton, Terry Sims, Mark Gulen. Who else? I mean, it, it produced a, a lot of guys that were t- the TVs and stuff. I mean. Alan Reynolds came out of there. Um, oh God, why am I, I'm blanking on that guy's name. JD Wolf came out of there. Was um, I mean, uh, I Sean mean, Baxter? Sean, I think Sean Baxter, possibly. I mean, well, Jamie, Jamie trained there. Yeah, even though he's Bill's son, but still. Yeah. Um. So yeah, and, and there were others along the way, but yeah. They put out some talent. Absolutely. All right, WWA. We have Bruisers group. Scott Recksteiner, brother of Rick Steiner, a former All-American 191-pounder at University of Michigan, lost the WWA world title, which he won his very first pro match, in a loosely town match with the great Wojo, Greg Wachkowski, a former world-class amateur. Recksteiner is supposed to be moving in with his brother, which means he may pop up in the UWF. He does. As Scott Sanders and does TV jobs for a little bit before UWF basically gets swallowed up whole by Crockett. And then he pops back up in Memphis in 88 as Scott Steiner. I don't know if I've ever seen that. Scott Sanders? Yeah. Really? I'm looking now. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Is any of that online? Uh, It should be. Okay. Uh, yeah, Scott Sanders. Let me see here where he would have, what shows he would have been on. All right, um, on uh, UWF, uh, I think this is the July 11th UWF or Power Pro in that time. He wrestles gentleman Chris Adams. That was a match taped on June 25th. Uh, he wrestled Black Bart in the July on the July 4th UWF show. That was taped on June 11th. Uh, let's see who else. Uh, yeah, I mean he 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 doesn't work long. It's like a couple of TV tapings. That's about it. Hmm. Scott so, Sanders. Scott Sanders. Yes. Not Steve Sanders, but Scott Sanders. I knew you would. Uh... <laughs> and he looked. I mean, he had those Scott Steiner look. He had you know, he had the mullet, and you know, he he looked like he looked. So it wasn't a different look there. But he's doing the TV job, so we don't get any one and a half superfly. No, 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 no. 
For some reason, Monsoon Classic has Shane Douglas versus Mike Boyette from the July 11th TV up, but just that. And I don't see the full well, show up. Had their reasons, I guess. All right, world class. The May 25th Garden Fort Worth drew a $9,000 gate. About 1,100 fans, which is the largest gate there in a few months. As Bruiser Bro to beat Abdullah Butcher in a Texas death match. Plus, in a match where the loser gets painted yellow, Matt Bourne beat Percy Pringle. Of course, it's Memorial Day. Kevin Von Erich was there doing an interview and said he almost died from the dreaded Oriental Punch that Brian The Diaz Oriental didn't. Tool Punch. Yes, that Brian Adias didn't give him when he passed a few weeks back. He said he couldn't believe Adias would actually try and kill him in the ring, which Dave Gesser shows that every time he thinks they've hit new lows, they continue to prove him wrong. Vic, you want to explain what really happened to Kevin Von Erich in that ring? He overdosed to the point that Tommy Rogers had to give him mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. He, I mean, he basically died. Mm-hmm. But they angled it out to uh, the Oriental tool. So. Yeah, which I, I kind of get it. Well, they got to do what they got to do. I yeah. Mean, it's, I mean, it, 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 is, it, is, it, is it sad? Yeah, but I mean... It happened in the ring. You gotta explain it to the fans. You can't tell the fans, yeah, he almost overdosed on drugs. <laughs> I mean, you can't do that. You can't. You can't be that transparent, especially in the eighties. So, well, at least the ha- story. The story that went out was overdose. I should say there have been claims that it was a concussion, or that it was. Which I mean, it is Kevin Von Erich, but I don't know. I don't know if he would have required mouth to mouth if it. For a concussion-related thing, would he? No, I don't think so. Um, just pulling up some of the newspaper coverage. So this was the thirteenth, or this this article's from the thirteenth, uh, and that was okay. So yeah, it was the eleventh. Was the TV uh, wrestling star Kevin Von Erich was released from a fourth Fort Worth hospital? This is from the Star Telegram. Early Tuesday after suffering concussion during match Monday night at the Will Rogers Coliseum. He was taken to Harris Methodist Fort Worth at midnight. Emergency room supervisor jo- Joan Mertz said released at 1.10 a.m. after being treated for his injury. Okay, that's interesting. He was released after an hour after he needed mouth-to-mouth? <laughs> um, MedStar representative Doug Key said Kevin Von Erich struck his head when he hit a turnbuckle, a part of the ring where the ropes came together in a padded area. Okay, so that's interesting. The hospital is saying it's a head injury, but they're not going with what ends up being the kayfabe excuse. Hmm. And, yeah, this is an hour where hospitals would give out that kind of information. Um, Let me see. Is this a front page? Yep. Oh, my God. Elsewhere in the same uh, Star-Telegram, Nurse felt honored to aid Kevin Von Erich. Of course. A Fort Worth nurse said she felt honored that she was able to administer first aid to wrestler Kevin Von Erich after he fell unconscious during a Monday match at Will Rogers Coliseum. Okay, since we we see unconscious here again, with what we're seeing here and what the hospital is saying, is it possible the mouth-to-mouth thing isn't true? It's possible. I mean, is there video? I don't think there's video. No, it didn't air on TV. No. Okay, so here's more from this article. At one point, his teeth were clamped down on his tongue. I put my finger 
on the back of his mouth and massaged the back of his mouth and gums until he released his tongue. Betty George, 43, an unemployed licensed vocational nurse, said Tuesday. Okay, so this is the nurse who administered first aid on site at the Will Rogers Coliseum. Huh. I would think, right? Well, I mean, so this kind of... This kind of... So she's saying it was a seizure. Yeah. It's questioning the whole narrative that we've had all these years. Yeah. Um, It was a great experience, and I feel very honored having been able... (laughs) Yeah, that's one way to put that. Um, To help him since the family has had so much tragedy recently. Kevin Von Erich, 29. Yeah, he's still only 29 here. Is the older brother, Michael Von Erich, who committed suicide in April, but taking a sedative overdose. Kevin Von Erich was treated for a head injury and released Tuesday morning from Harris Methodist Fort Worth. Hospital spokesman Tom Peck said... When he fell to the floor after hitting his head, they started shouting for medical assistance, George said. So I ran to the ring, but at first was pushed back because they thought I was just another fan. When I identified myself as a nurse, they let me through. Medical ambulance personnel arrived soon after and treated Von Erich, then took him to the hospital. Von Erich struck his head on turnbuckle, part of the ring where the ropes come together, in a padded area, said Doug Key, another MedStar spokesman. Von Erich was having quote-unquote seizure activity when she first reached him, George said. He was unconscious and unresponsive, so I started opening his eyes. George uh, said she asked Von Erich if he knew where he was, and he said yes in Fort Worth. I heard a lot of people praying that he would be okay. Some of them told me I saved his life, but I don't think that. God told me what to do, and I automatically did it. Of course, after it was over, I felt like a dream had come true for me because I had taken care of a Von Erich. (laughs) Okay. This woman seems a little starstruck and kooky. That said, these two articles, more so this one, because it really has more details and it overlaps with the details in the other one. I'm starting to wonder now where the hell this idea of Tommy Rogers giving him mouth to mouth came from, because look, regardless of what you think happened, if that happened, that would be here, wouldn't it? Yes. So who would have who would have been the one that first uh, talked about this? I wonder. I'm curious what's in the previous observer or two as well. I mean, I know it's mentioned in the Irv Muchnick thing. Let me see what exactly he wrote. Uh, I guess I'll search for Rogers. Well, it's also Will Rogers Coliseum. Uh, okay. You think this is Gary, is it? You don't think this is Gary Hart, do you? Gary Hart was the one one of the people who went with it being a head injury. Well, then it ain't him. Yeah. Um, no matter what those in legit sports and those other respectable breeding may think, wrestling is... Okay, explaining what pro wrestling is. Uh, chaos reigned at ringside. The bell rang. TV cameras were switched off. Wrestler Tommy Rogers, scram- Rogers scrambled through the ropes and formed CPR on his fallen partner who was turning blue. But that's not consistent with anything else here at all and i don't i mean look it's the von erics they have their sway although less than they had a few years earlier there is that i if tommy well that's the thing though no one no one here is even saying he was he really fully lost consciousness it doesn't seem like either or like that they lost a heartbeat or anything there's nothing here about him not breathing there's everything here is about Losing consciousness and seizure activity. Yeah. How is it this... 
you know, one of these days we mean we may need to do some kind of on Eric's Patreon show or something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's plenty of stuff to go to over the years because, like, I've I've never listened to. I know Jack and JP did an amazing job by all accounts with the world class and Von Eric shows they did on Lapsat. But look how much Von Eric debunking we've been getting into on this show the last couple of years, you know? Debunking yeah. like the anti-Von Eric narratives, which I don't think is something either of us expected. But the more you look up, especially with looking at other media sources and stuff, it seems like there's a lot that does not mesh with the historical narrative, as we've learned it through the Observer and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it, there's there's probably enough meat on the bone to do something, yeah. We'd have to figure uh, out the way to do it, but maybe we would kind of do it around all the major events, something like that. You know, we, I mean, we did and we did the week of David's death, so I don't think we would need to do that, and because we did that pretty comprehensively. Yeah. But we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's continue here back to world class. Then uh, Denton is coming in. <laughs> Shocking. Who is simply the grapple about his mask? Uh, Dingo Warrior return on May twenty fifth is getting a heavy push. This is hurting for wrestlers. And Dingo though they still haven't found one. <laughs> All right, they drew 1,100 fans at Will Rogers on Memorial Day at, uh, for this um, lineup here. Yeah, oh, Black God, Art. I'm pulling up the earlier observers in May, and I'm realizing, oh, you had to – this. we're still in the uh, flying O's era of the observer and Dave's typewriter. So uh, yes. I, I, I empathize with what you had to do in putting together the notes for this show. Yeah. Uh, Black Bart beat Perry Jackson, your opener. Boy Tony uh, went to a draw with Steve Dahl. Yes, Tony Falk does the Boy Tony gimmick for like a couple weeks here before they say, that's too gay, <laughs> and make him become Cowboy Tony. <laughs> well, according to Gary Hart, he's specifically, you know, going back from how he didn't want to portray gay Gary Hart in a homophobic way despite being yeah. ordered to be gay Gary Hart, that he didn't like this gimmick and he liked Tony Falk. So he was like, yeah. You're not going to be Boy Tony anymore. It was the right call. Yes. It was the right call. Um, Tony Atlas over Al Perez. Fantastics and Matt Bourne over Rock, Rock and Roll PMs and Eric Embry. Matt Bourne over Perth Spring on the Loose Painted Yellow match. Dingo Warrior over Ted Arcidi. Alberto Madrill over Brian Diaz. And then Bruiser Brody won the Texas Death match over Abdul the Butcher. Then they ran a sport tour for TV on May 29th. We had the Dingo Warrior over Bear Collie. Yes, Crockett job guy, Bear Collie here. Uh, Brian Diaz and Eric Gambrell over Alberto Madrill and Sweet Brown Sugar. Ted Arcini going to a WDQ with Matt Bourne. And Al Perez going to a draw with Steve Simpson. This aired on June the 6th. And on the June 13th show, we had uh, the Rock and Roll PMs over Steve Dahl and Steve Simpson. That's a team. Al Perez over Perry Jackson. Alberto Madrill over Lynn Denton. And the Fantastics over Cowboy Tony and Eric Gambry. Hmm. Okay. Um, first of all, so just nice seeing Tony and Embry, the Dale Man crew, uh, teaming up here. Yes. Uh, so I pulled up the May 25th Observer. Here's what it says on the first page about what happened. 
The Von Erichs were all over the news this past week. This past Monday, May 11th, during an eight-man tag team match in Fort Worth, Fantastics, Kevin Von Erich and Bruiser Brody against Brian Adidas, Al Madrill, Blackbar, and Al Perez, Kevin Von Erich suddenly collapsed in the middle of the ring. According to Ringside Report, Kevin turned blue in the face and had to be revived by CPR, by CPR, okay, from Tommy Rogers. There were a lot of fears about what happened, but officially has been reported that Kevin suffered a concussion from a blow and a fractured jaw and will be out of action for four weeks. Nothing in the newspaper, at least, about a fractured jaw. I don't know about on TV. That means Kevin won't be making his Japan commitments uh, to participate in the IWGP series for Inoki. While it is possible, uh, although quite rare, for a wrestler to suffer a concussion from a blow, let's just say that there were... Uh, wait, those who were there live seem to dismiss the possibility that it's the real story. Uh, the bad luck of the Von Erichs really is, uh, is really is something. But Vince Lombardi once said that luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Bad luck must work that way as well. So this is people at ringside saying this to Dave. And because it's Kevin Von Erich, put two and two together. But, well, no, he's not even saying drugs here per se. I mean, he's kind of implying it, but... I would have to ask Irv if the Observer is the source for that or if he talked to people who were there. Because uh, I hate to say it, but it's a 1987 Observer. There's a more than decent chance this did not happen that way, right? If we're going yeah. with that as the source. Yeah. So. Yeah. Interesting. World Class is quite the promotion at this time. Absolutely. Yeah, and they're also right now in the flux with if they're switching the TV production and syndication around, too. Mm-hmm. Speaking of promotions and flux, Central States. They've been running down Ric Flair recently because Crockett pulled him out of his June 4th booking here. They're saying that Flair is afraid of David Peterson and that he picks his opponents and will only meet, the fat, meet, only meet fat people and Russians. <laughs> I love it. Fat people and Russians. Amazing. Of course, Crockett had them pulled out of uh, Central States, you know, weeks earlier. So there's still some bitterness over that. But, yeah, uh, because all of a sudden, I mean, all of a sudden now Geigel's having to pay for his TV production and everything again. And I, I would think Geigel was paying the Crockett developmental type talent, right? At least... No, I don't know so. if he was. I don't know if he was paying the top guys necessarily that yeah. were coming in for shots. Fat people and Russians. Yeah. The May twenty eighth show in Kansas City drew five hundred fans, more than double the recent average. Oh boy. Well, can you imagine why? Bruiser Brody returned, and was DQ for being up everyone in sight against Rip Rogers. Other results saw Bart Batten and Bobby Jaggers beat the Warlord and Port Chop Cash. Rufus R. Freight Train Jones kept the Central States title being Mr. Pogo. Crusher Carl, Crusher Carl Kovac, KKK, yeah. beat Earthquake Ferris. David Peterson went to a draw with Vinnie Valentino. And Rip McCore beat Russell Sapp. You know how stupid to think about that. All right, so you're, you were supposed to have David Peterson, DJ Peterson, face Ric Flair on the June 4th show in Kansas City. And on the, the show the week before, you have him go to a draw with Vinnie Valentino. Well, is it possible he pulled out before this? 
Yeah, but I'm saying though, wouldn't you want to be making David Peterson still this strong guy that Ric Flair's? Oh scared yeah, if he's of? afraid of why is he? Yeah, going to a draw with Vinny Valentino. Yeah. Um, this territory is not looking good. And it would get worse in the next year or so. Too. Oh yes, yes. Um, is there any story we've ever heard to why Warlord stuck around? Like, did he meet a woman or something? I mean, it's very possible. Or he just felt like he needed to stay there to, to, to get more seasoning. Does that strike know. you as the Warlord, though? Uh, no. He's probably told the story before, but I don't remember it. So, but anyway, let's go to the American Wrestling Association. The loss of the Rockers really hurts things here. Yeah. Because, you know, they get fired from WF, but they still don't go back immediately to the AWA. No. They're on their uh, their tour of promotions they burn. Because then they go to Continental, burn them, and then go to Memphis. And they don't go back to the AWA until 88. Mm-hmm. Now, Dave knows when Big Bubba arrives, he's going to feud with Jerry Blackwell. And that's Fred Ottman, in theory. Yeah. Right? Fred. And, and something happened there where he didn't come in, but... That would have been interesting to see him in this territory. He would, I think, he would have fit in very well. Yeah, but it probably should have done it. Where does he go when he does? Well, because he's well, no, he stays. He in stays Memphis. in Memphis. Yeah. He stays Where's... in Memphis and then leaves Memphis and goes to work for WOW. Um, yes, in the Gulf Coast, and then leaves there and goes to work for Steve Kern in Florida. Yeah. Because he's there a long time before Dusty shows up. He's babyface, U.S. Steel, and all that stuff. And yes, yeah, he basically goes back, goes home. That's where he's from, Tampa. So he goes back home. You know, in the grand scheme of things, it's kind of insane that it took him almost five years to get to the WWF. How big he was, yes. Well, and also perfect. Not just big, like it's really like. He he's not in quite as good shape, surprisingly enough, since it's usually the opposite when he goes to WWF. But still, he is a jacked, like giant power lifting, power lifter looking super heavyweight. You know, yeah. with his size and his height and everything. Yeah, it's weird that he didn't go until so much later, and even then gets put in this gimmick that's not making the most of his look and presence and everything. Yeah. All right. They are obviously building towards EGADs. Some time matches with Vernon, Greg Gagne against Larry and Kurt Henning. They're not. They don't happen, but you could see where that was going. You could see it was going in that direction. So, yeah. Um, New to the area are Wahoo McDaniel, who's supposed to be the booker in this new venture on the West Coast, Stony Burke and Mitch Snow, which. I'm not sure what Dave's talking about with a new venture on the West Coast. Who knows? Unless he knew something I don't know, you know, or never was a reporter or anything. Because Namalini was the promoter for the mm-hmm. for the Bay Area. So I don't know what that could be. But yeah, everybody, all these people in this list comes in. So there's that. Some stay longer than others. Now, speaking of the West Coast, Portland. Roddy Piper showed up again for television commentary duty on the May 30th Portland card. Supposedly he can't work for anyone but Titan until September because of a clause in his contract, but will return to the ring, probably to the highest bidder, at the end of the summer. As Dave figured all along, Piper was simply taking his typical summer vacation. Wrong. Yeah, 
Very wrong. <laughs> How about that? Very wrong. But as we'll see as well, there's kind of a weird WWF connection to Portland at the time anyway. Let's go to the results. All right, so let's go to the Portland Sports Arena on May 30th. We have Coco Samoa going to a draw with Art Cruz. Billy Two Eagles over George Scolan, son of Arnold Scolan. Mark Young, son of Chief J. Strombo, went to a draw with the Mighty Sputnik. Scott Peterson over Joey Jackson. And Rip the Cripple Oliver over Mike Miller in your main event. So besides that Vince always gave him a little bit of rope to do stuff for Dono in any way, it's also the two the territory where the sons of two of the main road agents are breaking in. Yes. So that that's a bit different. Port yeah, Portland was one of those territories where Vince didn't go as hard on as he could have. I think he saw I think he honestly saw Portland as one of those places where it's valuable because it's a learning ground. You know, he didn't see Don Owen as somebody that was competition to him. Right. Because, I mean, that's the thing, especially with Portland. I remember Meltzer going over this in the past, maybe in the Buddy Rose obituary. The thing with Portland is with the small crew and the format of the TV and all that, you are going to get ring time. You are going to get ring time with veterans you are going to get enough of a push to be working programs and learning how to do that pretty much just from being on the roster. And that's not something you can say about the other territories. So I can see why he might see more specific value in it for that on top of not finding it threatening than he might for, you know, Memphis at the time. Well, the thing about Memphis, though... They try. I mean, he had a thing for Memphis from the jump, and then maybe maybe it's because of Lawler, you know, of, of who Lawler was and what, and Lawler being a loudmouth. But what's one of the first places that they start running shows at the outside of their their you know their home area? Memphis, Memphis Louisville. Louisville. Yeah, those, in those cities. Yes, mm-hmm. June '84. So, I don't know. Memphis was different in his eyes, I guess. But anyway, Portland. Still a Dow period. But, it, you know, it's, it'll turn as uh, the end of 87 goes along in the 88. With Piper's help as uh, the time goes along as well. So there you go. All right, now we're going to close out with the conglomerate of Jim Crocker Promotions, which means all the people they're involved with. So let's start with Championship Wrestling Florida. Even though the Mod Squad appeared on May 25th for Continental in Birmingham, they may be staying here since they appeared at TV Tapemans on May 27th, challenging Mike Graham and Steve Kern to Florida Tag Team title matches. Both the squad and Chaska Wally, who was shifted to UWF, were scheduled to start with Continental this week. However, Dave was told Crockett gave them a raise and kept them working for him. Let's fast forward a week later, shall we? A correction on something which confused Dave greatly. The Mod Squad actually never appeared at Con- on Continental's show in Birmingham on May 25th. They were at one point coming in, but Crockett gave them the raise to stay in Florida. This group continued to build them, but the tag team brought in was not announced as the Mod Squad, but as the Mad Squad, and were two green guys. For more on that, listen to the Continental <laughs> episodes of Exile on Bad Street featuring Chris and the King of Kingsport Bojams. And the thing is, is that, I mean... 
It's not like the Mod Squad hadn't been on television. It's the Mod Squad. So, but obviously the fans, whoever said that reporting today was confused enough, thinking it was the Basher and Spike. So, I don't know. That's very a very weird story. But, yeah, Crown gave him a raise. Kept him. And, you know, they start working more and more TVs, too. So, yeah. All right, the Midnight Express is headed in for a short tour in early June to defend their U.S. tag titles against the Southern Boys, which they do. Good stuff. First time that those two teams worked against each other. Sir Oliver Humperdinck has placed a bounty on the head of Ed the Bull Gantner. It seems they're forever doing bounties here. Yeah, Florida definitely loved their bounties in uh, in this latter era on different people having bounties on their heads. So, uh, man, when you you, know, you ain't too creative, you got to go back to uh, the well every so often. And this is one of the things I love to do. So there's that. All right, the highlight of the May 27 TV tables of Florida title match with Mike Rotunda defending against Dory Funk Jr. Before the match, Funk slapped Ron Simmons. The finish saw a rep bump, then Kevin Sullivan interfered, hit Rotunda with a chair, and Funk got the pin, but a second ref came in and reversed it. So there you go there. Their house show in Miami that night at the Miami Beach Auditorium Convention Hall, we have Bob and Brad Armstrong over the Mod Squad. The Southern Boys over Ron Bass and Crusher Knopf, which is not right because Ron Bass isn't working here. So that that is a wrong name in the results. Uh, Jimmy Garvin over T. Joe Kahn. Mike Graham over Dory Funk Jr. by disqualification. Then we have Ed the Bull Gantner and Barry Windham over the Tahitian Prince, Samu and T. Joe Kahn. And then Ed the Bull Gantner and Barry Windham over Dory Funk Jr. and Tahitian Prince. And the Road Warriors beat Manny Fernandez and Rick Rude by disqualification in the main event for the NWA World Tag Titles, which is interesting because Rick Rude's already walked out of Crockett, which makes me wonder. You think Rude, and this was for the newspapers, which they had Ron Bass wrong, but I could see Rude working this show because it's not it's it's a Crockett show, but it's not a Crockett show because it's in Florida. You get my drift? Well, Crockett does not actually own the territory. No. He's supplying talent. Is he, I guess he's paying everyone, or at least paying his guys. But yeah. But you have, I mean, you have main Crockett guys like Bull and Road Warriors and Jimmy Garvin and the Armstrongs. So yeah, who knows? It's interesting that he's here. You know, during the middle of the time, he's no showing. So I don't know. Rookie Johnny Ace is being given a push. The sheep herders asked him to be their flag waver, a la Jack Victory and Sean Royal, but he turned them down. Well, they were working on him a little bit more, and he would take the job eventually. And that's his first big role in wrestling. Uh, I, I love New Zealand. Uh. <laughs> uh, I could carry a flag better than anybody else. I can hold the pole. Dave said they should get Jerry Gray for that role, as he's just about the best worker here, but basically a jobber. Yeah, Jerry Gray was a hell of a worker at this point in time. And a guy who was broken in here. Mm-hmm. It's a little weird that he really, until they put the mask on him, really, at the end of this run of this territory, they really don't do much with him. It's, him and Bob it is Cook strange. is the mighty, mighty Yankees, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kevin Sullivan's interviews have gotten completely bizarre. He's been calling Dory Funk Terry. When asked about his match with Ed Gantner in Lake Lakeland, he started talking about what he was going to do with Bad News to Allen tonight in Daytona Beach. 
The problem is the match of Bad News Island Daytona Beach took place in February. <laughs> and also, Bad News Island has not been in the territory in months. Yeah, well, this is selling that angle of Kevin starting to lose his mind. Mm-hmm. Which is entertaining, to say the least. Made him a Bayface, so there's yes. that. And then there's this. Mike Rotunda's wife gave birth to a baby boy over the past week named Wyndham, which makes Blackjack Mulligan a grandpa. Says Mulligan's daughter is Mike Rotunda's wife. Lore. <laughs> Wyndham Rotunda. Yes, a.k.a. Bray Wyatt. Was born, uh, I think, May 23rd, 1987. Let's see here. Uh, May 23rd, 1987. So there you go, right before our week. But it's in the Observer. So there you go. Wyndham Rotunda. There's that. All right, in the UWF, Universal Wrestling Federation, as we continue with the Crockett conglomerate, on the May 30th episode of television, they shot the injury angle for Dr. Def Steve Williams. They're getting him heated up for uh, winning the UWF heavyweight title, and this is an angle to make him a bigger baby face. So he's wrestling uh, Hostaf Eddie Gilbert in this match here. And uh, let's go to the clip as Captain Redneck Dick Murdoch gets involved as well. Nice roll up. It pretty hard on that bottom turnbuckle. It looks like Steve Williams has got his senses knocked a little bit out of whack here. He needs to get himself back right here very rapidly because Eddie Gilbert looks like he's trying to get back on the offensive himself. He may have sustained a minor concussion or some sort of concussion from hitting his head on that post early in the match, but he has it quit. He's hit his head once again and his shoulder. I said Eddie Gilbert. Crossbody on the top rope. Control here. We need to 
check on the situation. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been the most disgusting display we've ever seen, I've ever witnessed in my time in professional wrestling. Steve Williams definitely under in a lot of severe pain at this point. There can be no doubt in anybody's mind that that arm is severely damaged, possibly broken. Joining me here at ringside is John Ayers. John, this has got to be the most terrible thing I've hey, ever John seen Ayers. in my history of professional sports. We have got to have a severely injured Steve Dr. Death Williams here. These men had no intention of going out for the win in this match. This thing all looked planned to me. Something has got to be done about the actions of Captain Redneck, Dick Murdoch, and hot stuff Eddie Gilbert. I agree with you, Magnum. It's the most disgusting thing I've ever seen in any professional sport. It looks to me like it was premeditated, and there definitely will be you know, decision forthcoming as to suspensions or fines or both for Captain Redneck, Dick Murdoch, and Eddie Gilbert also. We know, John, this has been known as the most physical sport in the world, professional wrestling, especially here in the UWF with some of the biggest, strongest competitors anybody has ever wanted to see. But to have this type of action sickens me. To see an athlete the caliber of Steve Dr. Death Williams laying there injured in the rings at the hands of two men blatantly trying to put him out with a steel chair. No intention on trying to win this match. It was blatantly evident to me and everybody else in this arena that Eddie Gilbert held Steve Williams on top of him, held him to sacrifice to one, two, three, had no intentions of trying to win the match, just held him so Captain Redneck Dick Murdoch could do his damage. And now we have the number one competitor here in the UWF, the man who's been chasing the world's heavyweight champion, definitely injured, definitely probably with an arm that's broken. We don't know the extent of the damage, but there can be no doubt in anybody's mind that with all the damage that he just sustained, that that arm has got to be totally out of commission. I agree with you. And the things that that arm just went through, I'm pretty sure that it is broke, Magnum. I've seen a few of them. Jim Ross and in the ring, by the way. It had to be premeditated. and It's just a terrible, terrible thing, especially with an athlete like Dr. Death, Steve Williams, because you know, he's been chasing this, you know, the number one contender, and he wants a shot at Big Bubba Rogers. And it's, I mean, it's a heartbreaking thing that something like this happens to him. It's heartbreaking and it's disgusting to see a man with that heart of that magnitude that strained his whole life for this one moment to go for the gusto, go for all the gold, and now having to be helped to his feet. But the man that's got enough guts to be standing there holding on to that arm and not knowing what the future holds for him in professional wrestling at this point. But Steve Williams, I mean, he's a type athlete. He's got that intestinal fortitude that you look for in a professional athlete. And like you said, he, you know, he's got the heart of a lamb. And, you know, he, he's a very tough individual. And I'm sure that, you know, he, he's going to be back. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I, we haven't got a report at this time. We're gonna, they're trying to get Steve Williams out of the ring. They're trying to, trying to get him out on the background. I'm sure they're going to rush him to the hospital and get that arm checked. And as soon as we get a report, we'll let you know. We've got to go to a break right now, but we'll be back with more information just as soon as possible. Control. Hey, Boston, Joel wants it. There are no more. So Boston is using regular music still at this point in time. Well, I mean, it is still Bill Watts' company, and this is a song about control, my control. That's not Bill Watts' co company. No I'm more kidding. Bad. I'm <laughs> kidding. I know, but it's still his company. That's what I mean. Yeah. Even if he uh, doesn't own it anymore. Um, well, okay, I should say this, though. As far as, I mean, Joel's left for the WWF by this point, I believe, already. Or he's about to, but... Remember what we saw when they ended up putting some UWF tapes on the Watts family website? They had stuff from after the buyout. Yeah. I'm assuming because it was the same production company at first, but I don't really understand how that even works. This was on. 
this TV show in general was part of that. This was one of the ones that they sold, you mean? Yeah. This episode. Uh, yeah. yeah. Now, um, the other thing, the main thing I wanted to say, though, about this angle, Jesus Christ, can we do an injury angle in the UWF other than someone getting their arm broken? <laughs> and the thing is, too, is that Murdoch, I mean, he comes off the top rope, but he's coming down in a slow fashion, and it just doesn't look gruesome enough. Do you agree with that? It was it was a good angle. It just mm. didn't look gruesome enough. It didn't look nearly as good as the Doc and Gordy broken arms from '86 did, where they did the stuff outside and holding the arm straight out as someone jumps on it by the rail. No, yeah, or, and that kind of thing. No, it didn't look as good as that. But still, it was a, it was a, a strong angle, and uh, crowd was into it. As raw, you know, Meltzer and the Observer talked about these tapings. Talked about how. It seemed like that Tulsa was coming back as far as crowd reaction-wise here. And uh, it had the old field UWF. So it was kind of encouraging in that way. Yeah. So. Now, also, we should note, I know Magnum's new as an announcer, and I know John Ayers is new to this, even if he's been around wrestling. We really didn't need all that most disgusting thing I've ever seen in professional sports stuff. It's hyperbole. It is, but still, it didn't work. No. So, all right, uh, they take TV, the Power Pro tapings in Monroe, Louisiana on May 30th. Missy Hyatt returned. She does a talk format like Roddy Piper did, but it's a heel bitch type. She's returning from her very, 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 very short stint in the World's Federation, where she just did the Missy's Manor stuff. Which never aired. Which never aired. Yes. Heel bitch type. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, I she's guess. a heel woman. Well, she's a heel woman. She's a bitch, isn't she? I know. It's just funny seeing it written like that. Yeah. The highlight of the tapings, though, was a Terry Gordy-Dick Murdoch match, which ended with Eddie Gilbert interfered, held Gordy's bag le- bad leg while the other was about to have top rope on it. However, Michael Hayes made the save, setting up the burst if you with Gilbert's guys. Yeah, that was a pretty damn good match and everything going on there. And that and that feud, you know, they really don't do a whole lot with it. But still, I mean, makes sense. Yeah. And uh, it's it good. UWF television is still good at this time. I mean, it's not what it was, but it's still good at this time. Yeah, it gets bad over the summer, especially Power Pro. Yeah, a little bit. Jim Crockett brought a new bought a new jet to transport UWF guys, which would be based in Dallas. So is this a third oh, that, jet, or is this the addition this a, of the second jet? I think it's the second jet. No, this won't come back to haunt them at all. Well, and also this isn't really for the UWF guys then. No, it's, it's the second not. jet. No, it's not. Um, but it's based out of Dallas, so it's not. But it's dusty. It's the dusty jet. Is this the is wait is this the one that Stardust Express or was the first jet Stardust Express? I think this is Stardust Express. Okay. Um, since I don't know how much we've talked about this before, where where are you on the whole thing that not expanding the infrastructure was what killed the company? Because, I, you know, I know some people have blamed Dave Johnson specifically, the accountant. Crockett, when he did the interview with Conrad not long before he died took responsibility for it himself, saying he put him in that position. He didn't expand enough. 
what do you make of of all that? Because I think it's a fair thing because, you know, there's the story about how Dave Johnson realized they were broke when Crockett asked him to find money for some big new purchase. And he went in to look at the books and came out white as a ghost. But whether you blame Dave Johnson or you blame Jim Crockett, I do think it is a fair thing to bring up that you're still running with the same staff out of the convenience store when you've got three circuits, you're running nationally, you've got all the syndication. It's a lot to put on that same staff in the converted convenience store. Yeah. Like, I think it's fair. It, if you want, if you think it's more fair to blame Crockett and he said he deserved the blame, I think that's fine. Now, Dave Johnson probably should have brought up at some point, eh, maybe we need more help. But I, I respect that Crockett felt that he was the one who needed to take responsibility for it in the end. Yeah. It's a major part of it. Absolutely. All right. The May 27th show in Oklahoma City, which had an incredible lineup. The lineup included uh, Rick Flair versus Jimmy Garvin, Big Bob Rock against Barry Wyndham, Rude and Bull against the Road Warriors, although Rude wasn't there, Chris Dennis versus Terry Taylor, Nikita versus Lex Luger, and Rock and Rolls versus Sting and Rick Steiner. Yeah, that was the lineup. Drew a $23,000 gate, which didn't impress Dave too much until he realized it had eight inches of rain in a tornado that night. The show the next night in Tulsa had even more problems, even though the crowd was real good because the heavy rains and tornadoes kept Luger, Flair, Taylor, and Gilbert from appearing. They offered the fans $3 off an admission for all seats in that car in Tulsa to make up for it. Well, Bull and Bull and Road Warriors weren't going to be there because they were in Miami that night. <laughs> we're presumably rude there, too. But we don't have results of the show. Just the, just the lineup that Dave had. So you get the gate, but you don't have results. Which always was interesting. Now, on that show, they were heavily pushing a Big Bubba Rogers Dr. Destiny Williams UW title match at the Great American Bass Card in Oklahoma City on July 11th on the tapings over the weekend. Yeah, that would be a big match. <laughs> That's the title change, which you would see a lot on television after the fact to We Are the Champions by Queen. Play in yes. the background. Yes. And never and aired the full match on TV, though. Never aired the full match on television. But, you know, I mean... They really played that video a lot, and they they tried to they tried to make that win seem majorly important. Yeah, the pro the problem is though is that they did nothing to build up Bubba as a world championship level guy. Yeah, even if he did a good job with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, and May twenty eighth at Tulsa was played by ten inch rain. Still drew a twenty thousand dollar game. So there you go. All right, Jim Crockett Promotions proper here. And this first sentence is something else for this time period. Dave Meltzer's first sentence in this section, the observer, I get bored now just thinking about this group. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Dave's definitely not, uh, not happy with what's going on here at the time. And we'll get more into that as we go along. With Rick Rude supposedly injured, Manny Fernandez and Ivan Koloff are now the NBA World Tag Champions, managed by Paul Jones. But apparently Fernandez and Koloff are scheduled to drop the straps to Morton and Gibson on May 30th from Florence, South Carolina. However, Manny Fernandez went AWOL. So what did they do? All right. They take a match that was taped in February, which aired on Japanese television, on World Pro Wrestling, 
inserted that into the television and said that was the title change because Rock and Roll is winning a non-title match. And you know what? There are far worse ways to do that. It's the smartest way to do it. You had if a professionally yeah. shot, canned, non-title win from the Rock and Rolls. Why not? Yeah. Why not? Absolutely. And now, the one problem being they already announced that Rude was gone. <laughs> well, they said he was hurt. Okay, but still. He was injured. Still, Koloff was already supposed to have been replacing him. Yes. Dusty Rose never misses the trick, as he's got Magnum TA with him to make sure he gets cheered. As he can, as how can anyone boo Magnum? This also makes Magnum prime angle material, and even Ray Charles could see an angle coming. Yeah, it happens, kind of, sort of ish. So, but yeah, Magnum's back on TV, and we'll be pl- playing uh, Magnum's Return to TBS in just a few minutes. Mm-hmm. All right, Greenville, the Green Memorial Auditorium on May twenty fifth. The Italian Stallion over Brody Chase, subbing for Jeff Belk. Jeff Belk was one of those big bodybuilder guys they had brought in who was – that's the one – do you remember the video I did of, of him and Luger where Luger totally lost him on the torture rack? Vaguely. Remember that? Yeah. Yes. W- one of those guys. Uh, Nelson Royal over John Savage, Barbarian's brother, subbing for Bobby Jaggers, who's left. Johnny Ace went up against Ricky Lee Jones, no results. Ricky Lee Jones being Ricky Gibson. Jimmy Van, Lasertron over Thunderfoot 1 and Thunderfoot 2. Manny Fernandez over Baron Von Raschke. Ronnie Garvin over Ivan Koloff, something for Rick Rude. Midnight's over Brad Armstrong and Barry Windham. Sounds like a hoot. And your main event, Nikita Koloff over Vladimir Pietrov. So, interesting looking show there in Greenville. Nikita and Pietrov as a main event. Brad and Barry Windham as an as a awesome kick-ass tag team. Mm-hmm. Looks good. Interesting show. Philly at the Civic Center on May 30th, 5,500. As downtown Denny Brown beat Thunderfoot number two. Of course, that's Gene Legan, Thunderfoot one, Joel D. Baron Varashki over Mark Fleming. Todd Champion over Thunderfoot number one. Midnight's went to a draw with Ronnie Garvin and Barry Wyndham. 20 minutes. Great match. Then we had Lex Luger, Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard beating the Road Warriors and Dusty Rose by DQ when the Bayfaces kept destroying Tully's leg. So they go into the Greensboro match even. This is also a great match. Nikita beat Ivan Koloff in a Russian chain match. I got no heat at all. And then Ric Flair beat Jimmy Garvin by DQ, and Jimmy hit the referee in an okay match. I watched something the other day. It's the, the, the right time to mention this. I watched a World Championship Wrestling Sunday edition from uh, January the 11th, 1987. And it had one of the rarest occurrences you would see in that era. Jimmy Garvin was doing a promo with Precious at, at the desk with Tony. And Flair shows up. And he's buddy-buddy with Jimmy Garvin. And then he's talking about Precious as he was talking about her, you know, in in this angle here. Talk about how bodacious she is. And Garvin's all for it. And they're, like, really buddy-buddy and talking about, you know, uh, you know, possibly maybe even tagging up and stuff like that. Very interesting one-off promo that – uh only happened on this Sunday edition show, which, of course, those shows were, have been very rare over the years, although they've come to light a lot lately. But, um, yeah, just one of those real cool Sunday show deals that you that you got. Did he say Precious uh, was all the way live? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he was horny for him, and, and Jimmy was just laughing about it, because so, he's healed Jimmy. So, 
Yeah. All right, Dave says, this Chris Champion's one talented individual in the ring. I'd love to see him work with Morton and Gibson. Well, that does happen, but yeah, the new breed uh, appearing on the main TV shows and doing their things, this is when they really started to get over with the fans. Even though they're heels. <laughs> Which, I've thought about this on the show before. Dusty. I mean, Having them come out to, you know, fight for your right, the party, and doing the stuff they were doing, never should have had them as heels. The fans want to cheer these guys. No, of course not. Yes. So, yeah. Mistake. But they rectified that. With the exception of Jim Cornette, the recent TV shows have been a cure for insomnia. They says, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm even tired of Ric Flair's interviews. He's a little out of control. Actually, a lot out of control. And what can I say about Dusty? Hasn't already been said, Dave said. It seemed like you're starting to see everything start piling up on him. Picking up Florida, picking up UWF. We're two months into that. You're starting to see things happening now where they Dusty is being stretched way too thin and everybody's traveling more places because i mean look they're they're going to a different markets now th than they were going to because they're going to the florida markets more often they're going to the uwf markets more often it's it's straining them it's still good stuff to me but i could see where people would be disappointed a little bit because it's not what it was the year earlier so to speak but still fun stuff all right, so let's go to the clips. What, what, what do you think? What do you think about what Dave's saying here, Bix, before we go to the clips? Just as far as being stretched too thin, or? Or the, the whole thing about, you know, the TV and cure for insomnia and blah, 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 blah. I wouldn't go that far. But there are issues. Yeah, it's, it's starting, for sure. All right, so let's go to the, the first uh, thing we have here. On Pro, on May 30th. Uh, Lex Luger and Nikita Koloff have a brawl. So let's go to that, shall we? Westcott, and right now, James J. Dillon handing Luger the arena mic. I know you're watching Nikita Koloff on your monitor. What I'm telling you right now in front of all these people in our national TV, if you've got one ounce of courage and guts and your body, you'll come out here right now Settle this thing once and for all. Well, how about that? We heard Nikita at the beginning of the program say he wanted Luger. Now Luger answered. The challenge from Lex Luger. Hey, here comes Nikita Kolov. Nikita's gonna take it up. Everybody comes down to try to break it up. And here come more, and they're still fighting. 
each other. They're pushing wrestlers and throwing them from side to side away to get on each other. And finally, they go down the back. I go down the back. Look at the wrestlers out there. They're trying to bring it up. Everybody converging around them. And they're still fighting. They're still on their feet. And they're still slipping away at each other. They can't get them apart, and they can't get it stopped. When you talk about hate pouring over, it is right here. Ladies and gentlemen. Don't you just love how they zoom the camera in as soon as he starts talking so, so he isn't shown touching himself if he does that? <laughs> it is, of course, one of his... Allocates. Yes. But this is Luger's first big feud. Yep. You know? And uh, it was a test for him to see how he could do, and I thought he did very well in this Nikita feud. Yeah. He definitely showed that he was ready for this for this type of run. Yes. All right, so Dave has issues with Ric Flair's promos lately. So let's go to Ric Flair on the May 30th episode of World Championship Wrestling, and let's see what uh, Nature's got to say. As we have an amazing uh, thumbnail of Tully Blanchard with his sunglasses and Dark Journey. Mm-hmm. This is what they mean by styling and profiling the world champion, Nature Boy Ric Flair. Magnum T.A. is the only beefcake in town. Let's hear it for a man the public loves to hate. Now let's put the camera on this one time. This is what being woo, the world champion, being one of the four horsemen, is all about. It's called styling woo, and profile. And in the words, of the infamous Arn Anderson, what's really causing all this? I'm going to tell you. Big bucks. Big time money. And you know how you get to make all the money? You got to be in the main line of the greatest sport in the world. Now let's do what Dusty Rhodes did. Step over here, Tony Schiavone. Come on over here. You see Dusty Rhodes? takes it upon himself to walk into the middle of the ring and tell the whole world he's standing on both his legs, the great American hero that he is. Well, let me tell you how it is, Big Dust. We all got a lot of respect for what you are in this sport. You're one of the main liners, one of the big daddies. But you see, Big Dust, there are times when you confuse yourself and put yourself in the same category as the four horses. And when you jump specifically on Tully Blanchard, you're jumping on me, and you're jumping on Luger, and you're jumping on I, and you're jumping on JJ. So you see what happens, Big Dust, is you're outnumbered. Your troops aren't deep enough to handle it. And this time, my friend, you have ridden that lightning bolt probably and I'm being very serious to the end of your wrestling career. Because as you saw, we can be real bad and real nasty. And the more things heat up, the closer you come to having it all in. Now, Magnum TA, let me explain something to you, Magnum. You walk out here, the great champion that you are. We all know what kind of man you are. Nobody could have come back from where you've been, buddy. We love you for it. But my friend, if you get in my way, whop, you're going to get one of those. 
If you're getting Luger's way, you get one of those. And if you're getting Blanchard's way, I expect to see him put that slingshot suplex on your buddy. Bad arm or not, the name of this game is competition. It's blood, it's guts, it's glory, and it's ours. And Nikita, Nikita Kola, for you to walk out here and holler and dare Lex Luger to bring it to you tells me that your few years in this great sport, nothing has sunk in. Luger is going to be the U.S. champion when he wants to be. Right now, I put my arm around him. I say, Lex, tease Nikita a little bit. Make him sweat. Make him think what it'll be like to walk around without that belt. Make him think what it'll be like to look Dusty Rhodes in the eye and have that funny feeling in your stomach and say, Dust, I let you down. Luger beat me. Where do I go now? That's what's called being a champion, buddy. You don't bring it on, you go get it. And I'll guarantee you, Nikita, Luger's gonna have the U.S. Championship. The four horsemen are gonna put Dusty Rhodes out of this sport. And Ric Flair is gonna take Precious. And Jimmy Garvin, I don't care what you've told yourself, what you've got yourself thinking you are, I'm gonna take that bodacious blonde with the biggest tatas in the world and make her mine. You know why? You wanna know why? Because I'm the world champion. I'm the best there is, and I can back up every word I say, and I do it day in and day out. That's what makes me the cream of the crop. I style, I profile, I can boogaloo, I can do whatever I have to do to be the man day in woo, and day out. The world champion, Ric Flair. Custom made, 1100 bucks. Buy yourself one, kid. We'll be right back. Oh, my goodness. The biggest tatas in the world. <laughs> oh. What do you think that Dave is uh is on to something with Flair here? What, what do you think after after hearing that and watching that? Maybe I don't know. I think it's a lot of Flair being Flair, but I think you saved it at the end. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of you know, I don't know. It's Flair about numbers, I guess, so to speak. Yeah, I guess. But you say it. Say it at the end. All right, so Flair's mentioning uh, Nikita and stuff and Dusty. Well, let's go to Dusty. As Dusty has a promo and he brings out Magnum TA on TBS for the first time since the the accident. So let's go to that. Yeah, can everybody hear me here tonight? Everybody's all right? Oh, Paul, excuse me. All right, so the Dusty Dusty promo is from the TV taping. Where they did the, the worldwide and pro. So Dusty's on his studio. Magnum comes out live after that. Okay. All right, all right, we're gonna talk just a minute. You know, last week the four husband laid me out in the middle of the ring, say they took one of my legs, 
from me. Well, let me tell you something. I'm standing out here, Tully Blanchard, both legs underneath me. I'm standing out here with both legs, with both legs. First of all, I know there's a lot of people out there right there now that was born in the 60s. They're children of the 60s. And children of the 60s knew what it was like to have war, peace, and how to fight and scratch and claw for whatever they wanted. And let me tell you something, Tony Blanchett. You might have her out here now. Yes, she's going to be a dark journey for you, baby. You know what I mean? She's going to be a dark journey. Magnum TA will be, will be in Greensboro, North Carolina, June the 6th. Yeah. He will be holding my $50,000. And Tully Blanchard, you forgot one thing. You gave your money to Mr. Crockett. He's holding that money. Now then, the fucking like a monkey tour is over. It's over. And if you're gonna come out here and talk like me, new breed, you better get it right because I'll come over and kick your butt. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> I lived on the end of this lightning bolt. And now then, this is the new lightning bolt tour, 1987. This is starting to kick butt, take names, and get funky as I ever got in my life. So Tully Blanchard, you bring it out. The American Dream, you're listening to me back there too, baby. The four horsemen, I'm gonna tell you what, baby. When it's over, there ain't gonna be a saddle big enough to put on your back because I'm gonna ride you all over this state, all over this country. That's a fact. All right. Yeah, thank you. The boss, Magnum TA. Magnum TA will be in Greensboro, says Dusty Rhodes, and here he is. And you can hear the outpouring of love from the fans, Magnum. Well, you know, there's a few things in this life you can depend on. Standing ovation. You can depend on the fact that the four horsemen will always be getting up mighty early every morning trying to think of a way to put the American Dream Dusty Rhodes out of professional wrestling, but they can't get the job done. And you can depend on the fact that as long as I've got any energy in this body right here, I will be by his side at whatever cost. So Tully Blanchard, it's been a long, long time since I had the pleasure of stepping in the Greensboro Coliseum. But June the 6th, stepping that Coliseum, I will. And I'll walk down that aisle beside the American Dream Dusty Rhodes and be ringside with $100,000 on the line with me taking care of business, myself taking care of the money, and you inside that ring facing what might possibly be the most brutal match you've ever had in your life outside of the one you had with me in the outquit match because you see the American Dream Dusty Rhodes is coming after that world television title. Not just coming after it, but coming to get back something that has been his rightfully all along in a 60-minute time limit match. A whole lot of pain, blues, and agony can be dealt out. I know about those things, so does American Dream Dusty Rhodes. And this is step one in my comeback. You gotta take things one step at a time, and that's exactly what I'm doing. But when I walk that floor, June the 6th, Greensboro Coliseum, that's just beginning, because I can see that light at the end of the tunnel now. And when Magnum TA steps out in that light, there's gonna be a whole lot of people gonna be paying some dues. I can promise that. It's good to have you back, comrade. Good to have you back. Magnum TA. Fans, let's go to the ring. The boss is back. Magnum TA. And in the ring, the United States heavyweight champion.
that crowd was hot for man them being back in the studio my goodness gracious and uh, they were. what a promo hey well, i got a hell of a promo there fantastic hmm. and <laughs> they i mean they, they obviously didn't know what the future held but you could tell that they were holding out hope that eventually someday Madden could come back. Yes. You know? But they do this and they do the angle the year later. And they do the angle in a few months with the money and stuff, but I mean, well that that I would think by that point they know that he's not coming back because he has the dead arm and they're showing it on TV. Yeah, I guess the second one, yeah. The one in eighty eight. Oh, that was eighty eight? I thought my dad I think that was eighty seven. No, the, the well, the eighty-eight's the one where you know the the baseball bat. No, no, I was think. Oh, okay, I get what you're saying, but the angle where they show the dead arm though is eighty-seven, isn't it? Well, it's the yeah, well, the I mean, it's the next week after this. Oh, it is. Okay, <laughs> there you go. Because the Greensboro Coliseum shows June sixth, and we've covered that week. Yeah. So anyway, there's Madden returning. All right, so Rick Rune in the news, Paul Jones. Is on uh, World Championship Wrestling, and he's got his thoughts on it. So let's go to the clip. You know, it's very odd to say the least to see the manager of the World Tag Team Champions, number one, Paul Jones, out here with the Russian team of Vladimir Pietrov and Ivan Koloff, Paul. And Ivan has one of the tag belts. Yes. Well, you know, everybody think number one, Paul Jones is down because of the injury of Rick Root. But my goal in life is to keep those world belts in this stable. Now let me tell you something right now. I formed an alliance here with Ivan Koloff, three-time world champion. The brother is where it's at. And Petrov is also going to be in the area where we're going to keep the world belts here. The ravishing Rick Rude's entry is not going to stop my dreams. The raging bull is intact. And he's charging forward. Let me tell you something right now, Rock and Roll Express. Don't think this team is weak. You want the world belts, you come and get it. Comrade Jones, on the behalf of Vladimir, myself, we are very proud to join up with you in the quest of holding on to a prestigious title such as these. Along with Raging Bull, you see superpowers, Dusty Rose. Nikita, we are never down and out. No, now we are stronger than ever. Nikita, Philadelphia, you're going to find that out. Superpowers, I told you time and time again. Now with the genius of Paul Jones as a manager, the influence that he has got, there is nothing that is going to stop us. The Russians, Ivan Vladimir, along with Paul Jones. Fans, more action right after this timeout. So there's the explanation in there about the situation. All right. Last clip. Jim Cornette was on World Championship Wrestling. Let's hear what Cornette has to say. As Dave says, he's one of the highlights of the TV these days. 
with the Midnight Express. We're going to get to the match in a minute. You know, Jim Crockett Promotions forcing me into cage matches with Ronnie Garvin. Tried to stop it in the court of law. Tried to stop it by public opinion. Tried to put Ronnie Garvin out of business, but it didn't work. I didn't want it to come to this, but it's come to this. I'm calling for Jim Crockett Jr., president of Jim Crockett Promotions, to turn over full control of JCP Sports, the offices, houses, cars, assets, G1, to sweep Stan Lane, pending investigation of forged contracts and fiscal irregularities by an independent committee. <laughs> the independent committee will be composed of beautiful Bobby Eaton, who has the documents, is studying them carefully, and who will render a fair and impartial decision on whether he believes Jim Crockett has repented. If Jim Crockett is found to have had no conspiracy or collusion with Ronnie Garvin in the attempt to have Jim Cornette assassinated, and if Crockett has had no other illicit encounters, his promotion will be returned to him. Stan? This is not a hostile takeover. Jim Crockett has in the past done good <laughs> services for his community. But Jim, when you signed contracts for cage matches between Jim Cornette and Ronnie Garvin without asking Mr. Cornette's permission, well, Jim, that made my blood boil. If Bobby's investigation finds you innocent, your company will be returned. However, if you are guilty, you'll be voted a lifetime salary, your air-conditioned doghouse will be returned, and I will continue to operate JCP to stand for truth, justice, and the American way, big profits. I'm sorry to come to this, Tony Schiavone, but that's the way it is. And now, ladies and gentlemen, while I await Jim Crockett to turn over control, I introduce you to the United States Tag Team Champions, beautiful Bobby and Sweet Stan, the Midnight Express! All right. <laughs> hey, Sweet Stan wouldn't have run JCP into the ground, would he? <laughs> they they should have let him take over. I don't know if that would have been a good idea with the pending paternity uh, <laughs> actions at the time. Oh, you know, man. The, the pending paternity action about the current congresswoman. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. But we close out with the big Jim Cornette story of the week. A fan at Beckley, West Virginia, learned the hard way to stay away from the ring. Roy Massey threw an object to the ring in the Midnight Express and struck him. For his trouble, he received some fractured bones in his face from a Stan Lane punch, then was booked on two counts of battery. The May 29th show in Beckley drew 3,000 fans. Now, this may sound familiar to many of you listening. There is a reason for that, which is that Mr. Massey and his wife would sue everyone involved, and it would drag out for several years. To which we go to now, this is from 1990, you said, I believe? Yeah, like December 1990. Yes. All right, this is from, uh, it's AP, but it's from the Beckley newspaper. And uh, let's read what happens here. Tossed it. Raleigh County Cir Circuit Court was wrong when it didn't allow a jury to hear the case of a man seeking compensation for injuries inflicted upon him at an exhibition by a wrestler, the state Supreme Court said Wednesday. The circuit court should not have dismissed a lawsuit filed by Roy Massey against Freedom Security and Detective Agency, Inc., the Supreme Court said in an unsigned unanimous opinion. It also should not have issued a sum summary judgment against Massey in his case against Jim Crockett Promotions, the exhibition's promoter, the court said. Massey's lawsuit stemmed from a May 29, 1987 wrestling exhibition at the Raleigh County, County Armory. The final wrestling event featured a team called the Midnight Express, managed by Jim Cornette. The opinion said the members of the team were Stan Lane, known as Sweet Stan, and Bobby Eaton, known as Beautiful Bobby. While Sweet Stan and Beautiful Bobby were, waiting for Bobby were waiting for security guards to escort them to their dressing room, they stood in the ring with Cornette. A spectator threw an aisle marker into the ring, and the object struck Beautiful Bobby on the neck and shoulder. 
Sweet Stan believed Massey threw it and left the ring to pursue him, the opinion said. Sweet Stan struck Massey on the face, fracturing several facial bones, the opinion said. Massey was hospitalized for eight days and undergo surgery. Massey filed a complaint against Crockett Promotions, Freedom Security, Sweet Stan, Beautiful Bobby, and Jim Cornette. The circuit court subsequently dismissed the case against Freedom Security and issued a summary judgment for Crockett Promotions. The circuit court agreed that Sweet Stan wasn't acting within the scope of his employment with Crockett and that his alleged assault was not foreseeable by either Crockett or Freedom Security. The justices said, however, overturned that ruling. Clearly, there are, any, there are issues in the case before us which are necessary for a jury to resolve, the opinion said. Yeah. Battle of Beckley. So this, yeah, this lasts a long time. So, um, so yeah, it's a famous story, Bix. Yeah, and uh, I have the appellate ruling from December 18th, 1990 in front of me. Yeah. And see what we can add here that it was not in that article. Um, from the record, we find that in addition to the testimony of the parties to this action taken at depositions, witnesses to the incident, none of whom knew Mr. Massey, also gave depositions. Edward Vaught, one of the security personnel who was working at the armory the night of the incident, testified that prior to the assault on Mr. Massey, there was an incident in which one of the spectators was, quote, going after Mr. Cornette. Mr. Vaught testified that after he assisted the other security guards in removing the spectator from the arena, he saw the aisle marker being thrown into the ring. He testified that Mr. Massey did not throw the aisle marker at Sweet Stan. Mr. Vaught testified he was unable to stop Sweet Stan, who, that's always in quotes, of course, Sweet Stan, from hitting Mr. Massey. And Mr. Massey fell to the floor after being struck by Sweet Stan. <laughs> we just keep <laughs> saying Sweet Stan every time. But that's his wrestling name, Bix. Oh, sure. Uh, Mr. Vaught testified that following the incident, he was advised that the wrestlers and their manager wanted to see Mr. Massey in their dressing room. Mr. Vaught believed that they wanted to apologize to Mr. Massey. Uh-oh. Instead, Mr. Vaught testified that when he took Mr. Massey back to their dressing room, Sweet Stan and Jim Cornette, quote, were throwing remarks at Mr. Massey about him being a drunken hillbilly, never worked a day in his life, things of that nature. And then from there, be that as it may, notwithstanding. Elizabeth F. Carter, an employee of Amstar Ambulance Service, who was hired to assist anyone who was sick or injured at the wrestling exhibition, also testified that it was not Mr. Massey through the aisle marker. Ms. Carter testified that there were no security personnel in the area at the time. She testified that Sweet Stan struck Mr. Massey, quote, He turned around and walked back to the ring where beautiful Bobby was. Ms. Carter testified that she also escorted Mr. Massey back to the dressing room under the belief the wrestlers want to apologize, you know, same thing, blah, 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 adding that beautiful Bobby and Sweet Stan were, quote, drawing back like they were going to hit Mr. Massey. Um, Joseph DeCostley Clark, a spectator at the exhibition, also testified that a young man had thrown the aisle marker at Sweet Stan and that there were no security personnel in the area at the time. He further testified that immediately prior to the assault on Mr. Massey by Sweet Stan, there had been disturbance on the other side of the arena. Mr. Clark also escorted, yeah, same thing about potential apology. Um... Mr. Clark stated that Cornette used obscene language and stated that Mr. Massey, quote, was a dirty son of a bitch and ought to be kicked off the face of the earth, end quote. <laughs> Mr. Clark stated, however, that neither beautiful Bobby nor Sweet Stan made any statements to Mr. Massey. Uh, Crockett Promotions did not discuss the depositions of any witnesses in its motion for summary judgment. Okay, anything else here? 
Uh, Mr. Massey maintains on appeal, however, that Sweet Stan is manager and the other wrestlers were employed to entertain and excite the spectators and that Sweet Stan was acting with in the scope of his appointment for with Jim Crockett Promotions, uh, provocation, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Does not appear that this necessarily has the reference to one of the witnesses recalling that one of the insults that Cornette yelled at Massey was, if I remember right, black lung motherfucker. <laughs> well, I mean, he would say that on uh, TV when black about you know Beckley and the fans having black lung. Yes. Yeah. Is there anything else here? Uh, let's see. What's this one? Uh, provoke the crowd. Okay. What am I? Okay. Okay. Edward Vaught also testified. Uh, Mr. Cornette, I don't know whether it's just something to build up for his reputation, his image, he's supposed to hold or what. If you watch the program, he's all the time running his mouth. So I just gathered that this was something he was supposed to do in this incident. Yeah. Yeah. I don't see anything else. And then we have, oh, we have an excerpt from a deposition. Um, this is from, we have specifics from Vought's thing about other incidents. Uh, had you all had any incidents earlier that evening? Just right before the incident with Mr. Massey, an individual, I don't know his name right off, had jumped over the railing on the section on side C. The man was intoxicated. I had first reached across to get him by the arm and try to get him back. And he jerked away from me and Mr. Cornette was standing right about here and he was going after Mr. Cornette. Was this during the match? Yeah. And his remark to me when I grabbed him, he jerked away from me. Eventually, excuse me, evidently, he'd had just had enough to drink to, you know, make him brave. His remark to me was that nobody was going to stop him from getting to Mr. Cornette. So I then jumped o over the railing and walked up behind him and grabbed him in a full Nelson and escorted him around this section. Another guard, Bobby Adkins, was at, at this side. Johnny Rourke was at the far side where the wrestlers went back, and Tim, I think it was Tim Jones, stationed over here. When I went around this way, the other guards helped me grab this individual by the legs and arms, and we escorted him out the back door. So Well... There you go. <laughs> so, yeah, if you watch Smoky Mountain Wrestling and you ever see the promos where they're talking about Beckley, West Virginia, you kind of get the gist of why Jim Cornette's always so uh, mad when he has to talk about Beckley. But yes. he knew his business. And there was also the whole thing that was in the Midnight Scrapbook that Cornette put in there from the deposition with Crockett, where the wrestler's pay comes up and Crockett is trying to explain the formula. And it it's stated confusingly and him and the lawyers all get confused over what everyone's trying to say, but it's more or less the same formula we've heard from other promotions that used the alleged basic wrestling formula. You know, about a third goes to the wrestlers of the gate and then half of the third goes to the main event. Um, Cornette having run the same building in Smoky Mountain and knowing what taxes and stuff were charged on that building used the gate reported by Sandy Scott, who we figured, okay, Sandy Scott at least is giving us an honest gate, and the formula was not, the formula in question was clearly not applied to what the Midnight's Rock and Rolls and Cornette were paid that night for the main event. Yeah. So. Battle of Beckley. Yes, indeed. And what a way to close out this week's episode of Between the Sheets. Now, next week, we're going to go... Fast forward in time as we go to the year 2000. 
Ooh. First two first two thousand show in over a year. And Is it uh, that we'll long? go with, it's been that long, yeah. Okay. As we go to the we'll, we'll go to the World Wrestling Federation where we'll have news on Dwayne Johnson in serious negotiation to be a movie star. So uh-huh. we'll talk about that and movies that he may be involved with. Plus a new president and COO is announced of World Wrestling Federation Entertainment during our week. Plus, we'll have uh, TV going on, SmackDown and Raw. So we'll have uh, all those reports, among other things. And we'll have the indies, including a look at what's going on in uh, the Memphis scene, both on the Memphis Change of Wrestling and Power Pro Wrestling. But Power Pro Wrestling, a major incident happened on live television involving an injury. So we'll talk about that with a full rundown from the torch about that. And we'll have uh, other assorted indies. And we'll have Extreme Championship Wrestling, where if you've listened to the Patreon shows around 2000, you'll remember some of this stuff. As Paul Heyman has to make an emergency trip to Pensacola, Florida for a team meeting. And also on that night, the Sandman gets a little too wild and crazy. So we'll talk about that. Wait, isn't that, and, that also the night where Sandman like tells everyone to take Paul seriously too. Uh, yes. And we'll have a uh, news on the TNN show during our week, which was heavily edited and yeah, it's quite the ECW section. So there's that. We'll also have a uh, news for Puerto Rico, Mexico, where one of the, one of my favorite moments ever on Lucha television happens during our week as the triple a guys invade arena, Mexico. So we'll have that to talk about. Uh, we'll have news from uh, Canada. We'll have some news on the UK. We even got stuff from Holland. First time we have Holland featured on our show. Would then this got, be uh, a Rings Holland card? It's kind of sortish, yes. Then we go to Japan where we have a lot of indie stuff, including CCW guys in Big Japan, New Japan running Super Juniors Tour. We'll have news on that. All Japan getting towards the end of the run. The original Japan guys, including an interesting story about what they did to the Gaijin. And we also have a big pride show, which has a lot of pro wrestling involvement on there. So we'll have uh, stuff on that. And in World Championship Wrestling, we got news on the SFX negotiations with WCW. Oh, boy. Hulk Hogan's growing restless. And Nitro at Phillips Arena. Featuring it, Ric Flair, Vince Russo, inside of the Steel Cage. All that and more next week on Between the Sheets. And Isn't that one also is, uh, technically a hair match, too? Yeah, so we've got a lot to talk about on, uh, on next week's show. It's just me and you, no gas, because it's going to be a pretty stout show. How many pages week. do we got? We got 34 pages. Okay. But here's the, here's the thing, though. I mean, WCW is a tick over seven. WWF is around six, so there's a lot of meat everywhere else, especially ECW. ECW is about as big as both of them, mm-hmm. so a lot of a lot of meat spread around, and we'll have some clips too. So there's all that. All right, big stacks as always. You're the rock of the show, and this is Chris. And so long from the Peach State of Georgia. Fun baby.
Patreon special edition number 68. I'm your host Chris Zelda, joined as always by my co-host David Bix and Spin. And Bix, it's time to go back to Titan Gate as we resume where we left off at March of 1992. And uh, yeah, this is going to be another one of those shows. Yeah, we've got, I think, about another month or so, another four weeks or so. And it's not going to be as dense as uh, part one, but we're still in a fairly dense part of the coverage. Yes, and uh, we'll have all kinds of uh, stuff playing off the last show, which, of course, the last show had a lot of uh, sensitive content, so I guess go ahead and get the disclaimer. Yeah, I mean, if you're listening to this, you probably listened to part one, and so I don't need to go too deep into it, but yes, because we're still fairly early on and still a lot of specific stuff breaking. If you think there's stuff that you might find uh, triggering or otherwise upsetting in terms of the discussions of or descriptions of, in some cases, sexual assault and child abuse and things like that, then this might not be the show for you. So, like like I said, you know, if you listen to part one, you get the idea. But still, you know, want to put that in there and in the description and all that. But yeah, so we still got plenty of steroids and stuff, too. I don't know how much Hulk Hogan cocaine we have this time, though. All right, so let's go to Mike Mooneyham in the Charleston Post Courier. Continuing controversy over Shadow's ring action for WWF. An agreement was reached with Tom Cole, whereby he got what he wanted from the beginning, and that is work here, Plenamina said. Tom feels he was discriminated against, and he stands by a story that he was discriminated against, and we gave him what he wanted. What the we fuck gave, does that mean? We gave him his job back. He wasn't looking for a million-dollar settlement. He wasn't looking for media attention. Unfortunately, he was manipulated. He was coerced, and he was used by certain media members for their own purposes. That being getting the exclusive story, when unfortunately nobody out there was taking a young man's feelings into consideration. Okay, we have to stop here. I am pulling <laughs> up the unfiled Tom Cole complaint. The word discrimination appears exactly once. Um, 
in when they, as far as the first cause of action, which is uh, pursuant to New York's executive law for illegal sexual harassment, and it says a uh, plaintiff repeats and realleges each and every allegation contained herein through this blah, 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 blah. And then it says the foregoing acts of defendants constitute unlawful sexual harassment and discrimination against plaintiff in violation of New York executive uh, law 296. So this is Steve Planamenta and whoever else at Titan going out of their way to find the wording in Tom's unfiled complaint that they can use that will sound the least thorny when commenting to a newspaper. Well, right? here's the thing, though. No, here, well, here's the thing. What's he being discriminated against? I mean, if you're going to say he's being discriminated, why was he discriminated? What 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 happened that he was discriminated for? Right. Not yeah. not, not not you know not doing sexual favors for Terry Garvin. Well, that makes you look bad, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. What, why was he discriminated? Right. You know, I mean, l- let's hear about it, Steve. Why was he discriminated? What did he? What was it he he didn't do? That see, that's where who you know if it needs to be called out by whoever is talking to Steve. Like, wait a minute, what's he being discriminated against? Why? It's not the color of his skin. No. <laughs> it's not. It's not anything else like that. Is that he refused sexual advances from Terry Garvin. Specific to the firing, yeah. Yeah. So that, I mean, he but Steve Lemon won't come out and say that because then you can't, I mean, then we're fucked. <laughs> because oh, now you're admitting that this happened. Mm-hmm. Okay? See, Platt, <clears throat> if that had been me as Mooneyham, Oh, I would have went to town on this. Oh, oh, Media. so how? So how did they discriminate? How? What? What type of discrimination, Steve? Yes. Where's the follow-ups on that? I, I mean, Steve Lanamento gave opened the door right there for some, you know, hard-ass questions that would have made him sweat worse than uh, what's his name on uh, brought on a network, uh, the movie. Oh uh, God, fuck. I'm drawing the blank too. I don't know why. Or not now. We're broadcast news, Jeff. Um, oh fuck. Who was on a broadcast news that sweat so much? I can't remember. <laughs> Hold on, movie broadcast sweating. News sweaty guy. Oh, Albert Brooks. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When Albert Brooks was sweating like a motherfucker on broadcast news. Um, yeah. Or Martin Short on that uh, on SNL on the skit on the sixty minutes thing about cigarettes. I mean, well, yeah, and playing Nathan Thurm in general. Yeah. So. Bad missed opportunity there by Steve, my bestie, by Mike Mooneyham there on that one. Yes. All right. Phil Mushnick of the New York Post in a recent scathing column, Blast him at man. Never will you encounter a human being more cold-blooded, more devoid of humor and propriety than Vincent Mann, America's foremost TV babysitter, Mushnick wrote. In your wildest, most twisted dreams, you won't meet up with a likesman man, a miscreant so practiced in the art of deception, the half-truth, and the ball-faced lie as to make the artful dodger appear clumsy. A George Steinbrenner or Don King... Pale by comparison. Indeed, Hannibal Lecter is the only fictional character who comes close. Mushnick's story to immediate response from WF headquarters. Oh, boy. The article was bad to the point of being good, Planamenta said. I think people have finally come to realize what Phil Mushnick's agenda is. It's a personal attack against Vince McMahon. He's made mo- no bones about the fact he hates Vince McMahon for no particular reason. Fuck you. He never had the guts to meet with Vince McMahon. 
John Filippelli, who's one of our executive television producers, has known Phil for years. John was a producer at NBC, and Mushnick had told John long before he had read anything about us that Vince was an evil person and should burn in hell. I think he just doesn't like what we do. Maybe resents Vince's success and resents defeat. No, re- re- resents feet no matter what he writes about. Nobody seems to give a crap. <laughs> uh... Could you imagine? I mean. Could you imagine Steve Planamena working for WWE during this week that we record this with Sasha and Naomi and all that stuff going on? You mean the most Planamenta-esque statement outside of the Benoit stuff in the <laughs> last 20 plus years? Well, that would, well, yeah, but still, if he was giving interviews about this subject, how, oh, how God. he would. <laughs> uh... And again, uh, Chris, shall we return uh, to that column quickly just to give an example of perhaps why Phil would feel this way? Yeah, go ahead. Let me make sure I have the actual quote here. Uh, Meltzer, 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 Meltzer. Let me make sure I find the right quote. Uh, Meltzer, Meltzer, Meltzer. Yeah. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. There's a joke to make here about another sheet writer, but I'm not going to. I'm saying that, but okay. Uh, why is this not here? Why am I not seeing this part? Um, oh, wait. I know what to do. Peculiar. Okay, here we go. McMahon also told King's national audience that he had, quote, no idea whatsoever, end quote, about any sexual misconduct by employees, not even a hint. Yet two weeks ago... During pour-his-heart-out phone calls, he told West Coast-based journalist Dave Meltzer, then me, that he had let Phillips go four years ago because Phillips' relationship with kids seemed peculiar and unnatural. McMahon said he rehired Phillips, with the caveat that Phillips steer clear of kids. And yet, oh, he, hate, he hates Vince McMahon for no particular reason. No. If he does hate Vince McMahon, it's because Vince McMahon told him that he fired someone because he thought he might be a child molester and then rehired him as long as he agreed to stay away from kids. Yeah, I know. And, oh, maybe he just doesn't like what we do. Maybe he resents Vince's success. And no, I'm not sure what F-E-A-T was an O-C-R for that I missed, because otherwise everything came out okay. But, uh, yeah, 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 Well, we still got a little bit more. Planet Menace said WF will continue to address the issues as they develop. We're confident that we're doing the right thing, Planet Menace said. If anybody feels they've been wronged by us, we urge them to come forward so we can address the issues. Uh-huh. Things are becoming so convoluted and clustered in these shows. Bruno Sammartino has had an axe to grind with Vince for a long time. He's made no bones about it, but Bruno's axe to grind was what he perceived that Vince did to the wrestling business. And that's fine. It's a legitimate case to argue from his perspective. Billy Graham's agenda is steroid abuse. That's all well and good. If they stick to their agendas, that's fine. Well, let's address the issues. Bruno's hopping on the bandwagon saying he saw sexual assets take place, and now you got Billy Graham saying, I saw that too. Brother, give me a break. No, he's saying, I saw that too, brother. Yeah. Then give me a break. Ugh. How did this guy last so long? I mean, I'm sure Vince loved him because he did shit like this. That he's being confrontational, yes, but he's clearly 
a fucking terrible public relations guy. Yeah, but Vince, this is the type of guy Vince would love because he's confrontational and he he, he's, he talks the company line. He, you know, I mean. But here's the thing, though. He loves McDevitt because McDevitt's confrontational, but McDevitt is a freaking amazing lawyer. Well, of course. That That's the distinction I'm making. Like, yeah, obviously Vince likes his style and the cut of his jib. Here's the other thing, though. Uh, I wish he had a LinkedIn or something so I would know exactly how long he had been doing PR. I guess if I just searched newspapers.com for his name, I would you know, get an idea of when he started doing PR for them. But Steve Planamento was just a guy who was a fan who rose up through the ranks and became their PR guy. Yeah. He's not, and I don't mean this as a negative in any way, because I do genuinely like him. He's not unlike Adam Hopkins now. Adam Hopkins, mainly, and for most of his adult life, has worked for, the w for WWE. He's in PR, but he is not the main PR person. Like Planamenta was. You know, you have other, you know, previously, you know, you're Brian Flynn. I think Matt Altman's still there and technically is either considered adjacent to or above him. You know, guys like that. The people who are the more experienced outside PR professionals would be the ones handling stuff like this. You know, a Adam handles interview bookings and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, and... Look, and I obviously he has a lot of experience now. I'm sure he would be more than competent if he had to assume a more senior role in their communications department, as Adam did. But, like, it's insane that this Steve Planamenta is the guy, is what I'm saying. Like, let's put it this way. Like, if Mike Weber was still there, he wouldn't be spouting off like this. No. But again, Vince... Vince probably loved this. Yeah. Because this guy's a fighter like he was. Uh, you know, he fucking compared me to Hannibal Lecter. God. He's standing up to these people. Yeah. Um. Okay. <clears throat> At least searchingnewspapers.com, the first reference to Steve Planamenta as a media coordinator for the World Wrestling Federation comes in the March 23rd, 1988 Albuquerque Journal in a WrestleMania Hype article which includes the box-out quote, We don't even bother to respond to critics who say it's phony. We respond to our fans. We're here for their enjoyment. Yeah. So, I'd love to know exactly what his background was, by the, you know, as far as... I mean, basically what he is, he, he is a White House press secretary who is one of those confrontational ones that, you know, is going to come after the reporters and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, that's what he is. Yeah. So, and the people that are fans of that per political political party are going to defend them, and the ones that are are not fans are going to come out and rip them up. You know. Mm -hmm. So that's what he is. What a friggin' maroon, though. <laughs> eh? All right, excerpts from today's WrestleMania Eight could be Hogan's WWE finale by Mike Mooneyham of the Charleston Post Courier. Real quick. New York Post comments Phil Mushnick, who in a recent article entitled Sex Life and WWF compared Vincent Man and to Hannibal the Cannibal Lecter. Disputed comments made by WS Post with Steve Planamena in last week's column. Planamena said Mushnick had a personal vendetta against Vincent Man. He's made no bones about the fact that he hates Vincent Man for no particular reason. 
Planet Medicine said in the column. He's never had the guts to meet with Vincent Mann. John Filippelli, who's one of our executive te- television producers, has known Phil for years. Much like I told John long before he had read anything about us, that Vince was an evil person and should burn in hell. John Filippelli is an old friend, and clearly this has more done more than strain our relationship. It's virtually destroyed it, much like said Thursday night. This story has grown far beyond my relationship with John Filippelli. It's far more insidious than my relationship with John Filippelli. John called me shortly after I started writing about the steroid trial and how the media had abandoned such a big story. John says, just between us, Vince is a good guy. Lay off of him. I told him anyone who says that trial has nothing to do with the WF should go straight to hell. He basically agreed with me. He said he, I didn't know the half of it, but at that point I was just starting to. I didn't hear another word about it until Vince McMahon got on the Larry King show. Instead, Phil Mushroom despised me so much, he, he told John Filippelli I should go to hell. And he made it sound as if that was a, on the sex charges. That was clearly long before the sex charges. Tom Cole, 21, who has worked as a member of the Ring crew, told the San Diego Union Tribune in a recent article that he was sexually harassed or abused by several WF employees. Cole started working with WF in 1985 as a ring boy when he was 13, so the sexual harassment would continue unabated until he was fired in February 1990 after rebuffing advances by another WF official. Cole threatened a lawsuit earlier this year, but he and WF reached a settlement after meeting with a man. Cole reportedly received $50,000 back pay and returned to his former job as a ring boy. Why would John Filippella call me to explain Vincent Mann to me for ever wrote anything at Smushney? If I hadn't been a person, why would I have a personal vendetta against him? I spoke with him. I wouldn't give him two minutes of my time now. There's none he says I believe. Philip Pelli, a veteran NBC Sports producer, signed as a senior producer at WF Broadcast in October 1990. He had been nominated for 23 Emmy Awards and was coordinating producer for four World Series, three all- baseball All-Star games, several Super Bowl pregame shows, and NBC Sports World. Philip Pelli's hiring placed him over former senior producer Bruce Pritchard. Pritchard, who was eventually fired by Titan Sports in May 1991 after only four years in the top day of production post. I can't believe John's doing what he's doing, Mushnick said. John keeps telling me to put myself in his place. But wait a second. That's what they said in Nazi Germany. Nobody has to do anything here. And inside a close to the story, also took exception to Planet Men's claims that Cole was manipulated by the media. Tom Cole called Phil Mushnick last July, said the source. He called him every day for months. Phil Mushnick didn't find him. He called Phil last July to fill the steroid story. He thought about, there might be a guy willing to go head-to-head with WWF. He called him almost every day for months and wanted Phil to write a story. It wasn't until they got two other kids to come forward that Phil agreed. Phil wanted that exclusive, but he was still beaten by a week for the story. Whatever Tom Cole said about being manipulated by the media, my feeling is that if Tom Cole won this job back, he manipulated the media. If you're not looking for media attention, you don't call a reporter almost every day for eight months, and you don't go to the New York Post. Okay. First things first. Who do you think this insider close to the story is? Uh, if Phil know. wasn't quoted earlier, I'd think it was Phil. Possible, yeah. But I, it, it doesn't make sense to me that there's no reason, especially with how Phil Mushnick is fairly open with his quotes and stuff. I don't see any reason why it would be him. Even, you know, because like, you know, obviously you can give stuff on the record and on background, but... It, I don't see a reason why boat why it would be him. So, someone else at the post, Jeff Savage, maybe you know, with his, doing his article. Like, I I find it a little interesting that they don't mention why it, it ended up going to Jeff Savage or discussing that. Um, but I mean, look, I know more about this than most, as far as I can tell. This source is giving the truth here. So, you know, look. 
because Phil Phil had really done nothing other than be the first to report that the Ring Boy stuff was coming. By the time Vince is on Larry King, I mean, granted, Vince has talked to him on the phone when Vince is on Larry King, but those phone calls ended well. Like after those calls, Phil was swayed at the moment and probably why he didn't run with what Vince told him right away because he he felt like Vince seemed like he wanted to genuinely clean everything up. So this is just really just them realize, you know, especially early on that Vince went on the offensive with him. This was realizing, like, I guess his role in everything and just trying to deciding he's the one who's responsible for all this and trying to discredit him or whatever. Yeah. 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 I don't think there's much else to say beyond that. But by the way, I mean, especially since this is the type of thing that really should be covered in the newsletters, too. Great work by Mike Mooneyam on this story. Yeah. You know, this is some of his very best work. Yeah. So. And John Filippelli. I'm. And and John Filippelli is, is an interesting deal here, you know. Um, John Filippelli mentioned in part one, too, as whose couch uh, Murray stayed on after he got fired for a little bit. I mean, it sounds like he's begging Phil to lay off, and Phil's not going to do it. So. Yeah. Here's something I'm wondering, too. Did, did Murray have his story when he was living with John Filippelli? Had he told John that story? And if so, awesome. is that also weighing on John Filippelli here at all? Which, I mean, he's a credentialed enough sports producer by this point that he could have, you know, written his ticket anywhere if he wanted to leave WWF. So I, I'm intrigued by him being this kind of a tribalist about his uh, job there at the time. But, you know, it's... It's interesting how he's roped into this regardless, you know, and that it ruined Mushnick's friendship with him, which maybe got repaired after. I don't know. But close out this week, and, though. Oh, go ahead. And oh. when, when does Filippelli leave? Ooh. You want me to see if it's on? 92. It is in 92? Yeah, because that's when Bruce comes back. No, but Bruce doesn't take over that job. Oh but no, but Phil you're right. But it's but right. But Filippelli was involved in getting rid of him, so Bruce doesn't come back until Filippelli's gone, regardless. Right? Um, his LinkedIn does not go back that far, so I don't know. Yeah. But you're, you're right. That was part of the catalyst for Bruce coming back. Was that Filippelli was? Oh, actually, no, no, no. You know what? I'm remembering differently now. I think he was put in a different job because Filippelli was still there. I so think Filippelli left night too. Though I don't think he's there. I forget the exact. He's not there that timing though because the reason why uh, i ask is because how much does this weigh into him in, in his time there mm. all this stuff going on you know yeah i don't know but anyway let's uh close out this week though as we go to the readers pages in the observer your response to Mark Castle's uh, or Cassell's letter to seems to equate unwarranted sexual encounters between dark executives and underage male employees to sexual encounters between pro wrestlers and women under 18. There's some major differences. First, relationship between an employer and employee is inherently coercive since the employees depend upon the employer for a paycheck. This puts some constraints upon a person's ability to say no. A refusal may cause a person to lose a job or promotion. It's difficult to see an employee could have a sexual relationship with an employer that wasn't abusive unless the employee felt freely consented. However, since underage females are really employees of wrestlers, it's difficult for me to see this encounter as coercive. 
This is especially true when the female has not only freely consented, but actually sought out the encounter. This may be stupid, dangerous, or even and even illegal, but it may not be abusive depending upon the age. Clearly, a 17-year-old is not the same as a 13-year-old. Signed, Betsy Anderson of Brighton, Massachusetts. Well, that letter started well. <laughs> yeah. Um, but she had a good point, at least up front, that there are comparisons to draw to that, but that is not one of them. Yeah. So, uh, another week down, one more to go on this show. So I'm reading yeah. about, uh-huh. I'm reading this, did you see the Dave Sahadi interview with Post Wrestling from, like, three weeks ago? Mm-mm. He talks about when he joined WWF coming from NBC in '92. Okay, and it, it, this is just this is how John Philip Pelley got gone. Oh, okay. I, I came I came from NBC Sports and I joined WWE, WWE back in 1992. In 1992, you know they were down the dumps. And I just wanted to bring a real sports feel to it because I always thought wrestlers were fucking tremendous athletes, and they were mainly considered goofballs by people who weren't wrestling fans. I'm like, that's bullshit, man. These guys are legitimate athletes. Oh, and real you quick, this is, from, uh, this is from Doc Gallows and Carl Anderson's podcast. This is a transcript. Yeah, but it's on, it's on post-wrestling. Yes. Uh, do you, you want to hear a funny story? I'm in there for two weeks. John Filippelli, he's now the head of the Yes Network. Yes, he was the Kevin Dunn for two weeks. And then Kevin Dunn did a coup, and he got Filippelli fired. And there were two other former NBC employees working there, and he got them fired too. So I'm two weeks in, and I'm working on the opening for Raw. This comes up in January. Kevin calls me up and says, Sahadi, just so you know, Philip, gone. John Anonymous, gone. He just went down this list of 20 people, and I thought it was like that scene in The Godfather at the end when Al Pacino was saying, like, and he said to me, he goes, if it was up to me, your fucking ass would be put out of here too, because I hate you, NBC guys. But guess what? You're working on this opening for Raw. Vince wants to give you a chance, so you better be fucking good because your career is riding on it. So, dude, I walk in about a week later. It's opening, and the room is Vince McMahon, Kevin Dunn, Kerwin Silfies, director or number one there, Kevin Quinn, Bruce Pritchard's in there, Pat Patterson's in there, because passed back by then. And there's like 10 people there, and I get the thing loaded, and Vince says, play it. And I know this is already. I'm giving you the impersonation. So Vince sees it. It airs 25 seconds, and when it's over, he does this. Looking down, he spent one minute. Didn't say a word. Nobody else said anything. He walks back to the coffee machine, pours a cup, one pack of sweet and low, boom, another pack of sweet and low, boom, yeah, silence in the room, and I'm like, I'm fucking fucked, man. I'm not going to be here next Monday. This is it. He didn't like it, so he goes, all right, pal, play it again. And the other plays again, then Vince looks up, starts looking down, and again, there's like four minutes of silence, and I'm in the corner like, all right, well, you know, I guess I'll sign my forms right now for my termination release, and he goes, I don't know. What do you guys think? And Bruce Pritchard goes, I like it, Vince. It's really different. We haven't done anything like that before. And someone else is like, I love the music. I love this, you know? And all of a sudden, once Vince asked people's opinion because it was so different, they were doing things that that were a lot of pink and yellow, kind of like, you know, color palettes or whatever. And I was bringing in like black and white and red. So yes, Kevin Dunn got John Philip Pelley fired. How about that? That is the least shocking thing I have ever heard in my life. To hear this entire show, support Between the Sheets on Patreon for just $5 per month. Go to patreon.com slash between the sheets.